Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on May 8th, 2021. The time right now, 10.10 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Want to let you know we have a free roll going and you have 10 more minutes to get in there with late registration. We have a new poker room, kind of. It'll look the same to you, probably, but it's a new version of the software and there is a different URL to get in. It looks similar, but it's not the exact same URL. So there's two ways to get in. You can click on the uh, No Fraud Online Poker tab near the top of the screen and then just click the link that says Clear Here to Play Poker. It'll bring you to the right place. Or you can go to HTTPS, make sure you have the S there, HTTPS colon slash slash nofraud.pokerfraudalert.com. Those are the two ways into the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And you need to unbookmark whatever address you had for it before because it will not work. This was done by Belly Buster, who is the admin of the Poker Fraud Alert Poker Room. And it's running on new hardware. It is using a newer version of the software. So it is upgraded, just has a different address. And there are a few people who can't get in. If for whatever reason you can't get in, please let me know. 775-372-8355. I won't be able to help you this week, but I can help you next week for that free roll. This week, we are giving away $52, and it is going to be distributed as follows. First place, $26. Second place, $16. Third place, $10. It began at 9.55 p.m., so you still have until 10.20 to get in with late registration. The money came from Shoeshine Box, who gave $10. Then we took away $42 worth of prizes that were won in the past that were never claimed. We give six months to claim, sometimes more time than that, but... After six months, at any point, I can take your prize and roll it back in. I've done that for Poyak, $99, $26, and Landed Mark, $16. So keep that in mind that those have been uh, rolled back in. So that's $52 total in the prize pool. And you have about seven more minutes to get in there. We would have actually started a little bit earlier, but I was having some sound issues. I could not get the sound to come through my headphones so I couldn't hear anything. So that was a problem. Turns out I just had to reboot the computer twice and then that fixed it. So weird. I rebooted it once and then it fixed some of it and I rebooted it a second time and fixed it a second time. No idea why this is happening, but we are back to normal and the sound works. Trader Ruski said that he will probably be sleeping by the time we start this but that he will call in when he wakes up. He does have his alarm set for three. So if we happen to be there when he wakes up, he will come on. You never know if Brandon might show up. Let's just take a long shot here at getting Trader Ruski. I have a feeling we won't reach him. Yes, that's what I thought. He's not there. Anyway, we will go on and we'll see who we pick up throughout the night. If you want to call in, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, which is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line, and that is a separate line into the show. It's in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, an old 70s rotary phone. I've posted a picture of it before on Twitter, and it forwards to me wherever I go. You can text me during the show. In fact, you can text me before or after the show. 
You can text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the main phone number, 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355 is the main number of the show and the way to text me. If you text me during the show, I may read your comments on the air, so make sure to say that you don't want me reading it in the beginning of your text. Otherwise, I may read it and I may reveal something about you you won't want the world to know and it will be too late. We have a chat room if you want to chat with other listeners of the show during the live show only. Click the chat button near the top of the screen. You do need a Poker Fraud Alert account in good standing to get in there. That is a Poker Fraud Alert forum account. The Poker Room account is a separate system with a separate account system. If you want to listen in the archives, we have a lot of ways to do it. You can use iTunes. You can use Stitcher. Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Bullhorn, TuneIn, which in fact can be used to listen to the live show as well. A lot of ways to listen. You can also listen through Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast, and it will play the last episode that we put in the archives. You want to go before that, just say next, and it'll go back one episode. The call to listen line is a way you can just call up a phone number and listen to the show. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require the internet or a computer or a data plan. No, 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 none of that stuff. All it requires, it's very simple, is just any telephone that can dial the U.S. And you just call up, you listen. It does not require even a very good connection. So even if you have like one bar, you can listen. It's perfect for driving around in areas with spotty reception. That phone number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. We also have the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. And they never buffer, never freeze. It just works. Over a million minutes have been listened. And if you can call within the U.S. for free, then it's free. Unless you have T-Mobile, it costs you one cent a minute. Not my choice, but that's what they chose to do. If you forget these phone numbers, just click the radio tab near the top left on PokerFraudAlert.com, and it will show all those phone numbers for you that I have mentioned. It's very easy to find, very easy to do. If you want to listen to the live show, you can use the TuneIn app. You can use the player that is now on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com. does not require Flash. It should work with all devices. And you can also use the call to list line, of course. So those are the ways to listen live. And listening to the archives, we have so many options. I'm sure one will work for you. So I will give you the agenda, and then we will get going. Breaking story. This came out yesterday. And it's ramping up today. Perfect timing for this episode. We were on six days ago. I was afraid we may not have enough to talk about, but no, we do. We have this big story to talk about. Daniel Coleman claims that Sean Perry, another poker pro, scammed him over uh, out of a lot of money. He claims that Sean Perry scanned him out of $1 million. Actually, more than that. He says seven figures. He doesn't even specify... What kind of seven figures? I guess it could be more than nine million, but I'm guessing it was closer to one or two. But still, that's a tremendous amount to have been scammed. And he's accusing Sean Perry of having done it through a weird daily fantasy sports prop betting scheme. So I'll explain that and I will explain the accusation. I will give you my opinion about how I feel about the whole thing. 
and whether I think that Daniel Coleman has a valid complaint. And then I'll tell you some about Sean Perry and his parents, who are both known in Las Vegas. Phil Helmuth beat Daniel Negranu again in their heads-up match. He is now 2-0 against Negranu. And then that spawned a Twitter slap fight between Daniel Negranu and Brandon Cantu, where Cantu was criticizing Negranu's play, and then Negranu couldn't help himself and responded. And those two went back and forth, so I'll read you what they had to say to one another and give you my reaction. I spent $3,000 this weekend on Zed Run. I bought two virtual horses for about $1,500 each. Not real horses, but fake horses. Virtual horses I bought for 1500 each. Am I crazy? Maybe. But Chris Moneymaker spent more than 10 times what I did. So I'll tell you about Zed Run. You can still get in on it if you're interested. And I will explain what that's all about, what the whole craze is about, and why I spent my money on that. Hopefully I didn't waste it, but we will see. Paris, Las Vegas is apparently causing some people to have to waste a little bit of money. They are reportedly charging a restaurant resort fee. (laughs) Now I've seen it all. I've heard of hotel resort fees, of course, but a restaurant resort fee? Yes. So we'll talk about that, and I'll play you the vlog of someone who claims they were charged it. If you're at Chase Field in Arizona where the Diamondbacks play, you will, in not too long of a time, be able to bet on sports right there at Chase Field, and not with some shady bookie hiding in the shadows in the stadium. I'm talking about a real licensed sports book that will be operated by Caesars. So we'll talk about that and the pretty surprising development that there's going to actually be a sports book at a Major League Baseball stadium. Win Las Vegas and its sister property, the Encore, have opened at full capacity tell you about what's going on there in colorado which is a place i'll be visiting this summer colorado poker rooms are finally able to offer real no limit hold'em and plo they could not do so until last week because of betting limits that were in existence under state law but those were voted away in november and now they are gone They took a while to disappear, but now they are gone. I'll tell you a bit about what's going on in Colorado. Then we have two coronavirus topics. One of them is more of an opinion topic about what is the sensible way that poker rooms should be operating at this point in the pandemic. And then I'll also talk about the COVID vaccine for 12-year-olds. And is it a good idea? Because that's going to be available very soon in the U.S. So that is our agenda for the evening. And we will get started. We're going to talk about Dan Coleman and Sean Perry and Sam Several, who's also involved in this crazy scandal, which broke yesterday. Before I get going, I'm going to be honest and tell you I don't really like Daniel Coleman very much. I haven't heard that he's done anything bad. I haven't heard of him ever scamming anyone or doing anything dishonest or committing any crimes, nothing like that. Like, Daniel Coleman is not a dishonest person or a person you have to watch out for. I just don't like his personality. A lot of people were put off by him. He is a young, successful poker pro. He made some waves and caused some controversy when he and Olivier Bousquet wore 
shirts that were uh, anti-Israel messages, the pro-Palestine anti-Israel messages at a Poker Stars final table and were told to remove the shirts and change into something else, and they were mad about that. And uh, a lot of people didn't like that, especially Coleman, who I believe was born Jewish. But even if you're not Jewish, like I don't think Olivier Vousquet was Jewish, but uh, still, it's, it's kind of douchey to be wearing uh, controversial political shirts at final tables to make a statement that way on a televised event, and then to bitch about it when the company putting it on doesn't want you wearing that. He's also complained about poker. But, you know, he's one of these guys, oh, poker's so unhealthy. It's a bad place. It's uh, a terrible place to be. It doesn't do society any good, blah, 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 blah. And th- at the same time, this is how he makes his living. This is how he's made millions of dollars. So he wants the riches that he makes from poker, but he wants to tell everybody else that they're bad people for playing it. And we've discussed that before on this show. So... The guy is really the ultimate uh, limousine liberal. Actually, that's not true. The ultimate limousine liberal in poker is Prahlad Friedman. But he's the, uh, I guess, the junior ultimate limousine liberal in poker, Daniel Coleman. He's someone who wants to be on his high horse and lecture people. And this guy's a young guy, too. It's even worse coming from a young person who doesn't have much life experience. At least Prahlad isn't young anymore. But uh, Daniel... Daniel Coleman here, he's a young guy, and he's trying to lecture people much older than him with a much more life experience about uh, the way he feels the world should be and about how terrible poker is, but yet he doesn't mind taking people's money in poker. He doesn't mind making the money himself. He just wants to tell you what a bad game it is. So uh, there's a lot about Daniel Coleman I got to dislike over the years. He's not an enemy of mine. In fact, he doesn't know much about me. I assume he's heard my name, but doesn't know much about me. And I don't have any beefs with him. I've never directly argued with him. So I don't have a personal problem with him. I just don't care for him from what I've seen of his persona, both online and in poker news. I I can separate this. There's people who I dislike personally that I've dealt with personally, but still will concede these are honest people who you don't have to watch out for, just people's personalities I don't like. There's people who are scammers and scumbags who have screwed over people in poker or the entire community that I dislike for that reason, even if they haven't done anything uh, personally to me or even if their personality seems okay. But if they're scammers, then I dislike them for that reason. And then there's some people like Daniel Coleman, who I haven't had any personal dealings with and who has not ever scammed to my knowledge and has a good reputation as far as honesty is concerned, but where I don't care for the personality that I have seen from him. However, even with Daniel Coleman not being my favorite person, I don't think he deserves to be scammed. I don't take any pleasure in watching him get scammed. I don't think he deserves to be a scam victim. I think scammers deserve to be scam victims. I like to see scammers get scammed, but... People who I just think are kind of jerks, nah, I don't want to see them get scammed. They don't deserve that. Just like I would hope that people don't think I deserve to get scammed, even if they think I'm a jerk. So Daniel Coleman is claiming that he got scammed for seven figures by another poker pro named Sean Perry. And he tells a pretty convincing story. So we're going to go over this. And he put out this story yesterday at 3.31 p.m. Pacific Time, May 7th, 2021. And then some people that he had 
helping him analyze the situation prior to putting it out gave their takes and explained why they advised Daniel the way they did. And that's important as well. So it's not just his word against Sean's. It's his word plus various other respected people in the community who are very good minds and very good at analyzing this sort of thing and have experience in daily fantasy sports where the scandal took place that they gave their opinions to Daniel and then publicly that indeed he was getting scammed. With all of that said, Sean Perry has not given a rebuttal yet, which of course is a bit suspicious by itself, but I will say we're only hearing one side of the story, and this just broke yesterday, so maybe Sean Perry will come out later and give his side and it'll totally change everything, so I don't want to come forward without having seen any of the evidence myself and make any conclusions, and I'm not going to here, but I will give my opinion based upon what I've seen so far, and then we'll wait to see what, if anything, Sean Perry says or presents in response. And that will, of course, of course, help us decide as well, because there are two sides to every story. Though I will say that when this sort of thing comes out, it is quite rare that someone making scam accusations ends up being a liar. Usually when someone accuses someone else like this, especially when the accuser is a fairly known person in poker, it's very rare that when the whole thing shakes out that it turned out they were lying or even just misunderstanding. Usually when they say it, it turns out to be true. And I'm just giving you the history of this. I'm not talking about this particular case. Anyway, let's get to what happened. A bit of background on Sean Perry first. Sean Perry is a young poker pro. I believe he's 25. He's appeared, <coughs> he's appeared on High Stakes Poker and other broadcasts. He is the son of Russian-born poker pro Ralph Perry, who you may have seen in various forms, including uh, with Tony G on TV, when uh, Tony G told him this, he's sending him back to Russia as he was beating him in the hand in what was a pretty uh, famous moment in 2000's poker TV. So that's Ralph Perry, and Sean Perry is his son, and... Sean Perry's mom is also known somewhat in the poker community, not really really for poker play, but because she is a pretty well-known Vegas area realtor. Her name is Mary Perry, M-E-R-R-I, and she is pretty much all over poker Facebook. Like if you're a even semi-known poker player, you probably got a request from Mary Perry to add her as a friend at some point in the 2010s. I know I did. I didn't accept it because I don't know her. Nothing against her. I just don't know her. So I don't, just, I don't just add randoms trying to collect friends on Facebook. But she did send me a request. At that point, I kind of looked like, who is this person? And then I noticed she has like a million Facebook friends in poker. And I asked around and I realized that she is a realtor. And uh, I'm not sure if she's still married to Ralph Perry, but she did have a son with him, Sean Perry. And her last name still is Perry. But she is a fairly prominent but very gimmicky realtor in the Las Vegas area. So Sean Perry, he has been making a name for himself as well. By the way, about Ralph Perry, when I won my bracelet in 05, he finished fourth in my event. So I did play with him. He came fairly close to winning the event I won. I mean, he was never like a chip leader or anything, but he made it a fourth, so 
shows you he came fairly close at the 3K limit hold'em in 2005. I haven't had much interaction with Ralph Perry otherwise, and I don't know his mom. I know of her, but I've never dealt with her directly. I have never dealt with Sean Perry directly, who only started playing poker, at least live, in 2017, because he was too young prior to that. I believe he was born in 1996. He may have been playing online before that. But anyway, his mom, Mary, has been posting pictures with the two of them together. And so, you know, I'm so proud of my son. He's a great poker player, blah, blah, blah. So mom taking a lot of pride in his uh, poker success. And I didn't know much about him other than that he was Ralph Perry and Mary Perry's son. And he seemed to be doing uh, pretty well in poker in his four years in the community. He's already cashed over $2 million since 2017 at live tournaments. Uh, he won, He was fourth place in the the uh, Five Diamond event, the Bellagio Five Diamond in 2017 for 504K. He also uh, has a number of other uh, five-figure scores before that. He played a bunch of events in the Aria High Roller series and had a number of caches, including... Uh, here in 2021, he won uh, 201K on April 2nd at the Aria. He won uh, 190, 195K on April 3rd and 596K on April 26th, finishing second, second, and third. He also won 169K on April 1st, finishing first. So he's done quite well in these Aria high roller events. In fact, he also cashed for five figures in those in March. Now, keep in mind, these are fairly high buy-ins. There are 10K buy-ins, and then some of them are 25K. The last few he's played were 25K. So you have to not only subtract that up top, but also he's probably entering some of these and losing, which eats up these low six-figure scores pretty fast. Like if you have a 100K score and you enter a 25K five times or four times, uh, it's gone. So you play five times, you cash 100K in one of them, you brick four times, you're even. Even though on the Hinden mob, it shows you you, you won $100,000. It looks great, but you're actually even. So you got to watch out too. And he's played a ton of these. I'm looking since March. He's cashed in eight of them. And I have to imagine there's a number of them he did not cash in. So who knows what he's actually winning? He's been very active in these. And he's had some seconds, firsts, and thirds, but, and fifths, but who knows? It's very hard to tell how these people are doing in these high-stakes tournaments. Anyway, still pretty impressive for a guy who's only 25 to be entering tournaments like these. Usually 25-year-olds don't have the money to do this, especially since it's hard to run it up in online poker compared to what it used to be. I don't know exactly where he got the money to start. He was playing lower-stakes events in 2017. Like he, His first cash in March of 2017 was at a $150 event. Then the next was at a $570 event. The next was at a $2,200 event. But then he was back to $570, $300, So he was entering some a lot of lower buy-in events then, a few that were somewhat higher. And then he had his first uh, higher buy-in cash in May 2017 at a uh, $5,300 Canadian dollar event for the Party Poker Million. Anyway, I didn't know much about him. I just knew he was a... Uh, Young guy, he seemed to be having some success. He was Ralph Perry's son, Mary Perry's son, and that was about the extent of what I knew. But it has been coming out that people just don't like him. 
It's been coming out that he's arrogant, that he is condescending, that he thinks he's better than everybody, that he thinks he's smarter than everybody, that he thinks he's the best poker player ever. Uh, a lot of stories that the guy is just a total douche and nobody likes him. And in fact, with all these stories, which have been posted on Twitter over the past day or so, not one person has come forward and said, hey, you know what? Sean Perry's a good guy. I like him. He's a nice guy. You, you, you guys just don't know him. He's, he's cool. Like, no one has said that. Not one person said, oh, no, 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 I like him. Now, it's possible nobody's doing this because there will be a lot of backlash because he's accused of doing something very bad. So maybe that's why people who like him are not stepping forward. They don't want to associate with him right now. But uh, I, I will say it's kind of telling that a lot of different people are coming forward that they really didn't like him and just kind of didn't say anything before because they didn't want to start shit. So the general consensus of those that got to know Sean Perry in poker from what I've seen was that they dislike him and that he's basically insufferable and other than being an action player at the table when they play cash, where some people like having him around because they feel like he's a negative EV in those games. Aside from that, people don't like being around him from what I've seen. But still, you could be a jerk and you can be an honest jerk. There's several people in poker that I think are jerks, but I do not ever think would scam or steal. There's people I really dislike in poker that I would trust to hold a lot of money for me. As strange as that sounds. Like if... Someone I dislike in poker, if I trust them but dislike them, I probably would let them escrow money or whatever between me and somebody else that uh, doesn't know me as well and needs a middleman to hold it. As strange as that sounds, yes, I would trust certain people I dislike to hold my money if they have a very good reputation have been around for a long time. So just because a lot of people think that Sean Perry is a jerk doesn't mean that he is necessarily guilty of doing anything wrong scamming-wise. But... Daniel Coleman, who, as I said, I don't care for very much either. In fact, I don't dislike Sean Perry because I don't know him at all. Like, I've seen really no examples of Sean Perry. I can't even say I dislike Sean Perry because I've, I've never watched him on TV. I know he's been on a few times. I've never watched him. I've never met him. So I don't know the guy. So I have really no opinion of him aside from what I've read. Daniel Coleman, I have opinions of him. But again, I don't have personal interaction with him. So I'm just going to judge this specifically on the situation and not about the personalities involved. Anyway, Daniel Coleman said this. PSA means public service announcement to poker community. It's extremely likely Sean Perry is a scammer. Do not bet with him. And then he attached a little screenshot that he typed up on notepad or something else where he could write a lot more than he usually can on Twitter. So it says, just a heads up to the poker world, there's a very high probability Sean Perry scammed me for seven figures while we were betting on Daily Fantasy Sports. Now, let me quickly stop here. I don't want to give a whole Daily Fantasy Sports primer, but for the few of you that don't know what it is, it's kind of like uh, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, which has existed for many decades, except here, these are contests you can play that end within a day instead of like an entire season. They end within a day or a week. And you can play on these sites against other people in these daily or, or weekly contests. And uh, some people are very good at this and make a living at it. Some people are actually daily fantasy sports pros. I will say that if you are not a daily fantasy sports pro, if you don't really know what you're doing, and if you don't have the proper tools to be a winning player, you are going to lose at it. So you shouldn't do daily fantasy sports unless you really know why you have an edge over everybody else. And it's getting harder and harder, kind of like poker. Anyway, 
they were betting on daily fantasy sports, but not in the traditional way. They were not going on a daily fantasy sports site like DraftKings and playing against each other. Listen to how they were doing it. Essentially, what happened with was Sam Soverell, who, by the way, is another high-stakes poker pro, and Sean Perry were betting each other on head-to-head daily fantasy sports matchups, and Perry wanted more action, so I came along on Sam's side. So let me stop again and explain what he means there. On these daily fantasy sports sites, in this case, they were talking about DraftKings, there are players that will sign up for what's called head-to-head matchups, which means you're matched up with another player, and you both pick a lineup in whatever sport, you know, the NBA, the NFL, baseball, whatever, and you set up a lineup, they set up a lineup, you get points based upon how the players in your lineup do, and then whoever gets more points wins the heads-up match and wins the prize pool. And of course, uh, DraftKings takes a rake. That's how they make money. So that's that's what a head a head to head daily fantasy sports matchup is. It's kind of like a heads up poker match. So he's saying that what they were doing is they weren't actually playing heads up with each other. They were actually betting on two people playing heads up, two completely unrelated third parties, on which side was going to win. And then he went went on to explain how they're doing it, how it worked was there was a pool of six players to choose from, and Sam and Sean would choose three accounts in a snake draft. I'll explain that in a second. Sam would always draft the first pick, then Sean would get second and third, then Sam would get fourth and fifth, and then Sean got the sixth. So it's pretty straightforward. They they were picking six accounts on DraftKings, and they're going to pick in order which ones they want on their side. They're not just picking any six accounts. There's six accounts that have been agreed upon that are going to be involved in this. And of course, on your first pick, you're going to try to pick the best one, the one you think is going to do the best. Kind of like uh, back in elementary school when you're picking your kickball team. Uh, You want to pick the most athletic kid who's best at kickball. You want to pick him first when it's your turn to pick. And then the ones you pick last are the kids who uh, can barely touch the ball. So same thing here. So they have six accounts. And uh, they kind of not really alternate. It's where where uh, it's agreed upon that Sam will go first, then Sean will get second and third pick, then Sam will get fourth and fifth, and then Sean will get sixth. That's the way they agreed to do it. So here's how they came up with the accounts that they're going to pick. Because remember, you can't just pick any six accounts there or any three accounts. You you have to pick from a pool of six that was pre-agreed upon. One of the accounts was, quote, the Masterson, a good regular on DraftKings that Sam was close friends with, so Sam always chose him with the first pick. Then there were two accounts that were legit regulars of DraftKings, who Sean always drafted with the second and third picks. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. So Sam had a buddy who played on there, who they agreed would be part of the pool, and he knew the guy was good, so Sam always picked him as the first pick. Then Sean picked two other guys who were known winners on there as his second and third picks. So then it would come back to Sam to pick. Then the remaining three players, that is the ones they'd have to choose from, turned out to be totally random accounts that had no playing history before these bets took place. These accounts switched ownership frequently between Sam's side and Sean's side. So let me explain that. So they've, they've, they have their pool of six to choose from, And aside from those three who are established players on DraftKings, the other three are nobodies. The other three are just guys who have, like, no history on the site, which is crazy. Like, why would they even be part of the pool? Why wouldn't you be picking, like, six regulars that are known to do well there? That would make sense if you're going to bet this type of way. 
But why would it be three regulars on DraftKings and three who are total unknowns? Where How would that even have been agreed upon? And that still totally isn't clear. And as you might be able to guess, this is where the scamming took place, allegedly. After becoming alarmed at how differently these random accounts set their lineups depending on who owned them, I had Aaron Jones, who's also known as A.E. Jones, take a look at nine days of lineups, and he ran analysis based on their projections. He concluded that there was an incredibly high chance that these three accounts were controlled by Sean and that he would lay 10,000 to one odds on it. That's how sure Aaron was about that there was cheating going on. I looked for a second opinion and got one from Ryan Doubt. He looked at the lineups from just one night and felt that this was cheating almost on the level of Mike Possle. After showing Perry the overwhelming evidence that he cheated me, I told him I wasn't going to pay him what I lost on the final day and demanded that he refund me what I lost up to that point. He refused and said he was just doing this to get out of paying losses for the last day. Or say, I was just doing this to get a lot paying losses from the last day. So basically, Sean's saying, you're a sore loser. I'm not giving you anything back, and you still owe me what you lost today. Because basically, when Daniel felt he was being cheated, he said, I'm not paying you, and pay me back everything I lost to you before. And Sean gave him a big fat middle finger and said, nope, I'm paying you nothing, and you owe me what you did lose today, and you're just being a sore loser. That's basically what happened there. I offered to have everything arbitrated, which to my surprise he accepted, and we agreed upon having Tom Marchese as the arbitrator. After we gave Tom all the details, Perry changed his mind last minute and refused to have any bets arbitrated that I had already set up on. All he was willing to do was go to arbitration. It was on the final day of betting, which I refused to pay. Everyone who's been around Sean Perry knows how insufferable and annoying of a person he is. All he talks about is how rich he is, how much bigger he bets than everyone else, how much he's always losing, and all these things help him find lots of action. Based upon what took place with our daily fantasy sports betting, there's an extremely high chance that he is a scammer, and I would strongly recommend that no one gambles or does any sort of business with him, as well as anyone he associates with. So that was the end of the statement there from Daniel Coleman. So let's unpack this a little bit more before going on to read some other tweets that uh, Coleman made. So basically what he's saying here, if you haven't already figured it out, but I want to explain for those of you that don't understand daily fantasy sports that well, is that these other three accounts weren't always on one side or the other. That the three regular accounts, the ones that are always on DraftKings that seem legit, uh, one of them was always picked by Sam. The other two were always picked by Sean, and that's fine. But the other three, these unknown accounts, uh, it was kind of, I don't know what determined it, but sometimes Sam would pick uh, certain of them, and uh, sometimes Sean picked certain ones of them. So uh, they'd be on either side, which if they're totally independent players that have nothing to do with either Sam or Sean, then that's fine. Then just however these guys do, they do, and that's the whole point of the bet. But... What if they have some kind of relationship with either of these guys? And what if they are actually controlled? What if these are additional accounts of one of these guys? So what Daniel is alleging here is that these other three accounts were all controlled by Sean Perry. And that when he would get these accounts, or at least you know, whichever ones he got on his side for whatever week that was, then he would set their lineups really well. And these guys would do fairly well. And then he'd get a lot of points from it. And when these guys, whatever would end up on Sam's side, he'd make them do really poorly. So let's call the players, these other three players, A, B, and C. Let's say yesterday, Sam got A and C, and Sean got B. 
if Sean is the one controlling all three of them, then he would make A and C set lineups really badly because they're on Sam's team, and B would set his lineup well. It's kind of like, let me give this a very uh, simple way to process this if you still are kind of confused. Let's say you're betting on six players on how many free throws they'd make out of ten. But let's say that uh, of those six players you're betting on, that three of them are actually you in disguise, and the guy you're betting with doesn't realize that. So uh, if you are betting, if two of them are on your team and one of the others is on the other guy's side, uh, when you are shooting for the ones that are on your side, you would shoot free throws as well as you can, and for the one that's on the other guy's side, you would miss every time and make zero. And as long as he doesn't know they're, they're actually all you, then you'll kill them every time because you have control of how they do. You just completely throw it whenever for, for whatever guy that is uh, on their side. So that was basically what Coleman is accusing Sean Perry of having done. He thinks that Sean Perry was controlling all of these accounts and whichever one landed on his side, he would play well with. And if they landed on the other side, he played very poorly with them when you're supposed to be betting on six people that you have no control over and no relationship with. So that was uh, a very big problem if this is really what was happening. They were betting at very high stakes to where Daniel says that he lost over a million dollars. He says, quote, seven figures he lost. So he lost over a million dollars, he claims, to Sean Perry in this scheme. Now, I bet you have a big question on your mind right now. How is this possibly agreed to? Now, the way Daniel's involved, by the way, is that he was going along with Sam to help bankroll it because Sean was saying, hey, I want to play really big. I want to bet a ton of money. And Sam's like, hey, I don't feel comfortable betting that much. Let me get Daniel Coleman in on this. He can go halves with me. So Daniel was basically just backing some of Sam's action. So I bet you have a question here. How could this have been pulled off? Like, how could they have possibly agreed to this where three unknown accounts are involved in this whole thing? Shouldn't this be obvious that if there's three accounts with no history, that they could have been controlled by Sean? Like, so so how is it possible at all that someone like Daniel Coleman, who couldn't be an idiot because he's a successful high-stakes poker pro, so this guy's no dummy, so how could he have fallen for this very simple scam if that's what happened? So let's read on and see if we can figure this out. So someone named Jake Kalb asked, how did these three accounts get agreed upon? And Daniel Coleman said back, I found out later that Sean inserted those three accounts into the draft pool and Sam agreed to it. Hmm. Okay. So this is a little little bit more clear that this was all set up before Daniel even got involved with taking half of Sam's action. How did Sam agree to it? Sam Sufferall is another high stakes pro who is successful in poker. He's obviously not an idiot. So how could he have fallen for this? Well, let's uh, go on and read. Someone asked him what site. He said it took place on DraftKings. Very unlikely the site would give up uh, information on IPs, but it would be super helpful to know, as Daniel Coleman said. Aaron Jones, also known as A.E. Jones, he knows a lot about daily fantasy sports, so he helped Daniel uh, analyze this. So he decided to tweet himself and explain. So A.E. Jones, just about uh, 20 minutes after Daniel tweeted, uh, had some things to say himself. He said, I'll shed a few more specific details. 
I aggregated multiple NBA projection sites for the accounts on the days in question. In a sample size of eight days, those accounts on Daniel's team were an average of 23 points off the aggregate. The same accounts on Sean's team were 4.2 points off the aggregate. You may be saying, what? What does that mean? Well, let me explain a little bit more about Daily Fantasy Sports. A lot of times the way people set lineups in Daily Fantasy Sports is that they try they have a list of projected performances of players that day. Of course, these are projected performances the way the players, and I'm talking about pro players, NBA players, Major League Baseball players, football players, whatever. There's computer projections on how they're going to perform that day. And then from those projections, of course, you pick the ones who are most likely to perform well. So that's how these players set their lineups. And the aggregate he's talking about is if you get a lot of these different projections from different projection sites, because different sites project different ways. And when I say sites, I mean sites that are assisting people with uh, doing daily fantasy sports research. Uh, there's a number of them that do it. So what some players do is they take a look at all of them together and then average them all. And they call that the aggregate because that's the uh, that's how all these sites combined will be projecting these players to do that day. And then that really helps you pick the best players who you're expecting to score the most for you on that day. So when he says, I aggregated multiple NBA projection sites, he was talking about how they must have had, uh, they must have been doing this on NBA on these days. And he was saying that uh, based upon what those sites said, that of the players you should pick to have the highest chance of winning, just taking all these sites and doing the aggregate of all of them, he's saying for those eight days, the accounts, those, those mysterious three accounts, whenever they were on Daniel and Sam's team, they were 23 points off the aggregate, meaning they did really, really badly. And when these accounts were on Sean's team, they were about four points off the aggregate. So they, they weren't as good as the aggregate, the aggregate of all these uh, recommendation sites for daily fantasy sports that actually did better than these accounts did when they were on Sean's team. But that's probably because Sean may not be as good as these projection sites. So he, or just could be variance, whatever it was, but he fell four points off the aggregate, which which isn't a big deal. I mean, he's still, that's still fairly good. But whenever these same accounts played on Daniel and Sam's team for those eight days, they were 23 points on average off the aggregate, which is horrible. So to Aaron, this looked very obvious that these accounts picked absolutely horribly and way off what the aggregate would have been if they were on Daniel and Sam's team. And whenever they were on Sean's team, they were fairly close to the aggregate. They, they did pretty well. So that's so much of a difference that you can't even chalk it up to, well, these accounts, they just weren't very good players. They were fairly good players whenever they played for Sean, and they were horrible when they played for Daniel and Sam. He went on to say, in fact, the top 11 performances based on distance from aggregate lineup, were all on Sean Perry's team. The aggregate I used had no reason to have any bias toward any players in the pool. I have no business dealings with either Sean Perry or Daniel Coleman and have only met Daniel Coleman once. So that's interesting too, that uh, he was saying that of those, the top 11 performances by these players they were betting on, the players, I'm talking about the one, the daily fantasy sports players, not the NBA players, but the these three 
daily fantasy sports players that the top 11 times they scored, they were all on Sean's team. (laughs) He went to say, I looked through multiple players' databases and the three accounts in question do not exist anywhere from a daily fantasy sports perspective. No head-to-head auto matches, no digital footprint. And after playing all week, they did not play daily fantasy sports for at least three days after Daniel Coleman quit. Then someone asked, how did they decide on the three random accounts to use every time? And then Aaron Jones said back, the accounts were supposed to be random DFS pros, as far as I know. And yes, it was a very stupid thing to gamble on. Supposedly, they just picked three random, quote, daily fantasy sports pros, which really begs the question, why didn't Sam do the slightest bit of research on these guys? Why didn't he take a look and see that they had no history on the site? How, how did he take Sean's word when they're betting all this money against each other that these three, quote, pros who he hadn't heard of before really are pros and really have a good history on that site and are known to be real players and not just extra accounts of Sean's? And that question has not been answered. You might be wondering, hmm, could this mean that Sam is in on it? Yeah, it could. We don't know, but... Sam does have something to answer to here. How how could he have been fooled by something so obvious? How could a smart guy like him have been tricked like this? I mean, this is a super obvious thing that he should be asking when betting this type of money. When you're betting on these three other players who aren't well-known players in the site, like who are they and what's their history and why why these three guys? Why did he ask nothing when they're betting so much money with each other? And it's very convenient that then he asks for some buy-in from Daniel on his side. Haral Bob Volgaris said pretty much this. And he also was uh, giving a hard time to Daniel for falling for this at all. He said, there's no chance you trusted this guy though, right? You knew he was insufferable. You knew he was an awful gambler who boasted about his successes. People who lie and are losing gamblers often make the leap to scamming. True. Usually the ones who are most brash about how great they are, how much money they have, how big they bet, usually these are the ones who, once the hammer falls on them and they lose, they start moving to scamming to continue keeping in action. It's, it's always the, uh, the quieter ones who uh, just kind of keep their head down and make money. They're the ones who are much less likely to be scammers. That's not always true, but the ones who are loudest about how rich they are and how good they are and how much money they have and how much money they bet, they are the most likely to go on to become scammers. So Daniel said back, I mean, I would never make bets like this with just Sean Perry. I was just following Sam, and he kept telling me we had a tiny edge day after day. So it really only works because Sam was a part of it. Not sure if they were working together, but it seems likely. So this was said today at 8.35 a.m. Pacific Time. So... This is the first time, about a day later, that Coleman went as far as saying that he thought Sam Several was in on the whole thing, too. He was accusing Sean the day before. Now he's saying he thinks they both were. He said he's not sure, but it seems likely. These were his words on Twitter, whereas before he was just accusing Sean. And I understand why he thinks that, and a lot of people think that, because it just doesn't make sense that Sam could have been this dumb. If the story is true, the way Daniel's telling it, if if Daniel is telling an accurate version of what went down, 
basically that uh, they had these bets, that he lost all this money, that three of the six accounts they were betting on had no history, and that Sam kept talking Daniel into continuing backing this whole thing, and that somehow Sam was okay with these three accounts being part of the pool. Either Sam is incredibly gullible and stupid, or he was in on it. It's got to be one of those two. There's no, there's no other way around it. Because if he wasn't in on it, and he's really just a victim here, then boy was he gullible and stupid to be betting this kind of money on the performance of accounts that he has no familiarity with and, and does not know if they are legitimate players of the site. It would be like we're watching a poker site, and I say, hey, let's bet on how these three accounts do who are about to go play heads up. And you can't find any information on these accounts. You can't find who they are or how much they've played on there or any history for them. They're just three completely random accounts you've never heard of before. And I go, Let, let's bet uh, 100K on who's going to win this heads up match this, this, uh, uh, of these two, these two total unknown accounts. You, you choose one, I'll choose one. Would you do it? Like, wouldn't you want to know who you're betting on? Wouldn't you want to know the history? Wouldn't you want to be sure I'm not controlling both accounts? And that whatever one you pick, I play really badly with that one and lose to the other? Like, this is a very simple scam if this is what happened. Now, you could see some rube who didn't understand this sort of thing and just had a lot of money being fooled by this, but not two longtime poker pros who've been in the community for quite some time, like Daniel Coleman and Sam Several, not just in the community, but have been very successful in the community. Now, Sean Perry has not commented on this yet. Sam Several, from what I can see, does not have Twitter. I can't even find him on Twitter. I think he doesn't have one. Sean Perry last tweeted on April 27th to talk about how he did at the Seminole Hard Rock uh, Poker Open. He's not a super active tweeter, I will say that. But at the same time, he has not tweeted since then. He tweeted on April 27th. He's not tweeted since then. Prior to that, he tweeted on... uh, April 5th, April 4th, usually about how he's doing. Usually he was tweeting something related to himself appearing on TV or deep in a tournament. He was he is a Sean M. Perry 1. That's Sean M. like Mary. Perry 1. Sean is spelled S-E-A-N. So he wasn't a guy who's tweeting after everything that happens in his life. He's not one of these guys firing out six times a day, but... He's also not someone who hasn't tweeted in years. This is someone who will tweet when there's something to say. And you would think when Daniel Coleman's coming out and saying that he's a major scammer, that he'd want to come out and say, actually, no, I'm innocent here. Here's why I was innocent. Here's the real story. Daniel and A.E. Jones and Ryan Doubt and all these other guys who are taking Daniel's side are mischaracterizing this. Here's what really happened. That's what I would do if I'm being accused of scamming over a million bucks and I'm innocent. So his silence here is interesting. Sam Several, as far as I know, has made no statements. You'd think that since some people are suspecting he was part of it, that he would say, whoa, 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 hang on. You know, yeah, I was kind of stupid here, but uh, I had nothing to do with this. And let me explain the whole process we went through. This is how Sean tricked me, blah, blah, blah. He didn't, nothing. I've heard nothing from him either. It's crickets. We've heard nothing. So... I think you can deduce what's going on here. I think you can kind of see that what it appears to be 
most likely, based upon what we've seen in the community with these type of things in the past, uh, it's usually what it appears to be at first. And this kind of looks like one of those cases. If it's not, Sean should come out and say something. At least Sam should come out and say something. Someone should come forward and say, hey, no, guys, guys, it's it's not what it looks like. No, 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 this wasn't a scam. Hey, let me show you why. Daniel Coleman also was defending himself to Haral Bob by saying, it's easy to outsmart me if you're willing to scam me. Happy to continue living my life trusting people until they give me a reason not to. Also, considering this outstanding problem reveals the difference in ethics between sports betting and the poker community. I'm not sure what he means by the last part, but uh, he said that in response to Haral Bob razzing him, saying, imagine getting outsmarted by Sean Perry. <laughs> that's pretty brutal uh that's a dumb statement by daniel by the way i hate to victim blame here and i'm not going to victim blame but to say oh yeah well if you're willing to scam me yeah you can do it you can probably get away with it i'm going to keep trusting people no you've got to take care of yourself you can trust people where at the same time be careful and be wary of those who might be trying to scam you and always, especially when money's involved, be cautious. I don't think people would say that I'm a an untrusting person or a paranoid person. Everyone's constantly out to screw me or steal my money. I'm just someone who's careful. I'm someone who is skeptical. And you don't have to be openly skeptical. You don't have to say, hey, you scammer, what are you trying to do to me? You, you can just decline. If we think Sean Perry is kind of shady and he's offering you some kind of weird bet or... Sam Several is asking you to go along for big money betting with Sean Perry in this weird bet on other daily fantasy sports players scheme. You can just say, no, thanks. You don't have to say, hey, scammer, I, I know what you're doing. You can say, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And that's it. You can't just trust people. If you, if you just trust everybody, you're going to have no money left. The more money you have, the more people are going to come to you and try to find a way to take it from you. So you have to be on guard always that people are doing that. Think of Bill Gates, okay? Bill Gates is getting a divorce, as I'm sure you've heard. So he'll be single again. Uh, Do you think Bill Gates is going to have a bit of a problem? If if he chooses to date again, maybe he won't. He's like 65 years old, so maybe he won't care about that. But if he chooses to date again, you think Bill Gates will have a bit of a problem having to be concerned about gold diggers, about women that are only being with him because he has many billions of dollars? I would say yes. I would say that... He has far more of a reason to worry about that than almost any man who's single. Even a guy who has $3 million would have much less of a worry of that than Bill Gates. If you're rich like Bill Gates, you know that there's a good chance that anyone interested in you in any way, whether for friendship or romance, might be interested primarily because of your obscene money. And that's that's one crappy thing about being that rich is you never know who sincerely likes you. You never know who sincerely loves you. That's one downside of having money like that. Similarly, if you have money, you always have to be on the watch, on guard. People might be trying to get it from you in shady fashion, much more than if you have $10,000 to your name. So that's a dumb statement from Daniel 
that, yeah, this happened because I trust everybody. So I'm going to continue trusting people. And that's the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be a trusting person. I'm going to be a good, trusting person. You can be the paranoid asshole. You can be the one who just looks, just looks at human nature and just thinks, oh, everyone's bad. Everyone's bad. and Everyone you need to watch out for. I'm going to trust people because I'm a good guy. No. See, that's, that's the type of crap he writes that just kind of makes me think the guy's a douche. Uh, I understand that there's no way to come forward with something like this without being a bit embarrassed because people are looking at this going, how did this guy make so much money in poker when he's this gullible? <laughs> That's what a lot of people are thinking right now about Daniel Coleman. If this story is true, he was very gullible. I don't care what Sam Severell told him. You, you had to be very gullible to fall for this scam. This is much worse than the typical uh, loaning someone money who appears to have it but is really broke scam or the investing in something where the person in charge of the money where it's being invested embezzles it. There's always varying degrees on how much caution should have been shown and may not have been shown when people in poker get scammed. But this one is really bad as far as falling for something that was pretty obvious and pretty simple. So yes, this is embarrassing for Daniel Coleman, but the way to handle it is just chalk it up to, okay, yeah, I was kind of stupid. <laughs> I, I trusted Sam too much. I didn't really think about it. I, I don't know where my head was. I'm never going to let this happen again. Lesson learned. Sucks. Hopefully hopefully I can get the money back somehow, but I may never. And I just wanted to let you guys all know what happened so it doesn't happen to you. And I feel stupid. And let's move on. Like uh, That's all you can do. You, you can't come forward with something like this and not look kind of gullible and not look like a mark and not look careless. But you, you can't frame it that you're a trusting good person. Being a trusting person does not even equal being a good person. Now, being too trusting doesn't really make you a bad person, but it's also not necessarily a good quality. If you have a family, for example, and you choose never to lock your doors at night, you just always leave your doors wide open. You trust your fellow man not to come into your house. Well, that's not very good. That's, uh, that's putting your wife and your kids at risk, at unnecessary risk. So that doesn't make you a good trusting person. That makes you an idiot. That makes you a gullible person. That makes you uh, an overly trusting person who puts your family in danger because you're too trusting. It, it kind of goes along the lines of, uh, I hate when people say you shouldn't judge. I hate people who judge, they say. Judgment is bad. Stop being a judgmental person. Sometimes it's good to be a judgmental person. You have to be a judgmental person. Otherwise, you cannot distinguish the good from the bad. You cannot distinguish a good person from a bad person. You cannot distinguish a good decision from a bad decision. You cannot give advice to someone if you care about someone and you feel they're, they're doing the wrong thing. Judgment is sometimes good. Now, you can be overly judgmental, and that's not good. You shouldn't judge every little thing about someone. You have to realize everybody's different and that also sometimes people make mistakes and you also have to understand that you're not perfect and not judge people from the standpoint that you're perfect and they're not. That stuff is bad to do, but it is good to be judgmental about some things. If you're judgmental about nothing, then you're going to have a very hard time in life and uh, you're not going to be a very good person to have as a friend or as a husband or wife, or as a family member. You, you need to exhibit judgment. And uh, it looks like Daniel's kind of saying, oh, no, 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 
No, I don't judge. I, I, I trust. You know, that's, that's just me. I'm going to keep being me. <laughs> I mean, this may just be kind of his way of coping or his way of making excuses without trying to admit that he screwed up. Instead, he's like, no, 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 I'm just a good guy. If you want to take advantage of me, so be it. But that's dumb. I also don't understand why someone who's bragging about how he's such a good, trusting guy then puts a jab in about uh, the poker community versus the sports betting community. He says, considering this outsmarting probably reveals the difference in ethics between the sports betting and poker community. So I think he's trying to uh, bash the... uh, Sports, I'm not sure which one he's trying to bash here. He's trying to bash one of them. <laughs> the, the truth is that the communities aren't that different. You have good people, you have bad people, you have scammers, you have non-scammers, you have winners, you have losers, you have losers who pretend to be winners. You have all that in all the communities. So that's, I, I don't even understand that statement. I don't see where he's going with it. I don't see why this proves anything about the poker and sports communities. This wasn't even like the sports community at all. That's where I'm confused. Like Sean Perry, Daniel Coleman, and Sam Several are all poker players. Maybe they bet sports too, but maybe they do daily fantasy sports also. But the, how does this have to do with sports betting community? In fact, sports betting and daily fantasy sports are two different things. They both revolve around sports, but they're not the same. They're not even the same communities. Daily Fantasy Sports is its own community. It's one I'm not really part of. I've never done Daily Fantasy Sports. But I've seen, because there's some crossover with poker players who are very into that, or former poker players very into that, I see the communities, and they have podcasts, and they have uh, they have groups, and it's very much like poker, where it, it spawns into all that stuff. And I've seen people talk about it. I've never had an interest in it, but I've seen it, so I have no idea what he's getting at there. I don't think that he will be getting the money back. I have a feeling it's gone. It's possible that in an attempt to recover his reputation, that Perry will get the money from his dad or something and return it, but that would be admitting fault. See, The, the problem is he Perry has no way out of this one. Perry has no way to give the money back without admitting guilt. So even if, let's say, Perry just decides, okay, you know what? I want to make this right. I feel really bad. And let's say he has the money. Here, here, Daniel, here's your million or whatever dollars back. Okay, then people can say, okay, but why were you scamming him in the first place? So the problem is there's no way to return the money without conceding that you were scamming. You could say, well, maybe he'll agree to arbitration. Well, if what Ryan Doubt and Aaron Jones saw is really the case, then you know which way the arbitrator is going to rule. It's not going to be for Sean. I think that there's really no way out of this one for Sean Perry to where he looks like anything but a scammer. The only way out of it would be if he is innocent, and then he presents the evidence showing he's not that he's innocent, and people see it and go, oh yeah, all these guys are wrong. Coleman's wrong, Ryan Doubt's wrong, A.E. Jones is wrong. But like, seriously, what's the chance of that happening? Like, seriously. Does that mean that Sean Perry is going to be out of poker? 
No. Sean Perry apparently doesn't care if people dislike him. <laughs> By the way he acts, it seems like uh, being disliked has been something that has been happening to him for quite some time, and he keeps playing. So it's possible he'll just show right back up to the poker table and say, nope, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what these guys are talking about. They're full of shit. I don't owe anyone anything. Daniel Coleman's a sore loser. Screw him. I don't care what he says. And just keeps playing poker. That may happen. I don't know what his mom's going to do about this. There's only so much you can do. He's an adult. He's 25 years old. But boy, his mom has put a lot of effort into her image. She's not just a realtor. She's not just a Vegas realtor. She's put a lot of effort into being someone that you like and trust and think about when it comes to uh, being your realtor for buying or selling a home in Vegas. In fact, she even calls herself the negotiator. If you look at her on Facebook, it's Mary, M-E-R-R-I, last name Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, it says, Mary Perry, the negotiator. <laughs> right there on her Facebook, Mary Perry, the negotiator. And then she gives her realtor license, and she's been very, very active. In fact, she was active today. Even even as this is happening, she's been very active. Apparently, she got uh, Mother's Day flowers. Hopefully, these Mother's Day flowers weren't paid for with Daniel Coleman's money. <laughs> She, she posted a picture of the Mother's Day flowers, even though it's a day before Mother's Day. She's been posting up a storm. Oh, you like this one. This was uh, a post she made on May 5th, admittedly two days before the scandal broke. But on May 5th, this didn't age well. She wrote, she, she shared a meme. She didn't wrote, write this herself, but she's sharing it and got 143 likes. My biggest accomplishment will never be money. It'll be who I raised. <laughs> oh, boy. I think it's time to take that post down. She has two kids, Sean Perry and Joseph Perry. I don't know anything about Joseph, but we know about Sean here. Let me look at Sean Perry's profile on Facebook. I hadn't done that yet. So Sean Perry, he last posted on April 30th. And uh, this is interesting. This has nothing to do with this scandal. But he was posting this kind of to his mom about dropping out of college and showing how he made the right decision. So he posted this, uh, something from his phone, a screenshot from his phone. It looks like it was a, an article about him. It's definitely a confidence boost, but at the same time, I'm very humbled because of all the people I've been playing against are very good players. The success, that was his quote. The success comes at a good time for him as well. Up until about a month ago, Perry was a business major at California Polytechnic State University. I want to pursue poker and real estate, so I just left school, said Perry. Dropping out of school didn't mean that Perry was a poor student. He was a business major, the president of a fraternity, and nearly a perfect ACT score. He just didn't think college was useful for the life he planned to lead. For me, I didn't feel school was pointless. I, I just didn't think school was essential in the sense to do what I needed to do. I didn't want to waste my time when I could make money playing poker, make money in real estate, and do my own thing. Perry's mindset wasn't just for college. He had no aspirations of working a normal 9-to-5 job. He had more of a desire to create something for himself and achieve success outside a cubicle. Perry's mindset wasn't... Uh, sorry, 
I was always the kind of guy that never planned on working for anyone, said Perry. Even my first year in school, I started a social media application and started this site similar to Airbnb that basically you could sell homes. I was always the kind of one to do my own thing in a sense. His ultimate goals are to be successful in both poker and real estate, so he'll never have to be anybody's employee. With dad a successful poker pro and his mother already in the real estate business, he's got an inside track to being successful in both areas. As far as the money he's won this series thus far, he's already got specific plans for it. After this, I'll probably go back to Vegas and buy some real estate, said Perry. My mom is a big realtor, so I'll go into real estate with her and play poker at the same time. Hopefully it works out. So this, this is an old article where he won like 10K in a tournament. And uh, his mom said back, uh, um, it was not even one month. The first time you had one and a half months away from a degree. So his mom claims that he was so close to making his degree and quit. I always hear that story. I always hear that someone's like one credit away from a college degree or one class away or one month away. I've heard this so many times and it just doesn't make sense to me. If you put that many years in, even if you want to go do something else, even if you think that school really isn't benefiting you very much, why, why not finish it at that point? It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's known as the point of no return where the uh, it just doesn't make any sense to turn around at that point. It's one thing if you've gone through a year and a half out of four years in college and you decide it's not for you and you quit, even if you're doing well. But you're telling me he's a month away from getting a four-year degree and, and he just bails? I don't believe that. But I, I've seen others claim this too. I've never understood that. It makes no sense to me. So that's probably a lie in some way. Probably more to the story. People have said that he is a big-time gambler that he's an action player, so to speak, that he's someone who loves to brag about how big he bets and how he doesn't care about money and how much money he has and uh, that he's so successful and so rich. And some people like him in these high-stakes cash games because they feel that he's a donator. They feel that compared to the top high-stakes players, that he is not positive expectation, that they can win money off of him and his ego. I'm not saying he's a fish. I'm saying that the, some people believe that he does not stack up to that sort of competition, and yet he plays with them. And that's why they put up with him in the game, even though they hate his personality. There's some reason he did this if these accusations are true. But it doesn't mean he's broke. Remember, absolute poker when they ripped me off and several other players, they weren't broke. They were doing quite well. They just stole because they could steal additional money. So some people, if they see the opportunity to steal, will steal even if they don't need the money. I've seen stories before, not even of people in poker, but I've seen stories before of people who have stolen or embezzled money even though that they have plenty already. And they just do it. And it's never understood why. Maybe just they feel like they're accomplishing something by swindling others or they just feel some sick satisfaction out of getting away with it. But sometimes it's not always out of necessity or even because they want to have money again because they once did and now they're broke. Sometimes people just steal for the joy of stealing. So who knows what was going on here? And again, these are accusations. I don't have any proof. This is Daniel Coleman's word. But look, we've had almost two full days 
since this was alleged. I'm sure Sean is very aware of this. In fact, people were bringing his mom's attention to it for comment. Of course, she didn't comment, which is understandable. I mean, this is her son. Even if she knows that he did something wrong, she's not going to go pile on him. That's understandable. I'm not giving her a hard time for that. But uh, clearly he knows about it. Clearly his mom is aware and would have made him aware if, for whatever reason, he wasn't on social media, didn't see this. But I'm sure he knows enough people who would have come to him and said, hey, Sean, uh, you know, Daniel Coleman's saying you stole over a million bucks from him. Is this true? <laughs> so, uh, when you say nothing, even if he wants to get all his thoughts together, let's say Sean's like, shit, you know, this looks bad, but it's hard to explain. So, like, come out and say something. Come out and say, okay, there's a lot more to this than it appears. Uh, by Tuesday morning, I'm going to give you guys a full rundown of what's really going on. It's not what Daniel's saying. He's full of crap. He's misleading you. I'm going to get everything together and prove it. But I just want to come out here and say, Coleman's full of crap. Like, nothing. We're getting nothing. And usually when you get nothing in cases like these, it's because the accuser is correct. You might wonder, could he go to jail for this? Yes, but I don't think he will. If he is guilty, let's just say hypothetically that Sean Perry is guilty of this. The problem is this is one of these crimes that would be occurring through like gambling that's off that, that people are doing with one another directly. In a way it can be looked at as a gambling debt, a bad gambling debt or or illegal gambling gone wrong. When I say illegal gambling, I don't mean anyone's going to go to jail for the gambling, but this isn't like a cheating in a casino where they will clamp down on you and arrest you. This is two dudes betting with each other on something where if the stories are true, that one cheated the other. And yes, if you were able to get the right person's attention in law enforcement who were to start an investigation and aggressively investigate it, yes, uh, there would be some criminal charges such as uh, um, fraud or, or even in some cases maybe wire fraud or there, there could be a number of fraud-related charges that could be brought. But getting someone who has the knowledge and interest to do this, especially in a case where it's just two guys betting with each other, not in a casino or regulated environment, good luck with that. It's It's very hard to get a detective to even understand or want to understand this. So if you were to walk in the police station and start explaining, oh, well, we're betting on Daily Fantasy Sports, on, on six players on Daily Fantasy Sports, they're going to go, wait, 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 what? You, you were playing someone on a Daily Fantasy Sports site? No, 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 no. We were betting on people playing on the Daily Fantasy Sports site. Well, how were you betting? We were just betting each other directly and paying each other. Like, but but I'm, I'm telling you, I was scammed. He was controlling three of the accounts. The, the, the detective will look at you like you're from another planet. So... They'll prob- you'll probably end up being told, sue him. That's probably what you'll end up being told if you were to go to the police. It might be worth doing, especially with the amount involved, but uh, it's very hard to get law enforcement to take an interest in things like this. That's why there was never a law enforcement investigation over the UB scandal or the Absolute Poker scandal or even uh, look at Full Tilt. I mean, yeah, uh, Ray Batar. He got a slap on the wrist prison sentence. But other than that, look, did, did Howard Letterer go to prison? No. Did Chris Ferguson go to prison? No. Were they criminally charged? No. Some of the payment processes will, were, but 
you saw how little of an interest there was. And that was federal law enforcement. Local law enforcement, there was none. So really, uh, there's not much you can do from a law enforcement standpoint, which is why so few of these gambling-related scams that don't occur in a casino environment ever result in any kind of criminal charges or criminal investigation. So, so many people watch too much TV and they see the TV detective who just develops this uh, amazing ability to understand every industry where a crime takes place and understand it quickly and then get the criminal arrested and prosecuted. So you see that and you kind of picture like the like law enforcement works that way, but it doesn't. You, you bring something to them like this that is very non-standard and kind of difficult for an outsider to understand and where there's only one victim, good luck getting them to investigate the case. You're usually just told, if you think you were cheated, sue them. I don't think this is going to result in anything criminal. It'll be interesting to see going forward whether Sean Perry shows his face in the casino still, but a lot of people have scammed and show their face in casinos and nothing's happened to them. We'll see if Sean Perry ever even responds to this. He may never even answer to it. We also might get some kind of very simple answer like, no, I didn't do it, Daniel's full of shit, and then nothing further. Uh, Maybe Sean Perry is aware that the community is smart enough and knowledgeable enough that you can't just deny doing it and not present evidence and convince anybody. He also may not, since people love to talk about how he's so arrogant and always has such a high opinion of himself and his own intelligence which people say isn't actually all that high, (laughs) but that he thinks he's a genius. So maybe he thinks he can outsmart everybody. But we've had guys who are legitimately very smart that made this mistake, like uh, Hasib Qureshi. Remember him, dog his head? This is a very smart guy who also was very shady and did a lot of shady things in poker. And whenever he did, and people would catch on to it and bring it up on 2 plus 2, he would write these long, long, long diatribes defending himself. He even made an account of Poker Fraud Alert at one point to do this. But it never impressed anybody. Like, you could read the whole thing and say, yeah, this is a smart guy. But the problem is it was a smart guy who had clearly done some things wrong that thought he could trick everybody else using his intellect into believing he was innocent. And it doesn't work that way. If you've done something, you've done something. And if you are a smart guy dealing with other smart people, you're not going to fool them if you're guilty. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even if your IQ is uh, 10, 15 points higher than theirs, if they're smart and you're guilty and they see evidence you're guilty, you're never going to convince them. The facts are the facts. And he didn't understand that. He thought he could just uh, outthink everybody and trick everyone into believing he was innocent of everything. And that didn't work. Eventually, he left poker. So I don't know if that's going to be Sean. And I, I, from what I can tell, Sean Perry is not nearly as intelligent as Hasib Qureshi is, but uh, it remains to be seen if he's going to attempt the same thing. But also, as I mentioned before, Sean Perry is not a big social media guy. He's not all over social media like Hasib Qureshi and some of these other guys were. So like he had tweeted prior to all this, he had been tweeting a few times a month. So I don't even think he necessarily is going to come out on social media because this isn't really where he exists. He kind of more of an in-person guy. So I think as long as 
he feels people in the card room won't give him a hard time. He's fine. I'm very curious what he's telling his mom about this. Like, is he privately telling his mom, hey, I fucked up. You know, what do I do? Rescue me, mommy? Or is he, like, just lying to his mom? Or, like, I, I don't know. I got to think his mom would tell him, if you're innocent, then come forward. Don't let them trash you like this. But I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I, I have to imagine this Mother's Day is going to be very good for Mary Perry. Because really, I mean, you could not be on Poker Facebook, especially Vegas Poker Facebook, and not hear about Mary Perry. She was like everywhere, constantly in your face about what a great realtor she was. She wasn't spamming. I, I don't want to make it sound like she was doing something she wasn't, but like just friend requesting everyone in poker, especially Vegas people, uh, constantly making posts on her Facebook about real estate and calling herself the negotiator and talking about what a great realtor she is and just is really trying to get in your head that if you need a realtor in Vegas, that's who you go to. I mean, I guess it kind of works because I, I really don't know many realtors in Vegas, but I will say that if, if someone asked me to name realtors in Vegas, there, there would only be uh, two that would come to mind, Mary Perry and Karina Jett. <laughs> Those are really the only two that I know of that are uh, realtors in Vegas. Now, Karina, at least I know personally. Mary, I don't, but I knew about her because she was so all over Facebook with it. You see, even her son, Sean, wanted to get into real estate, seeing his mom do this for so long. So he, he basically took after both parents, the, the dad with the poker and the mom with real estate. I think his mom plays poker a little bit, but she's not like a poker pro or hasn't really accomplished much in poker. I have to wonder, what is mom thinking right now? Because it looks like she's close to Sean. Like she's taken pictures with him and bragged about him and his poker success, blah, blah, blah. So... You really have to think that this is going to be tough on her. You know, there's some parents who kind of write off their piece of shit kids as tough as it can be. Sometimes even the parents are pieces of shit. Sometimes the kid is good and the parent sucks. And then the kid grows up and becomes estranged from the parents because the kid doesn't want to tolerate the shitty parents anymore and just goes his own way. Uh, Sometimes it's the kid's a piece of shit and the parents finally give up. Sometimes it's both. But uh, here... Mary seemed close to him. So while I don't think she's going to abandon him for this, she's his mom, I have to imagine this isn't making her very happy right now. She's probably worried for him and probably uh, worried for herself and the reputation she built. Because now when she wants to make real estate deals and be the realtor of people in the poker community... People are going to say, oh, that's that's the mom of that scammer. <laughs> that's, that's what's going to be thought of, and no one's going to want to trust her, even if she's done nothing wrong, even if she's like a fine person and has never messed up at all. That That's unfortunately the badge she's going to have if the narrative of this does not change. In fact, even people might Google her one day, and this will come up. Like if – just let's, let's put everything in a vacuum here. Just, just forget this whole story. Just the, Let's talk about a generic realtor. If you – are considering hiring a realtor and you Google her and you see that her son is accused of scamming a million dollars, would you hire that realtor or would you say, nah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from that family? I, I'm pretty sh- sure that's what you do. That's what I would do. I, w- I would not want to hire the mom of someone accused of scamming a million dollars. I wouldn't, just regardless of who it is. I just wouldn't want to do it. So 
I have to imagine she must be thinking the same. We'll see where this goes. It's a new story. Started a day ago. Shoeshine Box said in chat, put Perry's mom and pops on blast. Make them answer for his BS. Yeah, some people are trying that. Some people have been trying to get his mom to comment, but the truth is they probably won't. Uh, He is an adult. He's 25 years old. They can't control him. They can try to give him advice. They can give him a hard time when they feel he's screwing up, but they cannot control him. And at some point, the parents should not be paying for the sins of their kids. And also, they're not going to go out and trash their kids. Even if they know their kids did wrong, they're not going to go trash them in public. That's understandable. At the same time, I, I don't feel bad for them being uh, mentioned like this. That's just part of being a parent. Especially a parent who puts themselves in the public eye and then they have a kid who does something bad. Um, you know, if, if, especially in the same industry. You know, Ralph Perry is a known poker pro. And if his son is accused of scamming poker pros of over a million dollars, then yeah, it's going to come back on Ralph. Like if, if Benjamin went into poker when he was an adult and he scammed people for a lot of money or was accused of it, I'd be very naive if I were to believe that no one would bring my name into it. That'd be obvious they'd bring my name to it. I couldn't bitch and go, oh, why, why are you bringing my name into it? I'm just his dad. Well, yeah, his dad in poker. Yeah, so of course they're going to bring it up. So uh, same thing here. They've, they've, both of his parents have put themselves into the poker community in different ways. These are not just random parents. They, both parents are known in the Vegas poker world. So that makes them being asked for comment and being discussed fair game. Not saying it's their fault, but it doesn't make it anyone's fault to bring them up. 775 Fraud 55, 775 372 8355 is the number to reach me. Remember, you can always call me or text me at that number, 775 372 8355. We're going to talk about a match that took place, Phil Helmuth versus Daniel Negranu. Phil Helmuth and Negranu were playing these heads-up matches that were set up supposedly because the two of them had an argument on Twitter about the way Daniel played against Doug Polk when they had their heads-up match. And as I said on previous episodes, I think that was all staged. I don't think Daniel was actually angry or annoyed at Phil I think that either the whole thing was staged in the beginning or Phil said something and then Daniel said, hey, I'm not really that mad about this, but let's play this up and turn it into our own heads-up match. It's something like that. These two are longtime friends. Phil was not criticizing Daniel for being a bad player. He was criticizing Daniel for not playing like himself. He was saying Daniel's so good, he would have beaten the great Doug Polk If he had played as himself, instead, he tried to train himself to play like somebody else, and he lost. So that was him criticizing strategy, not criticizing Daniel's ability. And Daniel's smart enough to know that. So I don't believe that he was that mad at Phil for making that comment. It's not like Phil came out and said, yeah, Daniel's a donkey. He was was outclassed. Doug's way better. How could he think he's going to win? There I could see Daniel being pissed. That's not what he said. He actually felt that Daniel was better than Doug. He just chose the wrong strategy. 
So that was the compliment, actually. So this spawned a heads-up match between the two. I do believe the heads-up match is real. I don't think that they are faking the heads-up match. I don't think one is throwing it. I don't think that uh, this is staged in any way. I just think the premise is staged. I think they wanted a reason to play each other heads-up for the public, so they manufactured one, and now they're really playing heads-up. Why? Because they want the attention. They, they both enjoy this attention, and uh, they figured it would help both of them. Who knows? They may even be uh, playing for lesser stakes than are being uh, advertised there, but I have to believe they probably are playing for the actual stakes that are in the match. It's not super high. Both these guys have a lot of money. Both these guys have sponsorships. So the sponsors might be paying something. Who knows? Whatever it is, uh, they probably aren't giving each other anything back when the whole thing's over. But I think the whole thing isn't happening for the reason people say it was happening or that they claim it was happening. Regardless, it's still taking place. So let's discuss how it's going. Now, Phil Helmuth, he is known as a great World Series of Poker player. He's known as a great World Series of Poker big field No Limit Hold'em player. That's where most of his bracelets are. He, of course, is the all-time World Series of Poker bracelet leader by a wide margin. He has held up well over time. He's continuing to win bracelets in the modern era. He's not just someone who won them all in the 80s and 90s. So Phil has adapted to the ever-changing game. And anyone who says that Phil sucks or he's overrated or he's a shitty player or he's not that good, whatever it is, it's, it's not fair to him. You may not like his personality. And I, I've seen him in action at the World Series when the cameras aren't rolling and he still is a jerk. But... Uh, one thing you have to give him is that he's an excellent World Series of Poker tournament player, and that he's very good in these World Series of Poker fields, especially in fields of just uh, regular players. I'm not talking about the super high roller events or things like that, but just kind of any regular field at the World Series of Poker, he's really got something. Uh, otherwise, you don't win this many bracelets. He's won 15 bracelets. That's insane. He's won 15 bracelets. Now, yes, he's been at it for more than 30 years. He won his first bracelet in 89. But still, 15 bracelets? That's it's incredible. So I'm not going to take that away from him. But at cash games, there's long been a narrative that Phil isn't that good. And that one, there's more fair criticism. In fact, I've played Helmuth at Limit Hold'em. Not heads up, but I've played him at a table, at a ring game, and he wasn't very good. He wasn't a mega fish. But he did not compare to the good Limit Hold'em players that were otherwise sitting at the table. And he didn't do very well, as you might guess. So if you put Phil Helmuth at a Limit Hold'em table with me and a bunch of uh, top Limit Hold'em pros, he is going to be the fish in the game. That's a fact. But even at no Limit Hold'em cash, people perceived that Phil just wouldn't be that good. He wouldn't be a mega fish, but he would not be like this... uh, force at the table like he is in these tournaments. So when he played Antonio Esfandiari, who's well-regarded, of course, when he played him in a heads-up match where they were playing uh, three freeze-outs against each other, best of three, actually, I don't know if best of five, best of three, whatever it was, he won three to nothing. He won all of the matches against Antonio. And that surprised a lot of people because they thought that Antonio was the favorite. Antonio was going to kill him. 
and uh, instead he went three and zero, and won three hundred fifty k. So people said, "Oh, good for you, Phil! Wow, you're better than we thought." And some people even said that they were impressed with Phil's play. That Phil did some things they didn't expect he could do. That Phil really had a good feel for the match. He had a good feel for Antonio. It wasn't just luck. That yeah, he ran pretty well, but it, they liked what they saw of him. So that was the first time he started getting props for his prowess, not just in cash games, but if heads up, which is it can be pretty tough. Then it came to him playing Negranu. And Negranu looked like he was going to easily beat him. Negranu at one point had a 19-to-1 chip lead. And then Phil came back and beat him. So that was not good for Negranu, who was already... Uh, one who was on the defeated end of the Polk Negranu match. He already lost that and lost over a million bucks. That was not a freeze out. That's where they just play a set number of hands and see who's up at the end of the whole thing. And Polk won, I think, 1.2 million. But Helmuth was considered a weaker, no limit hold'em, heads up opponent than Polk was. And yet. Helmuth came all the way back from a 19-to-1 chip deficit to beat him. So this was the second round that took place. And uh, Helmuth emerged victorious again. Helmuth did have to come back a second time, not from 19-to-1. That would be very hard to do twice in a row. Usually if you're down 19-to-1 in a freeze out, you're dead. But uh, he was down... 3-1 to one in chips at one point and managed to come back. And he actually did part of it through a bluff with the blinds at uh, 15300 in this freeze-out. Helmuth limped in with 6-4 suited, and then Daniel had pocket jacks and uh, raised out of the big blind. The flop came 10-6-3, and then the turn was a jack, and uh, Helmuth was in trouble because uh, Helmuth was, uh, had made two pair on the river when a four hit. So he had two pair with the 6-4. Negreanu made the set of jacks on the turn. Now, Negreanu was ahead the whole way, the entire way, pre-flop all the way through the end, but Helmuth didn't know this. And uh, at the end of that hand... Negranu had uh, 144,000 chips and Helmuth had 56,000. So that was uh, the low point for Phil. However, uh, when the blinds were 400-800, which is more than double than they were before, uh, Helmuth rivered a flush and then uh, was able to get ahead, then fell back behind. Uh, After four and a half hours of play, it was still uh, fairly close, and the blinds had gone up to 1,000, 2,000. Helmuth uh, was ahead uh, 114,000 to 86,000. There's only 200,000 chips in play the entire time. Remember, it's a freeze-out. And the blinds, of course, were getting higher, being uh, 1K, 2K. So uh, Helmuth ended up uh, with queen four on the button against the ground as queen, queen six. They blow flopped a queen, and then the six came on the turn, to give Negranu the uh, the two pair and basically uh, leave Helmuth drawing dead. So then Negranu got ahead. Helmuth got uh, 
back with that bluff I was talking about. Helmuth uh, 3-bet out of the uh, big blind with 10-do suited against Negreanu's 9-7 suited, and the board came king 6-6, completely missing them both. I don't know why Helmuth chose to spaz out at that point with the 10-2 suited. Cause he, remember, the blinds were high, so Negreanu made it 4,000, and Helmuth 3-bet to 14,000. There's only 200,000 chips in play in the whole thing. Flop comes king 6-6, Helmuth bets 13,000, Negreanu calls... The turn's at eight of diamonds, so that's a huge card there for Negranu giving him the open-ended trade flush draw. Helmuth bet uh, 28,000, and Negranu called, thinking, okay, yeah, I can pop him here with anything as long as he doesn't have a boat. And then uh, on the river, uh, a nine of spades hit, which, yes, technically Negranu only had a pair of nines, but that was the best hand. Helmuth had 10 high. On that river, I'm not sure what he bet. He bet something that made... Uh, Negreanu fold. I don't know if he went all in, but he bet big and he folded. So then Negreanu was only down to uh, a little bit over 50,000. Helmuth made a flush and won the final hand, a one-card flush with the ace of hearts. At the end, Negreanu said, good job, buddy. You played well. I thought you played well. This one, I thought you played a lot better than the first one. I guess we'll have to see you again in round three. Here's how it works regarding round three. If Helmuth wins the third match, which would put him up to 3-0, and then he can leave the whole thing and uh, keep the profit. If Negreanu wins, then anything that continues further would have to be double the stakes. That's the, the agreement they made beforehand. So that uh, after the first three... Helmuth can just uh, walk away and uh, he can, or they can continue at the same stakes going forward. If Negreanu wins, Helmuth can still walk away, but that uh, if they continue playing, then it has to be double the stakes next time. That was what they agreed to, which is kind of weird, but that's the agreement. I won't say I understand all of this. <laughs> like, I don't know why Helmuth, who typically is a pretty conservative player, the way he plays these, his style is, is basically where he's just trying to figure out where he is and put his money in good. And you can say, well, that's what everybody does. But he, he does it pretty well. He's pretty good at knowing where he is in hands. And that's, in fact, how he does well in these World Series tournaments. So you don't have to be a, an aggressive spaz to win in poker. You can just see everything well and just... uh put money in when you're ahead and not put money in when you're behind. So that's Helmuth's talent. So this 10-deuce suited hand, he 3-bet out of the big blind with the with the high blinds already. That, that's bizarre to me because that's something you can do more when everybody's deeper because uh, it's harder to get people pot committed with mediocre hands. So the deeper it is, the easier it is to bluff because it gets harder and harder for people to go to call. In fact, uh, if it's a really deep heads-up match, people can even be afraid to call with bottom set, for example, even on a board that's not that scary. Whereas if it's not that deep, if the number of total blinds in either stack is not that high, then you have to call a lot, lot, lot lighter. I'm sure you've played a tournament before where... Uh, you're short stacked enough to where if you flop bottom pair or even a, a gut shot straight draw, you're putting it all in because you have something. 
you probably even put it all in sometimes if you have uh, ace high and you think that people missed or even if they didn't miss just the fact that you could hit the ace and, and maybe still be good so you know how it is the deeper the effective stacks are the more cautious you have to play so I'm not understanding why he chose the moment to spaz out with a 10-2 out of position was when it was pretty deep into the match and the blinds were 1k, 2k. So the ground who made the min raise to 4k and held with three bets to 14k, which is uh, 7% of all the chips in the match that he's uh, three betting there to pre-flop. And of course, what you're doing is bloating the pot. So then w- what does Helmuth do if he hits something? What if what if he hits the 10? Okay, he, he can put the money in, but then Negreanu's probably going to call with uh, all the hands that can beat Helmuth at that point. If Negreanu has Jack-10, there's a good chance he's calling it off anyway. And there's a possibility you're going to run into something strong. What if Negreanu had the king there, for example, the king 6-6? Six, six? Now you could say Helmuth got lucky that this was a pretty dry board king 6-6. Six, six. So there's not a lot that uh, Negreanu is going to hit there, heads up. For the most part, he's probably going to miss that board. But uh, it was kind of weird to me. Like it, I, I have a feeling that if Negreanu just happened to have had a better hand there, or have hit better. Let's say, let's say Negreanu had nine six suited instead of nine seven suited. So then he flopped the six, and then Helmuth just spazzed it all off. And then by the end, <laughs> he goes all in or makes a big bet, and and then Negreanu calls or puts him all in. Let, let's say Phil chunked off all his chips with ten deuce there. What would people be saying? They, they'd be saying what a donkey Phil was, right? But the fact that he ran this great bluff, which wasn't a great bluff because. Basically, Negreanu missed the flop, but had kind of like a backdoor draw, then picked up a big draw, and then at the end just uh, completely uh, just just hit a weak pair and didn't want to commit that many chips to it. So, like, it's understandable why Negreanu played the way he did, but, like, Phil was really taking a weird spot there to take such a stance. Like, Tendu suit is a weird spot to take that type of stance with. I would think if Phil's going to spaz out, it would be something like a hand, like 6-7 suited, something like that where you, if you hit something with it on the board, you can kind of surprise your opponent or you have a draw to get out of it even if they flop big. 10-deuce is kind of weird, even suited. Now, funny enough, he he actually had the better flush draw than Negreanu did and even had one of Negreanu's straight flush outs, but that's just the way it fell. So even if they hit the diamond on the river, then Helmuth would have won it. But still, that was strange. And I think that probably Helmuth is not getting as much criticism for this because it worked out for him. A lot of people are results-oriented in poker. If a bluff works out, the person looks like a genius. If a bluff fails and someone chunks off all their chips, then people think, what the hell was he doing? So that is where it stands We'll see what happens with the third match. I only have mild interest in this, but I know a lot of you do, so I figured I'd tell you guys. But this spawned a side controversy involving Daniel. Not involving Helmuth, but involving Daniel. And it was on Twitter, which makes sense, because Helmuth on Twitter, for as brash and as rude as Helmuth can get in person, 
He is not brash or rude on Twitter. Helmuth is uh, pretty well behaved on Twitter, which a lot of people don't think about. They think of Helmuth, they think he's a crybaby and a jerk and uh, a sore loser and arrogant. But look at his Twitter. He seems like a nice guy. <laughs> like he's, he really comes off as a nice guy on Twitter. Very, pretty humble, too. Like he's not, he's not at all the same guy on Twitter. So that's why you don't see Helmuth in Twitter battles, because he's, he's very mild on Twitter, where Negranu is the opposite. Negranu is very aggressive on Twitter and says controversial things and fights with people. And, and one problem Negranu has is that he cannot resist responding to trolls. And when you're a very well-known figure like Negranu is, you're going to get trolls, especially if you're an opinionated person, and you need to just not acknowledge them. You need to realize that you are a much bigger name than they are. People care much more about you than they do about the troll, who's usually a nobody. And you can just ignore the troll, and nobody's going to care about it. Like, like, in fact, by responding to the troll, you bring attention to the troll. That's the way Twitter works. If you don't respond to the troll, then people don't really notice the troll. So he's had a hard time not responding to trolls in all venues, like even on live streams, he would respond to trolls. Now, in this case, I will say that the troll was someone who is fairly well-known, and that is Brandon Cantu. But still, Negranu probably should have just let it roll off and not say anything. He, he tilt-responded to this. But I will say he wasn't just answering a nobody, so it makes a little sense that he responded here. But this, this is what Brandon Cantu wrote. Sorry, Daniel, to say this, but you played horribly versus Doug Polk, absolutely crucified. Played Phil Helmuth, absolutely dismantled second times in a row. Has infinite second places in the World Series. If you lose third time in a row, it's fair to say you just aren't great at heads up. Hashtag facts. So Cantu coming at him pretty hard. I, I don't know why he's criticizing him for the infinite second places in the World Series. It's pretty damn good to finish second at the World Series. So that's nothing to be ashamed of. Maybe frustrating for Daniel sometimes, but it's nothing to be ashamed of to finish second in any event in the World Series. But he's, he's also mocking him for losing to Doug Polk and for losing twice to Helmuth. He said he was absolutely dismantled. No, he wasn't. He almost had it. He was up 19-1 to 1 and lost, which sucks. And you could say it's a choke job, but he wasn't dismantled. He almost dismantled Phil in the first one. And then the second one, he was also up 3-1. So dismantles were that he just sits down and just gets crushed. And that wasn't the case in either match. So that's not really accurate. So I, I won't even say I agree with this criticism. I think, I don't know if Cantu even agreed with his own criticism. He may have just been trying to troll Negranu for whatever reason. So Negranu responded back. He should have just not responded, but Negranu couldn't help himself. He responded back, my book is open, laying minus 150 and will bet as much as you can borrow. Let's see if you can put your money where your mouth is. My guess, you are all talk, no action. So basically he's challenging Cantu, saying, let's play heads up and uh, I'll even put a minus 150 side bet. That is where Daniel would be the favorite. He's giving him uh, uh, extra money in a side bet where it's 1.5 to 1. He's saying, uh, I'll bet you minus you know, 1.5 to 1 that uh, I will beat you. So then Cantu said, never seen so much hype, worst play throughout one's career. Heads up only, I'm talking. Obviously, you're an incredible player where people could even take your heads-up game seriously anymore. Painful for anyone to watch, but I'm not turning it off. That's kind of a backhanded compliment. Saying, yeah, you're an incredible player, obviously, but 
heads up, you're terrible. I can't see where you could ever be considered a good heads up player anymore against anyone. <laughs> it's kind of two opposite statements. One, you're great, and two, at heads up, you're so bad. Like against anyone, you'd you'd be uh, considered a bad player. So then Negronis comes back with, let's go, Big Mouth. I'll lay you minus 150 in the next match. Either put up or cower like a gutless troll. My guess is you are all talk. Run your mouth, but won't back it up. So then I guess uh, Negranu sent him DMs, which is, I mean, that, that really is kind of tilting because it's one thing to respond the, to the guy on Twitter just to show that you're not taking this crap from Cantu, but to then send him private messages, what's the point of that? Like, no one's seeing the private messages except Cantu himself. So why, why taunt him with the private messages? I, I think Negranu answered that pretty well if he's going to answer. He said, okay, if I suck so much heads up, play me that I'm going to give you odds. And then... Cantu wasn't accepting, and so he should have just dropped it there. Well, instead, Negranu sent private messages to Cantu on Twitter saying, let's go, Big Mouth. Put up or shut up. Put your money where your mouth is. Either put up or shut up, you pussy. (laughs) That's privately he's sending this. So Cantu, of course, took these messages, screenshotted them, and then tweeted them out publicly and said, please stop the DMs, Daniel. I want everything public. What if I don't have enough time to hire a team of superstar coaches like uh, the real MJ Poker? That's some guy that uh, Daniel hired for the, to coach him. Couldn't imagine I'd have a chance. Look how much he's helped you improve over the years. Then he put the uh, laughing faces. So again, this is kind of contradictory. He's saying, well, I don't want to play you heads up because you can hire all these great coaches for heads-up play, but then he mocked it. It's like, oh, look how much you've been helped over the years, kind of mocking how he hasn't won any of these matches. So then Daniel said back, either put up or shut up. It's that simple, dude. Brandon says back, a washed-up pro like me with format you and Phil have? My God, to think Phil Helmuth, greatest player of my generation, is plus 150, I'd say I'm in the neighborhood of plus 230. My God, all heads up hype and expertise you have. Let's get let's ask the odds makers like Mike McDonald. So Brandon's basically saying, well, I'm not doing this to just be a 1.5 to 1 dog. I want to be a 2.3 to 1 dog. So then Negrano says, I'd play you too, but I feel it's only right you pay back all the money you scammed people out of and robbed. Deadbeat thief is what you are. So then... Brandon says, oh, silly Negranu, always go so personal. I say you aren't a great heads-up player, so minor and callous. Then you always try to make things personal. LOL, by scammed, robbed, you mean borrowed above my means as a high-stakes poker player eight years ago. Guilty as charged. So Daniel now is calling him a scammer from ripping people off in the past. And uh, Brandon saying, well, yeah, I borrowed some money I didn't pay back. And... uh, that wasn't intentional. It was just above my means when I was a high-stakes poker player. This is back in 2013. So, yeah, if you want to say that's a scammer, then I'm guilty. But I, I never scammed. I just borrowed too much. That's, that's <laughs> Brandon's defense. Cantu's been on this show, by the way. You can look this up. It was a number of years ago, but he came on. It was kind of an entertaining uh, segment. Negrounder then said, that's not how you. St- that's not how those you stole from, scammed, and robbed would put it. But okay, you borrowing money from anyone to play poker is akin to theft. You never had a shot to hold on to any money, destined for brokedom from birth. Monday, Brandon wins big open face, collects from Euro player. 
Tuesday loses it back and seven years later hasn't paid a cent. That's next level scummy move, dude. Special shit there. So that's a pretty serious accusation if it's true. He's saying that uh, seven years ago, and I haven't heard this story before, but Negreanu's playing that, uh, he's, he's claiming that seven years ago, Cantu was playing some European in open face for a lot of money and won big. And then the next day, continued playing this European and lost a lot of money, and then di- then didn't pay the guy. So he collected from the money on he collected from the guy on Monday after beating him, and then losing back to the guy on Tuesday. Then he just ran off. That's what Negreanu's claiming happened. Uh, from what I saw, Cantu didn't respond to that accusation, which <laughs> doesn't look very good. Cantu then said, "By the way, Daniel, not my style to go personal histories. Can you can see what you're trying to do?" I'll go deep as well, knowing you 15 years. Not my style, Miss Old School Poker Trash Talk. Facts are facts. You're not a closer in clutch on legacy shit. Just saying. Negreanu said back, if I had your history, I wouldn't want to bring it up either. You came at me totally unprovoked. Well, he's right. He did come at him unprovoked. Uh, Cantu just brought this up and was uh, mocking Daniel's results recently. Daniel really should have just ignored it. I... Don't agree with what Cantu's saying of, oh, you know, you shouldn't go back personal histories and, hey, Daniel, I know stuff about you. I've known you 15 years, but I'm not going to do that. I'm the bigger person here. That's basically what he's trying to say. And then Daniel said, yeah, uh, of course it's not your style to go back to personal histories because of how bad your history is. (laughs) I do have to admit, if you're going to compare histories over the last 15 years, uh, Daniels would stand up a lot better than Cantu's would. But I I also have to say that Cantu can't even complain about this because he did start up here. And obviously that's fair game. He was trying to troll Daniel. I think Daniel overreacted. I think uh, he could have made one comment and dropped it, but uh, really the best play there is just to ignore it. Anyway, I'm not saying I feel sorry for Cantu here. Obviously, Cantu is accused of some uh, behavior that isn't very good over the years. And I have to believe a lot of it's probably true or close to true. Then Brandon decided that he's going to consider this match after all. 9.02 p.m. on May 6th. This was all going on throughout May 6th. But this is now a few hours later. It was going on in the early evening at 9 p.m. on May 6th. Cantu said, I'm willing to wrangle up some big, big, big money. I need a fair line from Poker Shares. That's Mike McDonald's site. Don't worry, Danny boy. I won't waste your time if given a fair line. I want to fill helm with structure. You have a challenge. Maybe best of seven, same structure you guys now, you guys use now. So he's basically saying, I want to play the identical match you and Phil are playing. And we'll do best of seven. So uh, Daniel's stopped responding at that point. Daniel decided he's done. He, I guess he realized that he was giving this way too much attention. So then Cantu just went off. Cantu just started talking to himself, basically. 10 p.m. on May 6th. Can anyone even imagine the pressure Daniel has coming after all these second places in life? After getting smashed, he's down 0-2, then 0-3, then 0-4, then 0-5, then 0-6, then 0-7. You will be the new laughing stock of poker. Your new nickname will be Bridesmaid. And then he put laughing faces. Here's where it gets good. 
Daniel, I will make sure my infinite dollars is put up my big money crew and your hundred million or whatever you are worth these days by your lucky one quarter of one percent of poker stars share stock you had to get rich. Not from poker, you're a joke, which is contradicting what he said before. He was saying before he's an incredible player. Now he's like, only reason you're rich is because of uh, owning uh, 0.25% of poker stars, which I don't even know if it's true or not, but that's what he's claiming. He says, the difference between you and I, Daniel, is I will play for roles. We can play for your whole net worth. If you want, you will have my word. Odds makers make the best four out of seven line heads-up matches. Phil Helmuth blind structure with Poker Go filming. So basically, he's saying he's going to get massive money raised. He's not saying he has it. He admits he doesn't have much money. But he's saying that he can raise money through people he knows to back him against Daniel, but that he wants to play huge. He wants to play for Daniel's entire role, whatever that is, $100 million, whatever he thinks Daniel's worth. I don't think Daniel's worth $100 million, but he's saying, well, I think you're worth $100 million. Let's play for $100 million. I will get $100 million backing me on this, and you'll see. But we got to play huge. Don't want to just play big. We want to play huge, where it's going to really, really damage you if you lose. So he went on to say, hey, Daniel, why don't you ask in the shadows where the new crypto money is at? Let's play fucking big as you want, bro. I want to play bigger than you, pussy. Your Jake Paul money versus my Floyd May- Mayweather type real money. My crew versus you and your crew. Once the line is made, Daniel, my crew's money will be put up. You can fire your full net worth. Let's play, let, let's play, bro. Let's see your deposit slips. So Daniel, rewind the tape. Me and my crew's 100 mil raise versus you and your poor, not so poor crew for rolls. Whoever wins, you and your poor friends takes all. Fair line set. Poker grow. If you bring less than 100 million for friends, don't show. Legit shit. Pussy. <laughs> so he's basically talking to himself with all this stuff. And saying that he's going to raise $100 million to play Daniel, and that if Daniel does not accept this $100 million challenge, that he's a pussy. Yeah, so that's where I've got to get off the Cantu train at this point. I see why Daniel stopped responding to him. Now, let's say that Cantu really could raise $100 million, which I'm sure he can't. But let's say, let's say he knows someone or some, several someones who can back him $100 million, can and will, against Negreanu. Let's say Negreanu's net worth really is $100 million. Would Negreanu want to risk his entire net worth on this, on a heads-up match, even a series of head-up matches? That would be a big mistake, because if you run bad, you're broke. There's a, there's a matter of uh, how much you're willing to risk. If Daniel really has made $100 million in his life, or has $100 million to his name, why would he want to put this all on the line for a heads-up match against another poker pro, even when he thinks he's better than? Why would he want to put that all on the line? It wouldn't make sense. That's very poor bankroll management. In fact, that's what got Cantu into the trouble he's in now. Cantu will admit that he doesn't have a big role at this point, and it's not because he's a bad player. It's because he's been very irresponsible with money over the years, and that's pretty well known that Cantu hasn't been responsible with money. So Cantu is willing to put it on the line. But anyone who just constantly puts their entire bankroll on the line is destined to go broke. So number one, I don't believe that Cantu could raise anywhere near that type of money. I I have my sincere doubts that he could raise 1% of that. I doubt that Cantu really could 
wrangle together $1 million to face Daniel Negreanu. But definitely not $100 million. But even if he can, Negreanu not accepting that makes sense, unless Negreanu gets some very wealthy backers behind him to where he's not personally risking that much. Now, Cantu is saying it is not to be all your money. You can get your group of people together, your crew, and raise your money. But this looks kind of like posturing. This looks like one of these things that you're making a challenge to someone that you know, even if they think you might be BSing them, they don't want to accept. Like, let's say somebody said to me, you know, I've got a big problem with you. So here's what we're going to do. Um, you put together a personal army of your own. I'll get together some dudes on my side. And then we're going to go somewhere and, and, and shoot at each other and see who's the last man standing. So let's see. You're going to do it, pussy? Like, no. Why Why would you do that? Like, why, why would you risk your life for this? Like, what would be the point? So this isn't about risking your life, but it's about risking your entire bankroll. Like, why? Why would Daniel do this? Even if he thinks he's better, why would he do it? Now, if he thought Cantu was such an incredible fish that he almost couldn't lose to him in a best-of-seven match, yeah, then he'd say, okay, let's go. But this is one of these things where Daniel, just in case Cantu can somehow raise like a ton of money through people he knows, Daniel doesn't want to commit to something huge like this, which would be devastating to his bankroll if he ran bad. And Cantu knows this. That's why he's... If Cantu said, okay, Daniel, that's it. I'll do it. Let's have a challenge. And let's have the challenge be for... One million dollars. Then immediately Daniel would say, I call. Let's do it. Because he, he just played for that type of money against Polk and lost it. So Daniel just lost $1.2 million to Polk. And he knew he could easily lose a million or more to Polk. So... Obviously, Daniel would play someone who's not as good as Polk for the same money. So he knows he can't challenge him for something like that because Daniel would accept. He's got a challenge for way more so Daniel's afraid to accept. But Daniel, he wouldn't even have it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even respond. He realized his mistake. He said, ah, shit, I should not have answered this guy in the first place. I also don't think Cantu's serious. I think that Cantu is just... Uh, Talking trash. By the way, 38 minutes ago, Cantu posted a picture supposedly of himself with Elon Musk, who is on Saturday Night Live right now as we speak, at least on the West Coast. He was already on for the East Coast people. But it's a picture of him with Elon Musk, but it's a weird picture because it's got like some blurriness to it. It could easily be a Photoshop job. But who knows? It's possible Cantu could have been at some party where Elon Musk was and they took a picture together. But he just posted, this is an Apex Predator photo that's in reference to Helmuth saying at one point Apex Predator shit about himself. But this is an Apex Predator photo, Daniel. Bring your soy milk, my 12 million and fund your glass of soy milk and 27.6 million pussy. And then he added Elon Musk. Hashtag legacy shit, bro. Back it up, pussy. <laughs> this could be a fake picture too. It's hard to tell. There's something weird about this picture. Like it's it's got this weird blur spot in the middle. Like why would that spot even be there? And he easily could have had his head photoshopped onto this. Who knows? I mean, maybe he met Musk at one point and took a picture with him. 
That doesn't mean you're friends with him. It means you were with him somewhere and said, hey, can I have a picture with you, Elon? Yeah, sure. It's funny stuff, though. Like, I, I don't even think that he's being serious here. But who knows? Maybe in his head he is. He also tweeted this 52 minutes ago. Which club do you subscribe to? Apex Predator? And then he has, like, emojis of a dinosaur type shit. Or second place, where's my soy milk club? Back your shit up, Daniel, as real greats do. Pussy. <laughs> it's funny because he's not even getting responses except from a few people who are mocking him. There's a few people mocking him. But that's about it. Like Nobody's even taking any of this like the slightest bit seriously. So I don't know if he's melting down or if he's just trying to get on Daniel's nerves or both. This this went from like semi-reasonable to crazy very fast. By the way, according to CGen in chat, not sure I know who CGen is, but CGen said, tomorrow is Cantu's 40th birthday. Negreanu should give him a gift and accept. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know he's 40 already. It's kind of scary. I remember him as like a young guy. I remember him as like one of these young punks of poker. Now he's going to be about to be 40. So what does that make me? Like if, if I saw him as the young guy and he's about to be 40, that says I'm pretty old. Well, at least I'm not 50 yet. Close, but not there. All right, let's move on here. Let's talk about myself. I want to talk about something I did. Zed Run is a virtual horse stable system. You may be saying, what? Virtual horse stables? Yes. You... uh, acquire and breed and race horses but these are not real horses they are virtual horses they have no connection to any real horses it's all pretty much a game and it is on the ethereum platform and it has become a big craze it has some similarities to nba top shot which is starting to fall out of favor somewhat because uh of all the fail they've had with their site. But this has been a very big trend in 2021, these NFTs, where people are spending real money, and in some cases big money, to acquire some sort of uh, digital asset which doesn't have any real tangible value. And it's not a cryptocurrency. Sometimes it's uh, based on uh, the same technology as cryptocurrency, but these are not cryptocurrencies. These are actually assets, digital assets. Like in NBA Top Shot's case, you're buying uh, little video clips, which you don't even have the legal rights to. These are just ones you uh, can just say you own the way you could say you own a baseball card. You don't have rights to that card. You just physically are holding the card. On NBA Top Shot, you're holding the particular clip, which people are assigning a value to. And the only reason it has value is because people say it has value. You could find the same clip on uh, YouTube for free. So these have exploded in popularity in 2021. And a lot of people in poker who are always looking for ways to make money or to get in on things like this have... People have gotten into this sort of thing in the poker community. And then it finds its way over to me and I decide... Do I want to bother with this? Is it stupid? 
Am I buying into a fad that I'm going to lose my money? Or is this something I'm getting in early enough to where I can make money from it? I have to admit, I lost enthusiasm for Top Shot. I talked about that earlier this year, but I kind of lost my enthusiasm with all the fail it had. I think a lot of people did. But Zed Run, which has some similarities to Top Shot, is actually more fun than Top Shot. It's a little more complex than Top Shot. And that is currently the craze that I'm seeing at the moment with these uh, NFT-type assets. So let me explain more about what Zed Run is, and then I'll talk about what I did with it on Friday. So I found out about this through Willie McFML, who actually also brought my attention to Top Shot, and I stupidly let a month pass before I did anything, and it was a pretty uh, critical month that I shouldn't have let pass. But Zed Run, he brought up on Poker Fraud Alert, and like an idiot, I ignored that too. But this time, unlike the previous time with Top Shot, I did get going with it early enough to where I was present for one of the major events with it, which I'll get to in a second. But anyway, Zed Run, which you can find at zed.run, is a system where you can buy or breed virtual horses and race them, and the horses uh, will take on real money values that uh, you could then trade. You can can sell them to people. You can take, if you have a male or female horse in your stable, everybody, whenever you make an account on Zed Run, you have your own virtual stable. So you can put horses in your own stable and then breed within your stable. And then the horses that uh, will come from the two horses you breed will have value. And you can either keep those horses or you could sell them, or you could breed more horses from the horses that you just bred. So uh, you can do these type of things, and then you can race them. And also, depending upon how you your horses do in the races, they either go up or down in value. There's also horses that are just used, you can just use them for breeding. You can choose to do what you want with them, but you, you have to make this decision. So if you have a horse, do you race it and then risk it going up or down in value, depending on how it does? Or do you just keep it and use it for breeding, where the value would be kind of in the middle, and then race the ones that are the offspring from it. And there's various bloodlines of these horses. Of course, this is all virtual. These aren't real bloodlines, but there's the, the virtual bloodlines these horses have, and some bloodlines are better than others. And the better the bloodline, the better the offspring will be, and the more valuable the offspring will be. And then at any point, you can sell these horses to other people, and transfer them over. And uh, if you sell them for more than you paid, then you've made money. And that's that's the real appeal to those in poker, is that this is seen as, a, as an investment, as strange as that sounds. That even though some of these horses are quite expensive, in fact, a lot more expensive than these Top Shot cards were, uh, even though some of these are quite expensive, that you can turn this into big money. And in fact, if you don't even want to play the long game, you can turn around and sell some of these immediately and make an immediate profit. So uh, that right away becomes appealing because those who want to bail out of it can just immediately bail out and make money. Another good thing about Zed Run is that uh, since you don't need some person processing cash outs for you, you always have control of the Ethereum which you're using 
to buy these horses. So basically what you need to do to get going in Zedrun is you have to install this uh, extension on Google Chrome. And then uh, you need to go over to, this is the, I'm talking about the desktop version. And then you would go to the site, log in kind of like through that extension. And that what that extension does, the extension is actually an Ethereum wallet, which connects your Ethereum to their system. And then you convert your Ethereum to another uh, cryptocurrency called a W Ethereum, W-E-T-H. And uh, you actually use a W-E-T-H to do the transactions on there. And that, uh, the reason they're using WETH, which is actually wrapped Ethereum, uh, some people refer to it as, as W Ethereum, uh, that is, you can use that cheaper for transactions. The transactions are cheaper on W Ethereum. So that's why, that's, I assume that's why they're using W Ethereum there on their site rather than just Ethereum. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency, if you haven't figured this out already. So it's one of the biggest ones. It's smaller than Bitcoin, but I, I think it's number two. So uh, if this is sounding complicated, it's actually not as complicated as it sounds. You basically get this Google Chrome extension and make an account there. You go on Z.run. You click a button to connect the two. Then you acquire Ethereum in some way. You buy it, whatever. You can even buy it through their system. Send the Ethereum over to that wallet, which is connected to Zedrun. And then once it's over there, then you just convert it to W Ethereum. And then you have the currency that you can use to buy these horses. So that's the, that's the very basics on how you get started there. And then, then there's a lot you need to learn about the horses and the breeding and the different bloodlines. But over time, you can kind of under come to understand that later. Believe it or not, it's not even that bad to just go to these drops, the drops are where they're releasing new horses that you can just buy, to go one of these drops and just uh, just buy the horses and th- that are part of what they call the Genesis uh, horses, the, the ones of the top bloodlines that they're releasing at the beginning. Once you get some of those, you've already got something valuable, then you can learn about the rest later. So it's one of these things where you can buy first and ask questions later. One of the rare things in life where it's not even dumb to do that. And that's kind of what I did. I didn't fully understand it when I was buying these horses, but I, I knew I had Willie to help me, which I appreciate. And I also knew a lot of poker players were doing it. I, I, I knew it, it, from what I could tell, it seemed like a good idea. Like it seemed like, and I wasn't risking huge money on it, which I'll, I'll get to in a second what I chose to risk versus what I could have risked on this whole thing. So the big drop of where a bunch of these horses were going to be released was on Friday, May 7th. And uh, what they were releasing was what was known as the Genesis horses, which are rated from Z1 to Z10. Z1 are the best horses with the best bloodlines. And Z10, they're still not bad. They're just, uh, it's just the worst of the Genesis ones. And then what will happen is you can start breeding them that from that point, And then that'll create horses that are higher Z numbers, but, but can still be good and still be valuable. And the good thing is you can actually make your own horses by breeding them, either by if you have a male and female yourself or if you partner up with somebody else and and uh, put your horses together. So to show you what the prices were, this was definitely not cheap if you want some of the uh, 
upper tier horses. Uh, Chris Moneymaker participated in the drop that was on Friday afternoon. The drop was separated between the afternoon and the evening. So they had uh, a series of drops between like 12 noon Pacific and and 2 Pacific, and then one that was uh, uh, starting at 6 p.m. Pacific. So I'll get to what was going on in those drops shortly. But Chris Moneymaker did the earlier one. I did the later one. And Chris Moneymaker actually bought a horse for $37,000. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> he just dropped thirty-seven k on a virtual horse. You could buy a real horse for cheaper than that, a lot cheaper than that. Yeah, he... He tweeted, I just paid 37 k for a fake racehorse. Not sure if I'm smart or stupid. <laughs> now, Willie responded that it'll, it'll be worth 100 k soon. So maybe Chris is the smart one here. I didn't want to put that much money into it. I actually could have. Like, I, I had that much in cryptocurrency sitting online. So I, I could have converted it to Ethereum and then spent something like that. But I, I chose to go moderately big, but not 37K big, not even close to 37K. The prices, for the most part, was as follows. There is some analysis on the prices that were, uh, that were going. From what I remember, the prices were, uh, it ranged from in the low hundreds for the Z10s all the way to... Uh, like what Chris paid 37000 for the Z1s. And the ones in the middle, like the Z5s and Z6s, the Z5s were 3000 something, and the Z6s were about half that. The Z6s were about 1500 and it would go down from there. So even the mid-grade ones, the Z5, Z6, were uh, 3000 1500 things like that. And then, you know, if, if you don't want to spend that type of money, the Z9s and Z10s were, were three figures. In fact, uh, low three figures. So, as I mentioned, there were two drops. How do you get to be part of the drop? Well, you have to set up your account, and then it was going to email you a link when it's time for your drop. And uh, as I mentioned, the drops were split into two phases, and it it supposedly didn't matter which phase you're a part of. They're supposed to be equal. But there were two phases. There was the 12 p.m. drop, which there were six waves to it. Waves meaning every 15 minutes they have another one. And then the 6 p.m. Pacific time drops, again with six waves. You would get an email with a link to your wave. So there were basically 12 drops, and you'd be getting a link to one of them. Okay, makes sense. And then when you're there, it presents all the horses you can buy, and basically first come, first serve. Uh, whoever clicks fast enough and, and spends their W Ethereum fast enough will get the horse, and it'll be part of your stable. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's not the way it went. Unfortunately, like Top Shot, there was some fail. First of all, they made a really boneheaded mistake in how they came up with the way the drop was run. You know that link I talked about that they're going to email you? Well, it turns out that while there were unique links for each of the 12 drops, it turns out that each link was not specific to you, which means you could share it with anybody and then they could be part of that same drop too. (laughs) In fact, it was possible, and not even against their rules apparently, 
to be part of all 12 drops if you simply could acquire all 12 links for those six waves in the afternoon and six in the evening, which is crazy. Like, why not just open it to everybody if you're going to do that? Why, why send out a link that people can share with their friends that will work for their friends and apparently it's not even against the rules to be sharing? In the email, it actually said, we recommend you don't share this. Not that it's prohibited, not that you'll get in any trouble. We just recommend you don't share it. <laughs> what does that mean? We recommend you don't. So, as you might guess, people were sharing them, and as the day wore on, it became tougher and tougher to get these horses because people were participating in multiple drops. The way they should have done this was made each link specific to one person. So, once a link is used, it cannot be used again. So, if you give out your link to somebody else, then you just simply will not be able to be part of the drop again. They also could have made it to where each link specifically applies to each account. So even if you give it out, it won't work for anybody but you. That's the way I thought it was going to be. But they did it in a very simplistic fashion, which uh, was kind of weird. And they didn't even say that's the way it's going to be. People kind of just realized this over time. That was one of the problems. Another problem was that the system just wasn't very robust. Once, Once it got all these people, once so many people shared the links, the system bogged down and slowed down and people were having a hard time making purchases. So your the drop would start at 6 o'clock, 6.15, whatever wave it is. You'd go over there, and you'd see the space where the horses are supposed to appear, and it would just be blank. And you'd just sit, 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 sit. You'd wait for them to appear. They don't. You'd refresh. It still doesn't appear. You'd refresh again. It still doesn't. You'd, you'd refresh thinking, what's wrong? Maybe it's my computer. Maybe it's not my, my connection. No, it's none of these things. It was actually that the system was bogged down on Zed Run's end. And... Uh, Finally, it would appear, you'd see a horse, you try to buy it, and you'd get back the heartbreaking message, sorry, someone else already bought it. You go, okay, maybe I was a tiny bit too slow. You get back there, and then you would see that same horse still listed as for sale, the one that said that someone already bought. <laughs> so it wasn't even like off the list. Someone would go off the list, but some of them would not. Someone would just stay on the list for some reason that is unknown. That's another big problem. Another issue they had was that people could purchase multiple horses. So anyone who is able to get through that is not having these problems for whatever reason, or it's running better on their end, they can just keep buying, 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 and and sucking up all the horses. I don't know why they didn't put a limit either a hard limit on how many horses you can get, period, or a limit on each category. So maybe you can get at most two Z, two of any of these Zs. So two Z10s, two Z9s, two Z8s, and maybe also a hard cap on total number of horses. So maybe no matter what categories, you can't get more than six horses, for example. I'm just making this up. They didn't have that. You can get whatever you could afford and manage to get through past everybody else. And if you could participate in all 12 waves, if you knew how to do that, you would have a big advantage. But that wasn't the only issue. There's another big problem. Apparently, and this is counterintuitive, you would expect it to be the other way around, people who were doing this on mobile had a huge advantage over those on computers. According to a tweet that was from earlier today from uh, the Crypto News, it said, straight scam action very sad for crypto heads to deal with this. And that's in response to 
ZGazette.com saying that uh, uh, that I guess there was somebody else. Never mind. But uh, but apparently this uh, crypto news analyst showed that people who had mobile were able to easily get through, maybe through a different system or whatever, but the mobile system was not freezing up like the desktop system was. So while people like myself and Willie were just seeing the system not populate with horses we could buy, people on mobile, it was just showing up right there. So while the rest of us were refreshing for the first few minutes, these guys on mobile were able to just rapidly buy, 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 buy. But let's think about something. How much can you buy? Remember, you had to have the W Ethereum already. You had to have sent Ethereum there and then converted it to W Ethereum. So without anyone knowing this was going to happen in advance, how could people have had so much W Ethereum to spend on all these horses? Well, they didn't. So what did they do? They bought up all the cheap ones. They bought up the Z9s and Z10s. So what Willie and I both noticed was it was very difficult to get Z9 and Z10s, like impossible. They were on the list, but every time you clicked on a Z9 or Z10, it was already taken. So we just could not get a Z9 or Z10, which are the cheaper horses. Now, interestingly enough, the immediate resale value of the Z9 and Z10s was the best compared to the price paid. The Z9s and Z10s, which you'd get for $100, $200, were selling for over 1000 on the aftermarket. Whereas the other horses all went up in value, but not a factor of five or 10. So the cheapest horses were also giving you the best return on investment if you're going to turn around and sell them right away. So these guys who were getting through on mobile, and I don't know if the word got around that mobile's better. I didn't hear about this till after it was all over. But those who were getting through on mobile were just able to just stock up on the Z9, Z10 horses and then keep them or resell them. Another problem was that for people who didn't have as much money to invest in this, they just weren't able to get into it. If you had more money and you would have also liked to have some some of the cheaper horses, then you could still buy some of the less, uh, some of the more expensive horses and still be into the whole thing. But if you don't have 1500 to spend, if you only have 200 or 400 to put into this whole thing, you need the Z9s and Z10s and they just weren't available because everybody uh, grabbed them up who were on mobile and didn't have these same issues. I guess, again, it must have been like a different uh, platform, a different system that was processing the mobile interface. So some of these stables just have like tons of horses that are Z9, Z10s where everybody else has just about zero. So that was a fail. So let's get to what I did. I had to decide how much I'm going to put into this. Well, I decided what I was going to do is I was going to convert $5,000 worth of my cryptocurrency into Ethereum, which is like about 1.4 Ethereum. And then I was going to transfer it over there, convert it to W Ethereum, and then get what I get. So the budget of what I was willing to put into this whole thing was 5K. I wasn't necessarily going to spend 5K, but that was the most I was going to spend. And it was going to be pretty obvious because the once I'd run out of W Ethereum, it, it, it wouldn't be trivial to acquire more very quickly. I could acquire more from my Bitcoin, but it would take some time. And by then the drop would be over. So 5K was it. 
I didn't know why I was having such a hard time buying the cheaper horses. I was trying to get some of those too, but I was bricking. So what I did when I noticed those weren't going as well, and also because I wanted some of the more expensive ones anyway, I decided to shoot for these mid-level horses. And uh, seeing that the Z4, Z5s were like 3K, is a little too much for me. I wanted to get two horses at least, and I only put 5,000 into this. I decided to go for Z6s. So when it was all said and done, I ended up with a male Z6 and a female Z6 horse, which is good. I also had a third female Z6 horse, which didn't go through, which is very annoying. It said, it said, okay, processing. And I thought, oh, sweet, I got it. And it turned out I did not get it. It came out with a failure in paying for it. And it was a very weird error message. Like it wasn't descriptive. It didn't explain what was going on there. It was just like a, an error and then Willie explained to me that he had seen someone else complaining about the same error. And what this really meant was that me and somebody else got it like almost the exact same time and they were a tiny bit ahead of me. So that's annoying. The system couldn't have seen that and not give me the false sense of hope I got it. But when it was all said and done, I ended up with a male and female Z6, which is good. At least at the moment, it's good. So I have one, and these, these were pre-named. I didn't name these, but I have one called Unhand Me. That's my male. That was the one I got second. And then the one I got first was Takero, T-I-Q-U-E-R-O, Takero. And she's my filly. And I will be breeding the two. Unhand Me and Takero are going to have a baby. And then uh, we'll see where we go from there. PLOL, former member of uh, Poker Fraud Alert, who's good friends with Willie, he got a Z5. So even though PLOL is not a member of Poker Fraud Alert in good standing, uh, because Willie gave both of us uh, significant help in this whole thing, and Willie did not get any uh, high-end horse. He has a lower-end horse from before, but he doesn't even have one as good as, as a Z10 to my knowledge. So uh, what we're going to do for him is uh, me and PLOL, who is a gay band former Poker Fraud Alert member, are going to breed. <laughs> I kid you not. I would not have guessed last year if you told me that me and a band gay member of Poker Fraud Alert are going to breed, but we are. And it really is true. He really is a band gay member of Poker Fraud Alert. He's not banned because he's gay, but he is a banned gay member. But we are going to breed, and we're going to breed for Willie, so he can have a horse that's the product of our horses that he assisted us in understanding how to get. And I'm also going to breed my two horses. So uh, unhand me, we'll be breeding with uh, PLOL's horse. And we'll see how this goes. The breeding hasn't started yet, but it may start as soon as tomorrow. And I don't know how long it takes for the breeding to be completed and how long it takes until the horse can then breed it, breed after that to breed other horses. I don't know. I'm still learning. But if you're interested in this, and by the way, I could turn around and sell both of these right now for a profit if I wanted. So... If I were to get cold feet, which I'm not going to get, but if I were to say, you know what, this is stupid. I can't believe I spent 3K in Ethereum on these horses, on these fake horses. I could turn around right now and make a profit. Like, 
right when radio's over, I could sell them and make some decent money. Not huge money, but I can make decent money if I sold them right now. But I'm not going to, especially since I have a male and female, so that gives me an advantage that I can breed myself. And, you know, hopefully I'm at the, in the ground floor here and this will continue to appreciate and hopefully this becomes a big thing. But there's a lot of excitement about it. And part of the reason people like the Zed Run so much is because there's, it's more than just collecting things. Top Shot, which is by collecting things. This has more elements than just collecting. Here you are collecting, you're breeding, you're racing. So there's, there's a lot more you can do with what you have. There's more strategy to it. So people are really enjoying this. And remember, the whole thing is in Ethereum. So whatever I sell these for would be in Ethereum. So presumably if Ethereum goes up, then that also would help me. Now you can say if Bitcoin goes up too, or if it goes up more than Ethereum, then converting it to Ethereum will have hurt me. And that's true. Now I have to pay a little attention to how Ethereum's doing. But I'll give you updates with how this is going. Someone asked me the name of my stable they, they saw by searching the site. They saw it's called Bab Stables, B-A-B-B, Bab Stables. And they said, why Bab? Where, where did that come from? Bab is actually a city in Montana, which is near Waterton and Glacier National Parks, Waterton's in Canada and Alberta. And Glacier is in Montana, and uh, it's actually a connected national park that crosses an international border. But Bab is in Montana. It's not in the park, but it's near there. And uh, that's what it's named after. Why would I name it after Bab? That's kind of an inside reason I won't go into. But uh, that's what it's named after, is Bab, Montana, which is an interesting place, a very scenic place. Um, there's a steakhouse in Bab where I've eaten before. So I have been to Bab. But there's a steakhouse I've, I've eaten at in Bab, and it, it looks a lot better than it is. When I walked into that steakhouse, I had very high hopes for it. it. It wasn't a gourmet steakhouse. You wouldn't expect a gourmet steakhouse in rural Montana, and it wasn't. But it kind of looked like a small-town steakhouse that's going to be surprisingly good, and it wasn't. It was mediocre. But... They do get a lot of tourists there. It's not like a tourist trap town, but they get a lot of tourists that are passing through from Glacier to Waterton. So that drives a lot of the economy there. And therefore, the steakhouse, it doesn't need to be as good because people they're not going to get that much repeat business from a lot of their customers. A lot of them are people out of the area. So that's what allows a lot of restaurants that aren't that good to continue staying in business if they're just going to get passing through customers rather than repeat customers. It's kind of a weird place too. Like you go upstairs and you're on this kind of like uh, you're on a second floor, but then there's like a big hole in the middle so you can like look down on the first floor. It's kind of like a high ceiling for the whole place that's for both the first and second floor. But the first floor is a bar. The second floor is the restaurant. It's all kind of like wood. It kind of, you know, it looks cool. The place has kind of a cool look to it. It just wasn't that good. Anyway, we'll see where Bab Stable goes from here and... I will give you any updates on how it's doing. And if I get any more horses, or if one day I wake up and the whole thing's gone and I've lost all my money. (laughs) 
I'm not risking that much, though. More than I did on Top Shot, though, that's for sure. Okay, so I'm going to take a break here. Done a lot of nonstop talking with no break. So now we'll take a break. Rest my voice. We'll talk about a restaurant resort fee when we're coming back. Never heard of that before, but apparently that's a thing now. Talk about a sports book at Chase Field, the win at full capacity, Colorado having real no limit hold'em, and some coronavirus news, and then we will be done, and then I will have a lovely Mother's Day with my mother, which is actually a reason I have to finish this up in reasonable time, because I don't want to sleep away the entire Mother's Day. So we'll be back shortly. Eric Benzamokin is going to be doing work for me on May 12th. He'll be asking for attorney's fees at the hearing, what might be the final hearing for my matter with Mike Possel. It is very possible after May 12th, that'll be the end of it. The end of it could come in a few ways. It could be that uh, we are denied attorney's fees. It could come that they tell us that we will be getting zero point zero. And they could also be telling us that we're going to do a lot better than that. For all I know, they could be awarding me $100 billion. I mean, they could. be hard to collect from Mike Possel, but they could. I think the most likely result is somewhere in between there. Not $100 billion, not 0.0. Whatever I am awarded, I'll have to make effort to collect, and I'll be competing with uh, Veronica, who's going to be going through a similar hearing, I think, early next week. And I don't know if I'll ever get anything. I'll try. I will try and I will not forget. But first I have to be awarded some attorney's fees before I make any effort to do that. If I'm awarded zero, there's nothing to collect. And in fact, if I'm awarded zero, it's all over. Unless he refiles against me, then it really is all over. Then I get no attorney's fees and there's nothing to collect and he's dropped the case. So that's it. It's totally done. There will be no more hearings unless he refiles against me, which I think is unlikely. So then it'll just be totally finished, not with the result I wanted, but totally finished. If I do get some fees, then there may be some things down the line regarding trying to actually acquire the money. The case has already been dropped, as you know. What they're going to be doing on May 12th is they are going to be determining whether my anti-slap motion was likely to have won. So they're not going to hear the whole motion. They're just going to kind of feel it out and see, is it likely this would have prevailed had the case not been dropped? If the answer is yes, then I'll be awarded fees. If the answer is no, then I will not be awarded fees. So we shall see. That'll be on May 12th. It is unlikely it will be delayed any further. And that will probably put a close to the whole thing, aside from any possible collection efforts. So I will tell you guys about this next week. That's why I didn't really make much of a topic of this is because it hasn't happened yet. There's not much to say other than it's coming up. So just watch for it on May 12th. And I'll even post on the forum what the result is once I have the result. I always leave the possibility open that things won't go as well as I hope. I'm not really a pessimist, but I'm not an optimist either. I kind of try to be a realist. And I try to set expectations low a lot of times when there's uh, a lot of variables involved. Anyway, Eric Benzamokin did a 
Great job with this. Very happy I chose him to represent me. If you need him to represent you in any legal matter in California or any federal case or you need arbitration or mediation anywhere, he's your man. Very sharp, very knowledgeable. You've heard him on the show. I think you'll agree. I'll be happy to send you all the filings he did so you can see an example of his work. If you don't want to just take my word for it, you can judge for yourself. So here's his ad I've played many times. I'll eventually cut a new one for him. I keep meaning to do it, but just haven't done it yet. But I'll eventually cut an ad that's more general rather than just about arbitration and mediation. And just know you can email him about any uh, legal matters and he can represent you in a wide variety of areas, especially if you're in uh, California or you have a federal case. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration where he decides who's right and mediation where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around even if you don't have a dispute at the moment because you never know when one will come up and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back. I'm going to do a bonus topic for you. Wasn't planning to do this one, but I saw it on Facebook today and figured I'd bring it up because it might help some people. And Whenever I do a segment like this, I always have people texting me saying, oh, I'm glad you told me this because this saved me some money or this reminded me to do something, whatever. Like, for example, my colonoscopy segment inspired several people of the right age to be getting uh, colonoscopies, and that was good. So this is not going to be about colonoscopies, but it's going to be about a dental billing scam that was reported today 
on Facebook by Nolan Dalla. Nolan Dalla, a longtime figure in poker, and he posted this on his public Facebook. Not only was this to everybody who follows him or that is friends with him, but he actually made it totally public where anybody on Facebook, friends or not, can look him up and read this. So I normally am not going to expose people's private business, even things they post on Facebook for the friends that they have uh, added to their list, because I never know if they want it completely public. But he made this as a full public post. So I am going to read this to you guys. Then I'll make comment. And in fact, I made comments to him at the time as well. The title of the post is A Kick in the Teeth. (laughs) I went to the dentist today. Like many people, I hadn't done any dental work since COVID hit, so I wasn't sure what to expect. Fortunately, I had no issues, but the dentist did recommend teeth cleaning. And here's the story begins. I booked with a new dentist. And then he said, which one? I won't bother to name them. But uh, it's a dentist in Vegas. He booked a new one because of insurance issues. He said, while sitting in the chair with metal instruments in my mouth, the dentist told me the insurance only covered the, quote, standard cleaning, but he recommended a deep cleaning. Since it had been nearly two years since the last cleaning, I agreed. I figured the standard cleaning is usually $75, so what's the deep cleaning cost? A few hundred dollars, I guessed. Well, I agreed to pay out of my own pocket. The dentist told me I'd get a 20% discount. Oh, joy. No reason to nitpick and ask for the price up front, I surmised. How much could a deep cleaning cost? Well, they did the cleaning, and then the polish, and I was done in 20 minutes. No dental work was performed whatsoever. I was pleased with the experience. Then it was checkout time. I handed the lady at, my de- at the desk a debit card, and the charge came back for $528. She even noted I got the 20% new patient discount, so the normal p- cost was over $600 for a teeth cleaning. Well, they took me to the cleaners, all right. There was nothing I could say. I just looked at the paper, shook my head, signed the slip, and chalked it up to naivete. But as I was driving home, I got madder about it. And then I looked up deep cleaning pricing for a dental online and saw the charge almost everywhere is around $200. How the hell was this a $630 task? Okay, now everybody can help. What's a deep clean normally cost? Has anyone ever paid even close to this amount? Am I just behind the times on dental pricing? Comments and feedback welcome. What a kick in the teeth. So... I have a lot of experience in this area, so I gave Nolan an answer, and I'll give you guys the answer because it might end up applying to you too. First of all, and I've mentioned this before on the show, there's a lot of scam dentists out there, not ones who are pretending to be dentists, not ones who don't actually perform work, but ones who find ways to either do work that's unnecessary or overcharge you for the work they're doing. Some of this is driven by insurance because there are some ways to code things for dental insurance for the dentist to get paid more for basically the same job. Now, the same idiosyncrasies occur with doctors, so the same sort of thing happens there too. However, with dentists, they have more of an opportunity to scam you, and that is because with dentistry, a lot of things you can't see, you just have to take their word for it. So if you go to the doctor, you know what you're going for. Something hurts, uh, something is concerning you, or you're getting something checked out, but you're, it's always pretty clear what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, there, there's sometimes scams with doctors as well, but it's a little bit harder. With dentists, you don't know if the cavities they say you have, you really have. They can show you an x-ray and explain it to you, but there's a lot they can do with that too to trick you. 
And with things like cleaning versus deep cleaning, you're not going to know which one you need, right? So there's a lot in dentistry between unnecessary work or overcharging you for work that uh, you don't need or for doing a cheaper procedure and calling it more expensive procedure that they can pull on you. Now, some of this is pulled on insurance companies. And one scam that is done a lot is the quad scaling or deep cleaning scam. So a normal cleaning is where the dentist goes through your mouth or usually it's the hygienist doing it, but whatever. Someone at the office goes through your mouth, sometimes with an instrument that uh, sprays salty water to kind of uh, grind off whatever stuff has stuck to your teeth that you can't get off by brushing or flossing. Or sometimes they'll use a metal instrument to scrape it off. But uh, they'll go through your mouth and scrape off plaque and tartar as they find it. And uh, like Nolan's thing, it takes 20, 30 minutes. Then they polish your teeth with something similar to toothpaste, and then you're done. And as he mentioned, that usually costs around $75, and, and some dental plans will even cover it completely. But that's not very lucrative for the doctor. They don't make big money. Even if the dentist is not doing it, uh, he still has to pay the hygienist. He still has to pay all the other expenses of the practice, and it just isn't making them very much money. And you're also occupying a chair which could be occupied by a patient who's uh, there for something a lot more expensive. So what dentists noticed is that there's a periodontal procedure called a quad scaling. And that is when you have such a major problem with plaque or tartar that it's actually gotten under your gums and that it's something that requires uh, very close attention, a lot of scraping, a lot of effort on each tooth. And the reason they call it a quad scaling is usually there's so much to do with each tooth that it would take about an hour or at least an hour's appointment to do it for a quarter of your mouth, that it would take a long time just to do a quarter of your mouth. So a quad scaling is actually where they're doing such a deep cleaning and so much uh, scraping off of, of tartar and so much going under your gums that it's going to take uh, way longer than an average cleaning. Therefore, they get paid a lot more, which would make sense, you would think, if it's a lot harder than a cleaning where they're just scraping off some tartar here and there and scraping off some plaque and that's that and they get it done in 20 minutes. If they have to do this thing where a quarter of your mouth takes longer than that, if it takes you know 45 minutes to do a quarter of your mouth, of course they've got to get paid more to clean your whole mouth. If they got $75 for that whole thing, it would be three or four hours of work and obviously that wouldn't be fair to them. So that's the reason insurance companies pay more for quad scaling. So you may be saying, well, where's the scam? This all sounds like it makes sense. Well, what actually denotes a quad scaling versus a cleaning? I mean, the way I explained it, it sounds like it's very clear, but let's look at it cl more closely. What about something in between? What about something that's a little bit harder than a regular cleaning, but also not quite as involved as a quad scaling where they would take uh, close to an hour to get a quarter of your mouth done. Which one is it? Is it a scaling? Is it one of those deep cleaning, deep cleaning scalings? Or is it a regular cleaning? Which way does insurance pay? And how does the insurance company determine which, how much to pay, which procedure it is? Well, the answer is they don't. The answer is it gets submitted to the insurance company by the dental office and the insurance company, with no way to tell how much work was actually done in your mouth, they just rubber stamp it and pay. 
So, what do you think the dental office like submitting to the insurance companies? A bill for a quad scaling, where they did several quadrants. Remember, it's only a quarter of your mouth. So, what if they did all four quadrants? They get paid four times. So, let's say they pay $225 per quadrant, which is common. They'll make $900 for that cleaning. So you think they're better off billing for that or billing for a regular cleaning where they get 75 bucks? Which one? And it's all subjective. The insurance company doesn't say, hey, send us proof you actually did the quad scaling. They just believe you did it. Now, they do limit this to where you can't get this done every three months or six months. I think you get uh, one of these per year covered by your insurance. So this way, dentists can't just uh, keep doing this over and over to the same patient and keep billing 900 bucks. But you see the problem here is that the dentists are incentivized to bill it the scaling way rather than the cleaning way. Now, what if you don't have insurance, which uh, it looks like Nolan had, he had kind of like a lower end insurance. And that's, that's not a slight against him. A lot of these dental insurance plans just don't cover very much. It's not very good. I don't even have dental insurance for that reason. But uh, it looks like they only cover the cleaning and they don't even cover the quad scaling at all. So for patients that don't have insurance, they're quite happy to take the money from the patient. They're quite happy to call it a quad scaling or a deep cleaning, charge you the quad scaling price that the insurance would have paid, and then you get the bill and you can't believe it. And they say, well, sorry, that's the price. So this is a scam. It's one thing if your mouth is in such bad shape with the tartar and the plaque to where they really have to spend a ton of time where it's really going to take three hours to clean your whole mouth. It still doesn't make sense to me why you're paying a higher rate anyway. To me, it makes sense that you they should basically be paid by time since it's the same hygienist doing the same work. They're just doing longer. So if it's, if it's really going to take, uh, let's say, if it's going to take 80 minutes instead of 20, they should get paid four times as much, not 12 times as much. doesn't make any sense. It should really be based upon the expected time spent. But that's the price structure that the insurance companies set up a long time ago. So these dentists have all tried to push it over to scaling. Not all, but a lot of the shadier ones do. Now, but what if you really need the scaling? Well, I know about that because I do. Uh, I inherited being prone to uh, cavities from my dad. So I need this scaling. And I, I also just tend to build up a lot of uh, plaque and tartar for whatever reason. So uh, I need to go in to have this done. And uh, I actually haven't. I, I'm going to be making an appointment probably on Monday because I, I haven't during COVID. So I can imagine how, it, how much work there's going to need to be done right now. But uh, I get the uh, actual scaling done. So you may wonder, without insurance, am I paying $900 each time? Of course not. What I did is uh, I negotiated with the dentist beforehand, knowing I actually need this, but knowing that I shouldn't have to pay $225 per quadrant just because they can bill the insurance company that way. I just call the dentist that I'm considering going to, which I've been going to the same one for a while. This isn't a new dentist, but I call up and I, I, I'm honest with them. I say... I want to go to you long-term. You're going to get a lot of business from me for these cleanings. But um, 
I don't want to pay the normal quad scaling rate because it's very high. I understand the insurance pays you a lot for it, and that's great, but I don't have insurance. And uh, I want you to do this for what basically you'd be doing the cleaning for multiplied by the amount of time you spend on it. So I'm not trying to make you do a long job for the same money. If you do a longer job, I'll pay you for a longer job. I just want to pay basically the same rate. So I, I negotiated a much more reasonable price. So usually when I get my quad scalings, uh, it's actually not a quad scaling for me. It's more of a dual scaling. Usually I have them do half my mouth on one visit, half my mouth on another visit. Each one takes about uh, eh, 45 minutes to an hour. And then I pay each time about you know, $130, which is much better. It's much more reasonable. So basically they're doing almost two hours of work and I'm paying them 260 so I don't feel bad about that. That's that I think is a fair price. And uh, the funny thing is, the dentist I'm going to at first turned me down, and I said, "Okay, that's no problem. You know, it's it's up to you what you want to take." But I'm just telling you, I'm going to be a regular customer here for years. I'd like to come here, but uh, this is what I'd like to pay. I understand you can charge more, but I'm looking for someone who won't charge more. And I've had other dentists in the past, including the one I was using in Las Vegas for many years when I lived there. I've had other dentists in the past agree to this. So that's what I'm looking for here. So I'd like to go to you. If you're willing to agree to this, then you have a customer. And the guy thought about it again and said, "Eh, yeah, okay, let's do it. So we did, and I've been going there ever since. But if we didn't have that deal in advance, they would have billed a lot more. But I went in knowing this. Now with Nolan... It was much worse because I really needed this. And they were really doing the work for me. It was just a matter of how much I was going to pay. With Nolan, what happened is they outright scammed him because they only did 20 minutes of work. His whole mouth that supposedly needed this deep cleaning because he hadn't been there in two years, his whole mouth was cleaned and polished and he was out of the chair in 20 minutes. That is not a quad scaling. That is not a deep cleaning. That was just a regular dental cleaning. In fact, probably not even a very good one. If they got the whole thing, including the polish done in 20 minutes, that was not a deep cleaning at all, and he should not have been billed that way. There's not even an, any kind of subjectivity to that one because of the speed it was done. I can understand how he might need a quad scaling or a deep cleaning after two years of not going to get cleaned, partially because of COVID, but then they need to do it. Then they need to spend the time on it. But here, here he got the worst of both worlds. He got the bill as if they had spent a lot of time. And yet they spent 20 minutes. So I told him he got scammed. I said, you need to call them up. Now, he paid already, unfortunately, but I told him he needs to call up and uh, threaten to publicize this and also threaten to post a bad review and, uh, and then also never go to them either way. Even if they do give him some money back, never go back there because that's, that's the sign of a scam office. And, and he agreed. He, he thanked me for my input there and told me he was hoping I'd respond because he knew that was uh, the type of thing I'm uh, good at giving analysis of, and he didn't even know that I have personal experience with it because I really get these scalings. The reason I'm telling you guys this story is because you all go to the dentist and you all get cleanings and you need to really watch out for the uh, any kind of uh, deep cleaning or quad scaling or anything else that they claim they're going to do for you. If they claim you need it, do not agree to it. And tell them why. Tell them, I know this is several times more expensive. So say, I, um, I, I would still like the regular cleaning instead, 
but if you really would like to do this, then I'd like to negotiate the rate here because I know the rate you bill the insurance is very high and I don't want to pay that rate. I just, I don't want to pay many hundreds of dollars for, for a cleaning. And you can even say, you know, there's dentists that will do this for much cheaper, the same thing for much cheaper. And if you do agree to a deep cleaning, first of all, negotiate the price. Don't be afraid to, you're going to get a crazy bill. And second, if you do it, make sure that they understand that you're expecting it's a real cleaning. And you can say that politely. You can say, well, okay, this is, how long is this going to take? If they say 20 minutes, then say, forget it. That's not a deep cleaning. If they say it's going to take 45 minutes, an hour, or you may need to split, split your mouth up, do the top one visit, the, second, the bottom of the second visit, then it's a real deep cleaning. And still, you shouldn't be paying more than 100-something uh, per visit of those. So two times 100-whatever is what you should be paying, really if you negotiate with them. And if they say no, which they might, then say, okay, well, then uh, no thank you. you. You shouldn't just do what they say. You always need to sanity check everything, especially something new. If it's something you've always been doing, fine. And then there's some things you can't really sanity check. If the, if the dentist says you have a cavity, you can ask them to see it, but they'll show you something that looks convincing and you'll have to nod your head along and say, okay, let's do it. But uh any major dental work that they're suggesting, especially if it's one either they're doing themselves or referring you to a dentist, I would watch out for and I'd get a second opinion. Anything like a root canal or an extraction or an implant, um, I, I would get a second opinion before that. And uh, if they want to redo work for another dentist, that's another big scam where the, you'll go to a new dentist and look in your mouth, they'll badmouth the previous dentist and they will tell you all the work that they need to do uh, and, and nothing's bothering you, I wouldn't do it. And if you really want to do it, I would go to another dentist for a second opinion on this and not even tell them. Just have them examine you and give their opinions if it matches. I actually had this situation. I, I went to a, a dentist, uh, the one for the root canal, and when he looked at my mouth, he was showing me... There's a different one that does the cleanings, but... Uh, he looked at my mouth and he said he was showing me some things that a previous dentist had done that need to be redone. I'm like, oh no, here comes, <laughs> I wonder if this is a scam. But by the end, I was convinced it wasn't because he was also showing me what doesn't need to be done. He said, well, look at this one here. You know, so He's showing me specifically, he said, this is where I, I don't love the work here, but you know, it's fine. If it's not bothering you, there's no point to do anything now. If it, if it somehow hurts you later or things get stuck there later, then maybe you should do it. But for right now, uh, I, while it's not my favorite work, I, I would just leave it. So I'm thinking, okay, if he's saying this, either he, this guy's really good at, at scamming, at dentistry scamming, or he's honest. So some things he said need to be redone. Some things he was saying, okay, you know, this, this, this doesn't need to. It it's, doesn't look the best. Show me exactly why. And then said, but now I wouldn't do it. So I'm thinking, you know, if a dentist is going through my mouth and telling me things that he doesn't need to do, then that is a lot more of a reason to trust him. But you never really know. So you always got to be careful with dentistry. Also, some dentists, not all, but some dentists are only dentists because they could not get into medical school. <laughs> so watch out for that too. It, uh, sometimes you're getting the medical school rejects. Some of them are also just people who just always wanted to be dentists and didn't want to be a doctor. So I'm not saying all of them are. I'm just saying that that uh, can sometimes lead to a uh, lower quality of care overall in dentistry. So you just got to really, really be vigilant, not believe everything they say. And anything new that's introduced to you that sounds like it might be expensive, or even if it's 
doesn't sound like it would be expensive, like what happened to Nolan. Watch out for the deep cleaning. Watch out for redoing work. Watch out for major work suggested. Watch out if every time you come in, there's a new cavity and you didn't have that problem before. If you've been prone to cavities your whole life and you go to a new dentist and he, has this, he says you have five cavities, you probably do. But if, if you've had relatively few cavities your whole life and then you go to a new dentist and he sees four of them, uh, you might have to go to a different place. Also, look at reviews. If you see reviews of a dentist that they're always suggesting work that isn't necessary, do not go there. If you see like one or two bad reviews with a bunch of good ones, it's probably okay. But if you see a number of bad, especially bad and believable reviews about uh, unnecessary work or scamming or any price bullshit, anything like that, run the other way. Do not go to that dentist. So just watch out with dentistry. That's all I got to say. It got Nolan, but uh, hopefully it won't get you. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about another charge that's unexpected. And this is at the Paris, Paris, Las Vegas. A vlogger, and also I think somebody else on Instagram, uh, they claim that they found a disturbing thing on the bill at a restaurant there. A restaurant resort fee. Ah, boy. What is a restaurant resort fee? You know what a hotel resort fee is. What is a restaurant resort fee? How could there be a restaurant resort fee? What would that even be? How would that work? Well, it's like it sounds. A restaurant resort fee. It's like the same thing they do at hotels, except it's at a restaurant. So I'm going to play a video here from a vlogger, and he will explain it, and I'll stop it every so often to comment. What's up, guys? So I'm doing a quick video here for you that uh, something that came across my way as I saw this, it kind of caught my eye because I have not heard of this yet. Here in Las Vegas, there is a new fee in town at some restaurants in Las Vegas. So do a quick video on this because I am planning to go live tonight. So if you guys haven't subscribed yet, make sure you do subscribe and hit the notifications. I am planning to go live tonight. Um, so this came across my way on Twitter. It says, you know, it says WTF is RRF question mark. And it was this bill this person had from Cafe Americano at Paris. And you see down here the subtotal, the tax, and there's this RRF that adds a few dollars to it. And there's no definition for it. Person didn't know what it was, um, you know, along with their $28 double cheese bacon burger. So people are looking at this and the question is like, well, what is this? And I, I answered because I'm going to show you guys here. I just found out what it stands for. It's restaurant regulation fee. So I actually called and asked them what, what this is. And that's what the guy told me to help offset the cost from COVID. But before I replied to it, people were saying, you know, that it was someone said it stands for Restaurant Revitalization Fund, which is a grant program the federal government was doing for restaurants where, um, you know, they don't have to pay back this money as long as they use it as they're supposed to. So I think that's what a lot of people are thinking it stands for. But um, no, this is not a grant, or at least what I was told, and it has nothing to do. They didn't mention the word grant or anything like that. So it's just another fee tacked on to restaurant uh, bills here in Las Vegas. So I already retweeted this out. But so this is going on at um, Cafe Americano, which they have two locations here, which, by the way, if you are going to call this phone number, it doesn't work. I called this twice and it doesn't work. The phone number on their receipt. So if you Google search it, you'll find it. They actually have two locations, one in Caesars Palace and one inside Paris. And they're both doing this um, uh, restaurant regulation fee, this RRF on their on their bill. And they have another spot 
in Las Vegas here in the Venetian Palazzo. Uh, but this place, this restaurant Mercado here is not charging it yet. Um, they're not charging it yet, but it seems like they're going to. And these, all three of these, so Mercado and both the uh, Cafe Americana locations are part of this group called V&D Restaurant Group, which is, sounds like they're bigger in Florida than they are here in Las Vegas. But this is the restaurant group that's added this in. It's a 4% fee is what it is. So whatever 4% of your bill is, they're going to add that onto it. So they're big shows here in Miami, Las Vegas, and Mexico. Hey, let me stop this here. So it's not that important where they are. Uh, so let's talk about this, this uh, restaurant uh, regulation fee, which some people are calling the restaurant resort fee. So it's not actually really a resort fee, but it is similar to resort fee in that it's being tacked on. And... Is this going to become a regular thing, and is this okay? So it's a 4% fee, as this guy explained here. And uh, so on this particular bill, it was uh, an $83 subtotal, which 4% of that is $332. And they claim that this is to offset losses they took during the pandemic. There's also been some claims that this is to pay for things that they have to do in order to keep you safe from COVID, extra steps they have to take, extra expenditures they have to make to make the place COVID safe. Uh, this is BS. This is pretty outrageous. This is the cost of doing business. Uh, offset losses due to the pandemic, okay, then raise the prices. You can, they can raise the price whenever they want. And if you don't like the prices, you can walk out. So you're, any restaurant can charge whatever they want to charge. They can charge way more than the food's worth, whatever it is. As long as they are honest about what you're getting and what everything costs and you don't like it, then you don't have to order it. You can just walk out. You could even sit down, say the prices suck and walk out. So here they are tacking it on as a fee, which is just a money grab. They're just pocketing the money. I'm not sure if this... RRF allows them to uh, keep more of it than if they really were to charge it uh, on the normal bill. And you may wonder, what do I mean by that? Well, I saw something similar that was pretty obnoxious in LA. And in LA, when there was a lot of pressure that the workers at restaurants don't have employee-sponsored health care, some restaurants said, you know what, we're going to step up. We're going to do the right thing, and we're going to buy health care for our employees. And people said, oh, that's, that's nice. That's great. Well, but of course, how are they going to pay for this? Are they paying for it out of their profits? <laughs> of course not. No, 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 no. What these restaurants decided to do was they were going to pass it on to the customer as a fee. Now, if they wanted to pass it on in the form of higher prices uh, for the food, that's fine. Again, then people can decide whether they want to eat there or not. And if the prices have gone up on the food in order to pay for this health care and people choose not to go there, then the business will suffer for it and maybe they won't suffer. Maybe people keep coming and they'll still be busy and uh, and they can give health care to their employees and still make the same money and everybody wins. But uh, to not have this on there as a charge that you know you're going to pay except if it's at the bottom of the menu in fine print, which it was in this case. I don't know about this RRF, if this was anywhere printed on the menu. But either way, if you're not totally upfront and obvious about it, then it's pretty shady to do. Well, I actually knew somebody 
who was in ownership of one of the restaurants that was doing this. And I went to them and I said, look, I, it, it's up to you what do you want to do with your own business. But I'm reading the Yelp reviews and people are just clobbering you on this. There's people who say they like the place otherwise, but they, instead of giving you five stars, they're giving you three stars because of this fee at the end for the healthcare. So you're only charging a few percent. Why not just tack it on to the cost of the food? They're not going to notice. It's a, it's a few dollars more for each thing. Like it's a, you're already a fairly expensive restaurant. No one's going to notice if you charge a few bucks more and then just pass it on for healthcare. You could even put at the bottom of the menu that uh, this is a place that pays for the healthcare of, of all the employees. And people will like that. People will think that you're a good owner. So why are you doing it this way? All you're doing is inviting bad reviews, and I don't suggest it. It's up to you what you want to do with your own business. But in my opinion, I think this is a big mistake. And what the person said back to me was, I have a reason for doing this because I have an agreement with the landlord that I have to give them a certain percentage of all gross receipts, that uh, that's part of the way I pay rent here. And some restaurants have this. I, I wasn't aware of this until this person told me. But some restaurants don't just pay a flat rent in order to uh, prevent themselves from uh, being crushed by the rent until they can start doing well. Some of the rent is tied to how well they actually do, where the rent is essentially a tax on whatever they bring in of all their gross receipts. So if they have more business, they pay more rent. If they have less business, they pay less rent. So that's in the contract. So this guy told me that this was in his contract and that by making a separate fee for the health care, he doesn't have to pass that on to the landlord, whereas if he just raised the prices of the food, he'd have to give you know X percent to the landlord and it's less efficient that way. So he said he wants all the money that he raises the price to go to the healthcare, not only a certain percentage and, and some of it going to the landlord. I go, okay, that, that makes sense. But the problem is you can't explain all this to the customer. So to the customer, it just looks like a, a shady fee you're tacking on at the end that they didn't expect. He's like, oh, I put, I printed on the menu. I go, yeah, you printed in small print on the menu. I go, the, the problem is here. I understand what you're doing, but the, the, you're getting a lot of bad reviews over this. And having bad reviews for your restaurant on Yelp or TripAdvisor is a killer these days. And I said, I really suggest you do what you want, but I really suggest you, you drop this thing. Uh, he didn't listen to me, but I mean, it was a polite conversation. It wasn't like we were arguing, but I was trying to give my opinion as kind of an outsider. But anyway, uh, this reminds me of that, except it's worse because it doesn't even have the noble intention of paying for employees' health care. At least, at least this stupid charge I was talking about in L.A., was for the goal of raising money for the health care of the waiters and waitresses and, and the cooks and stuff like that. So, like, at least it was going to a good cause. <laughs> but uh, it, it was, it was kind of shady in the way it was being charged, but at least it was going to a good cause. But here it's just going to the pockets of this restaurant group that runs Cafe Americano, which is in Caesars and Paris. And let's go back to my example about the L.A. restaurant. Cafe Americano is probably, well, not probably, it is owned by a third-party company. So it's not Caesars owned. And that's important because they are renting the space from Caesars in both cases, because Paris is a Caesars property. So they are renting the space 
And it's very possible that they have a similar agreement with Caesars that they're going to give Caesars a certain percentage of gross receipts. And I think that's the most likely explanation for why you're seeing that charge being tacked onto the bill, this RRF, rather than just an increase of the prices by 4%. As you heard the guy say, the price is already quite expensive here. This is just a cafe there. And yet the, the double cheese bacon burger was 28 bucks, <laughs> $28 for a double cheese bacon burger, which is crazy. Even at a nice restaurant, that's pretty outrageous. So with prices this high already, let's say they raised it by 4%. I mean, is, is a 4% of, uh, of $28 is, is roughly a dollar. So if they charge $29 instead of $28 for the double cheese bacon burger, would that be really any more outrageous? Like, would you say, well, I would have ordered this if it's 28, but I am drawing the line. I am not ordering this double cheeseburger because it's 29. 28, yes. 29, no. Like, there's no way. So obviously, they're not afraid to raise the prices by 4%. Obviously, there's some reason they are splitting it up. And I've got to think, this has to do with one of two things, either tax, because I noticed it's separate from the tax. I see it says subtotal 83, tax 695, RRF 332. So it's possible also that they are doing this so people don't have to pay tax on it and that it, it actually lowers the bill a little bit. Uh, it's also possible that uh, it's more possible that this has something to do with the percentage they give to Caesars out of the gross receipts and that they don't have to do that for this RRF thing. And this might even be some kind of agreement that they're allowed to charge up to 4% because of the pandemic. It's something like that. There's some reason they're separating it out. Now, this doesn't matter for the customer. It's shitty for the customer. The customer expects to be paying whatever's on the menu price plus tax. And then, of course, they're expected to leave a tip. But that's it. You don't expect this weird RRF. Yeah, sure, it's only 4%, but it, it shouldn't be there. Like, you're not expecting it. Even if it's somewhere in the fine print of the menu, you're not expecting it. It's very non-standard. It is like a resort fee. In fact, it, it even has initials like a resort fee. Or it's just RF at the end. RRF sounds like restaurant resort fee. That's what people are calling it. So this is pretty shady. And I think uh, this shouldn't even be allowed. This really shouldn't be allowed. Even with a more noble purpose, like in L.A., they shouldn't have been allowed. When I read about this, I, I like at first I, I asked the owner of that restaurant. I said, uh, "These reviews is that, is that really true? Are you really doing this?" And you know, I explained what he was doing and why. But that that's pretty dumb. Vital Vegas commented on this. He said, uh, "As if twenty-eight dollar double cheese bacon burgers weren't generating enough profit already." Yeah, exactly. Like they, they're definitely making a nice profit there, and they can definitely look forward to a very nice profit going forward with Vegas being jammed like it is and will be for the remainder of the year because everybody who's wanted to go to Vegas and didn't because of the pandemic, they're, they're now coming in. And it's just going to get better as time passes and more people are vaccinated and the COVID problem goes down and the casinos are allowed to open more. So th there's no reason to tack this on there even if they can this is one of these things where putting it there may cause enough bad will for the business to where the extra 4% does not, it's not worth it. 
so I, I, I think this is dumb, but it's even possible there's some sort of permission to charge this that the government has given. I don't know if it's the federal government or the state government or the county government, but they may have been given this ability to charge this tax-free as, as a fee to recover from COVID. And, and this is the problem is I can even see where this sort of thing would have become permissible on what looked like was a reasonable request where a restaurant owner says, or a group of restaurant owners say, look, we're getting killed during this pandemic here. Yeah, fast food's doing great. Anything with a, an existing strong takeout setup is doing well. But any restaurant that counts on dine-in and doesn't really have much of a takeout uh, element to it is getting killed. And that's true. For the past year, uh, up until recently, these restaurants were really getting destroyed. A lot of them went out of business. And I feel for them because this wasn't their fault. Because a pandemic comes and they happen to be uh, the wrong industry to be in during a pandemic. And who'd, who'd expect that? So I, I feel for restaurant owners and what they went through. But the problem is that they probably ask for something like this and say, hey, we, you know, we, we need to be able to tack on some kind of fee to recover from all the losses we took during the past year. And probably they were granted the ability to do this for 4%, to like a tack of 4% tax-free surcharge on there that they just pocket in order to, quote, recover from what happened last year. And at first thought, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, they deserve this after everything they've been through. But when you look at it, it's, it's a scam. It's it's something you're they're doing to trick the customers, where customers are being forced to pay 4% more than they expected. And that's the same problem with resort fees, is that people should know the price before they get the product or service. So you know there's going to be the base price. You know there's going to be government taxes. And in the case of restaurants, you know there's going to be a tip, which you decide how much to give. And that's it. There shouldn't be other fees. And if there are, it's a scam. Even if it's allowed, it's a scam. So I understand why people are pissed here. So it is not a resort fee, but it's very shady. In general, if you go to Vegas... um, you should try to not eat at these cafes. They tend to be the worst value. If they're the only thing open late at night, then so be it. But uh, they usually have fairly high prices, and you might as well go to a higher-end restaurant, even in the same hotel, which will be a little more expensive, but a lot better quality. Here you're kind of getting like kind of mediocre-quality food for very high prices. So I, w- I wouldn't recommend things like Cafe Americano unless it's the only thing open. If you can, look for good places to go off strip because there's there's some pretty good restaurants off strip that cater to the locals market that aren't way marked up because they're on the strip. But if you do go to strip places, try to go to strip places that are higher end, at least, because you're getting better value, strangely enough, than these... Uh, Strip cafes where you get the worst of both worlds. Okay, so uh, moving on, I want to talk about the Caesars Sportsbook that is going to open in an unlikely place. So sports betting is really rapidly changing in the U.S. regarding the legalized market. For a long time in the U.S., sports betting could only 
be in Nevada. And this is because of a law known as PASPA. P-A-S-P-A, which is the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. Three years ago, in fact, almost exactly three years ago, on May 14, 2018, PASPA was overturned. It was a 26-year-old law passed in 1992. And the law was passed in order to prevent... uh, to prevent athletes from being bribed, to prevent organized crime from getting to athletes and getting them to throw games. And back in 92, things were different. Things The athletes, even professional athletes, made a lot less money than they do today. So this affected both the professional and amateur sports because amateurs, even though they don't make money, like college athletes, they the major college sports, they feed into the professional leagues. So a college football player who's very good and expects an NFL career, uh, he is expecting he's going to make a shitload of money in the NFL, and he's not going to screw around these days taking bribes to throw games in college, even though he's not making money yet, because if he's caught doing that, that'll ruin his entire professional career where he can make huge bucks. So back before they were making huge bucks in the NFL and in the other leagues, then it was easier for organized crime to get to some of these players and bribe them to throw games. But uh, it has become much harder simply because of the money factor, simply that the players who have control of the outcome, the, the, the key players in the game, just there's no way to pay them enough money to potentially throw away their career, given how lucrative their careers are at this point. So that basically did away with a lot of the game throwing and the cheating through organized crime and sports betting. And that really changed the entire reason for why PASPA was somewhat of a sensible law back in 92, which required only Nevada being the place where sports bets are taken. And the reason they chose Nevada is because Nevada already had a strong... uh, gambling regulatory body and Nevada had no major professional sports teams. So it's a lot harder for a syndicate in Nevada to reach the athletes of teams outside of Nevada. So this is a way really to prevent organized crime from getting games fixed. But with all the changes that I just described by 2018, this no longer made any sense and it just was unfair to the other states that wanted sports betting but couldn't have it. In fact, this was the only law I knew of on the books that allowed something in one state and didn't allow it anywhere else. I'm talking about federal laws. Some state laws allow something that the other states don't, but I've never seen a federal law that says one state can do this, the other 49 cannot. So that went away. In May 2018, that went away, and it was up to each state whether they want sports betting. And of course, not only do they have to legalize it, but they have to set up regulations to regulate sports betting once they legalize it. California does not have it yet, but many other states do. Sports betting is rapidly expanding, and it's still very popular. In fact, sports betting is more popular than ever, and that's why so many states are legalizing it, because they want to get a piece of this pie. They're tired of the bookies, and the offshore sites making all the money. 
they want to keep this money in the U.S. and in the regulated casinos. Makes sense. And the states want a piece of it too, in a form of taxes. This has really changed the way sports betting is viewed, whereas before it was kind of something the professional leagues tolerated but claimed not to like, at least publicly claimed not to like, to something that's openly become part of the game now. Now it's it's a foregone conclusion that the games are going to be bet on, and all the major sports leagues are not only okay with it, they're actually making partnerships with places that provide legalized sports betting, which you would have never guessed a few years ago could ever happen. But the weirdest thing I've seen so far, well, maybe aside from the Vegas Golden Knights actually partnering with a scam tout service, aside from that, the weirdest thing I've seen to have spawned from all of this was the news that the Arizona Diamondbacks were making a partnership with Caesars to actually have a place where you could bet on sports at their home ballpark in Chase Field. So yes, once this is in place, you can go to an Arizona Diamondbacks game in Phoenix at Chase Field and bet on sports while there. Actually, while at the stadium. And it's going to be run by Caesars. So this agreement has been struck. It's not there yet. If you go to a Diamondbacks game tomorrow, you're not going to see it. But this agreement has been made, and it's going to get going. Arizona is a place with legalized sports betting. So now they basically need to set it up there, and it'll get going. That's pretty insane if you think about it. If you think about where we just were a few years ago, that this sort of thing would exist. This was just announced, this partnership between uh, Chase and Caesars. Caesars is actually going to be a partner of the Diamondbacks in this. It's going to be uh, mobile sports betting in Arizona. And there's going to be a live brick-and-mortar sports book and bar that's uh, on the plaza adjacent to Chase Field. So it's not actually going to be in the stadium, but it's going to be in the little plaza where the field is to where like right outside the stadium you can bet. So I guess you can't just get up in the middle of uh, the sixth inning and walk over and bet on something, but you can bet right before you walk into the stadium. And I guess if you want to walk out of the stadium and back in, you could do it too. But it, it would make more sense to bet on mobile, which is going to be part of it too. So this deal is for both the mobile sports betting and for the uh, exclusive sponsorship in sports betting and daily fantasy sports for the Diamondbacks. They also have a multi-year agreement with Major League Baseball to become an authorized gaming operator of the league. So this actually affects all of baseball too, not just the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks president Derek Hall said, we went through a process to identify the ideal partner that would bring experience and the strongest of reputations in legalized gaming. Caesars is considered the cream of the crop. Oh, okay. I wouldn't go that far. With our philosophy, when it comes to professionalism, brand presentation, and customer treatment, and brings its best-in-class William Hill mobile sportsbook product and retail sports betting expertise. Yeah. You know, when it comes to professionalism and customer treatment, I, I know you always think Caesars. <laughs> 
Equally important, we went through our strong due diligence to find the industry leader in the education and execution of responsible gaming. Yeah, sure. Sure, that was a big concern. Tom Reage, the CEO of Caesars, said, We have long enjoyed successful gaming operations in Arizona. They're referring to uh, Harris Akchin, by the way. And are delighted to expand into sports betting alongside the Arizona Diamondbacks. Together, we have the opportunity to create new ways for baseball fans to engage with the game both in person near the ballpark and online anywhere in Arizona. Our ability to tie those into Caesars Rewards Network will create an unbeatable experience for any sports fan. So they will be putting a uh, sports book, sports bar, and broadcast studio at what used to be called the Game 7 Grill on the Plaza at Chase Field. So again, it's not in Chase Field, but it's right next to it. And uh, right now, sports betting isn't quite available in the state. It's been legalized, but I guess it's not quite there to where it's uh, actually allowed yet. But that's why they made this agreement so they can be all ready. So uh, this partnership with Caesars is going to be integrated into marketing efforts. So there's going to be signage. There's going to be uh, mentions on their websites, and uh, there's going to be pushing of Caesars products to the Diamondbacks fan base. So if you're a Diamondbacks fan and you're on the Diamondbacks mailing list, expect to be getting advertisements for Caesars products and probably that uh, mobile betting suite. Uh, Expect to get advertisements for those in your email box soon. So look at this. Look at all the, 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 the legalized sports betting has now expanded to the baseball stadium. Now, if you are a sports better, you're probably curious what kind of lines are going to be offered. Are these going to be viable lines where they're uh, what's known as dime lines on baseball? Where, for example, if the Diamondbacks are playing, let's just say, the San Diego Padres, and let's say the Padres are a minus 145 favorite, um, will the Diamondbacks be plus 135 to where the two numbers are 10 cents apart, 135 and 145, or are we going to be seeing the 20 cent or 25 cent lines where you'll be seeing things like 125, 145, which just means there's double house juice. So the dime lines are beatable if uh, you're a skilled baseball sports better. Still not easy, but beatable if you're very good. Uh, a 20 cent line is not. 20 cent line you're not going to beat. It's kind of like 6 to 5 blackjack. So really when you see a 20 cent line, it is a recreational book aimed only at recreational gamblers and it's unbeatable even if you're good. I mean anything's beatable short term, but it's not going to last. There's no way to overcome that type of juice. Just too much juice. So the question is what kind of line are we going to see there? It is going to be run by William Hill. William Hill does provide 10 cent lines, but will they in Arizona? And the question is hard to answer at this point because we don't know all the details yet. And it's possible the fees and taxes that will have to be paid to the state will be too much for them to be able to charge a 10 cent line and be profitable, in which case they may charge 20 cents. It's also possible they'll charge 20 cents because they're just greedy. And they figure that most sports bettors won't know better because most sports bettors are recreational and don't know what they're doing. The downside to having a lot of gamblers not knowing what they're doing 
is that the games all get worse. Because the only way the games don't get worse is if the gamblers revolt against it and say, no, I won't play. If they don't know the difference, they get raped. And that's basically what's happening in all the casino games. That's why there's the triple zero roulette. That's why there's the six to five blackjack. All these things that would have been unheard of in the 80s and 90s are now appearing because they're realizing that the average gambler has no clue what they're doing. They just want to have fun. They want to feel like they have a chance to win, but they don't want to really delve into the game and understand it. They don't want to understand the odds. They don't want to understand what's good, what's a good game, what's a bad game, what's good rules, what bad rules. They, they just want to sit down and get lucky. That's all they want. They want to sit down, have fun, get lucky. And that's very different, different from the gambler 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Those gamblers wanted games that were uh, not a huge house edge. And they knew the ones that were, and they knew the ones that weren't, and the ones that weren't wouldn't get people. They wouldn't survive. So unfortunately, gamblers have gotten dumber over time. There's more people gambling, which is part of the reason that they've gotten dumber. It's because uh, gambling is not uh, as much as a niche interest as it used to be. It's expanded more to the masses. And now the average amount of knowledge that each gambler has has gone down. It's uh, a similar phenomenon to when there was the poker boom in the 2000s. When I I talk about Vegas, when I talk about Vegas issues, it's like uh, there's a disturbance in the Vegas force and it wakes someone up to come on this show. Is this this a dumb gambling show? It is. I I knew this topic would bring you out. It, it, you know, I just turned it on, and I, that's what I heard. I'm not, I don't get paged. I don't have a PFA radio beeper. Uh, none of that. How you doing, buddy? Okay. I just had a feeling. I, I should have said it beforehand, but I, I just had a feeling when I start talking about these type of topics, it's going to bring Brandon out, and here you are. I literally just heard that it's a niche topic or niche topic gambling, and I just called in. I didn't hear anything else. <laughs> what? Uh, what's the backstory? No, I was just talking about how there's a sports book opening soon at uh, Chase Field for the Diamondbacks and the deal they have with Caesars and all that. And I was just I was discussing whether they're going to have a uh, have good lines or they're going to be these twenty cent lines that are unbeatable. And you know what's funny? When I was a kid, I could name. And I'm talking like eight, nine, ten years old. I can name every stadium that a baseball team played in, Major League Baseball team, a Major League football, a NFL team, and an NBA team. Now I don't even know if I'd get a quarter of them right because they. I, the point I'm making is, if I, I read in the the thread before I turned it on and I saw about, you know, the, that's where the Arizona Diamondbacks play. If I hadn't seen that and you asked me where Chase Field was, I I never would have guessed that's where Arizona plays now. So what? What about you? No, if same I same there, thing. I, I I I've lost track of a lot of them too because they've changed so many names. Yeah. And also, it's not for some reason it just isn't as memorable if it's named after a company like Chase. Well, Chase is everywhere. You know, Chase is here. Chase is in New York. The New. York. So so right. yes, they have a headquarters in Phoenix. Yeah, they're based in Phoenix. But you have to know a lot about Chase to know that. So like you hear Chase Field. It doesn't immediately pop in your head, oh, that's uh, that's Phoenix. Where These other stadium names, a lot of times it would have something to do with where it is. And it would be or, more or at least it's Or at least it's regional to some degree. Yeah. But it's funny. I thought about that. I used to be able to name every stadium now. I mean, now I can obviously, you know, do the legendary ones. But these new ones, 
So anyhow, what are these going to be like kiosks, or is this going to be like a self-serving? No, like, I, I, it's it's a it's a full sports book, but it's not going to be actually at Chase Field. It'll be a little plaza next to Chase Field, and uh, they're actually going to have a broadcast booth there. Maybe we can do PFA Radio there. And it's uh, funny. They're, they're and Major ha- League Baseball is supportive of this. Yes, yeah. It's it's it's. In fact, they have a separate deal with Major League Baseball at Caesars now, so they're they're really integrating the whole thing. Gambling is being uh, rolled into baseball big time. Wow. And huh. and also they're going to get access to the Diamondbacks uh, mailing list. They're going to start email spamming everybody's stuff about Caesars. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny how much progress gambling has really made in the last, I mean, 10 years. Well, that's what I just talked but about. I, I said because of, of PASPA that, that got repealed three years ago, just about almost exactly three years ago, that just it really opened up the floodgates for sports betting and, and everything that comes along with it. I mean, just to tell people, give people an example of how much things have changed. When I uh, first moved here and as recently as 15 years ago, you could not bet in Las Vegas on UNLV. They were so paranoid that that would create an influx of attempted, you know, point shaving and people would contact, try to contact the kids and things of that. So you couldn't bet on anything in that was in the state of not just UNLV in the state of Nevada, Reno, you couldn't bet on university of Nevada, Reno. Um, you know, just to think now and and not even that, this is another really funny thing. Uh, and I'm sure it probably is the same thing now to some degree, but when the Maloofs owned, the Palms, for example, what could you not bet on? As soon as the Palms opened, what was the one team you could not yeah, bet on? Yeah, the Kings. You walked into the Palms. Sacramento Kings. Yeah. yeah. And then for a while, there was some ownership interest of the people that owned the Golden Nugget. It's not the same owners now, but I, I believe it was when they had this reality show. I never watched it, but do you remember the Golden Nugget was on a Yes, yeah, I remember, show? I remember that failed reality show. Yeah, it, it was very yeah, staged. It was yeah. terrible. It was staged. It was awful. Yeah, so they had some sort of interest in the Boston Celtics at the time. So I remember when you walked up to the sports book, there were signs posted everywhere that you couldn't bet on the Celtics, which was very weird. So it wasn't, I definitely wasn't a majority share. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, that's, it's just, it's really, really amazing how, how much things have just changed. You couldn't bet on a UNLV basketball game, you know, years ago. And now it's, it's, you know, it's everywhere. It's going to be next to baseball stadiums. So it's, uh, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I listen, I rant about this every time I'm on the show, and I, I don't know if you covered this topic. And I read it. I didn't know about it. Um, talking about the uh, food service charge at at Paris. And I'll tell you, for those that, that are out there that, you know, like Vegas News, that Vital Vegas blog, wow, what a resource that is, huh? Like, that's they do a great job, don't you think? Well, yeah, I, I can actually – Give a compliment now because me, me, me and him have like a minor beef, but we made up. So I, I may even oh, have okay. him on the show at some point. So does he uh, listen to the show? He doesn't listen, but uh, he blocked me on Twitter over something minor, and then I was criticizing him. And then, so anyway, it wasn't like a major beef; it was kind of like a minor thing. But uh, I actually threw his girlfriend. We we made up. So um, nice. So, well, so what I like about him is he gets these scoops and these stories, and and his rate is percentage of being correct is i mean you know he, he normally has the goods like when he says something you can almost count on it being true you know for so for a has- while i saw some fail where he kept getting things wrong uh, recently he's been he's been playing great yeah. though recently recently he's been doing yeah. very well i'll yeah. give him that so so the point is it's just it, it's infuriating to me as someone that lives here and loves this city and has seen it transform from the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s and, and now where we are now that they're just nickel and diming people and it's so disgusting it's, you know, and what they're going to end up doing, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, soon, but 
you know, maybe it, well, we, when we're in our retirement, you know, type of uh, life, maybe 20 years from now, 15 years from now, people, if, if this trend continues, people are going to be so off put by all this. They're just going to stay in their, in their local region and go to casinos there. Like, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. No, I know, I mean, and they'll deserve it too. And some of this, like what's going on with Paris, and I explained it already to people, but uh, I believe this is a way that they can avoid having to pay a certain percentage of their gross receipts to Caesars. But whatever, whatever the dumb reason is, it, it's obnoxious it's so and it's and it's scammy. It and and this is yeah. some of the problem. I didn't say this yet, but I'll say this now. This is some of the problem when you have too many different hands on the same body. That, that have different goals here. So this Cafe Americano where it was going on, it's it's independently owned. And so th- this, if it really is an, an attempt to avoid having to give some of their gross receipts to Caesars, then they do this and who gets hurt? The, the consumer and, w- when there's something on there. So sure. it's just like the I, thing that's going on with Virgin and, and the Mohegan Sun. I, where, I, I, I'm sorry, go on, go on. Where, where th- they have this dumb comp that really isn't a comp policy because each company is so paranoid that that they're going to get screwed so when you don't have one company owning and running everything on premises you start to have a lot of problems like this you know it's funny you mentioned that two things first of all today in the mail uh i'm not i'm not on their that mail base they're you know for uh virgin slash uh oh geez i just woke up what's the indian casino mohegan Uh, mohegan sun yeah so, I mean, I, I've been to Mohegan Sun, but still, I got an, a flyer today, but it was one of the mass mailed ones. My name wasn't even on it. It was just like attention residence. And it had a $25 free bet uh, for table games. And it's just one of the standard ones where you just, you know, match the match play. And then I think it was like a $15 free drink or something. So that kind of tells you how much they're hurting. If they're mass sending these out, like, you know what I mean? They don't have my name. I'm not in their, you know. I'm yeah, it was the resident. Right, you're right. I mean, I'm in their database for Mohegan, but they, you know they haven't obviously marketed to me yet. But it just says resident, and then you know you get those things for local restaurants and things like that, and you know that that just goes to tell you. But getting back to what you said before, if I was a family man, or even a retiree, and you know even if I had some uh, money I didn't mind spending. I would find it so obnoxious what I'm seeing here. I would be inclined if there was a nice mega, you know, resort near my home, you know, which most people there is, you know, I I don't know how many people live in an area where there's not a mega resort, at least an hour away by, by plane, or maybe even a couple hours by car. I would not be inclined to come here. Like I, you know, I'd go somewhere for better value. Like it it just, it's, it's a really bad trend. It's very short-sighted and, I just I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, it's it's almost like this has become a really bad version of like Disney World, where just like everything is so propped up and and you know they're just trying to get every last dime. It's, it's worse in some ways because there's all these surcharges you don't expect. At least at Disney World, that doesn't happen. Just everything's expensive, but at least you're not seeing all these weird surcharges. So th- yeah. it's it's very obnoxious. I agree. And even if the reason for it is something that's not quite what you think when you first see it. If the bottom line is that consumers are being misled into believing the price is one thing and then it's actually 4% higher because of some bullshit charge that you don't expect at the bottom, that's even if they disclose it technically somewhere in the fine print, it's a very bad look and people don't like it. And it's, it's, not, sure. and it's not ethical and it's, not, it's also just short-sighted, as you said. And, 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 but some of the problem is, you think Cafe Americano cares about 
the overall success of Vegas over the next 20 years. They don't care. They, just, they care about short-term profit, and that's the problem. They, they don't care what Caesars customers think or what Paris customers think when they're in there because they're a separate company, and this is, this is the big problem. In fact, I've criticized in a similar fashion when places start franchising because the franchise operators, like take a franchise McDonald's or franchise Denny's, they don't care about the parent company. They don't care how the corporation looks. They don't care if you have a bad experience at their Denny's if you're never going to go to a Denny's again because all they care about is their Denny's. So they get so these franchise owners, they they don't care about the brand. They only care about themselves and their very short-term profits. And so whenever you have that going on, uh, it starts to ruin brands. And and uh, part of the reason In-N-Out is so beloved is because In-N-Out will not do this. They will not franchise. And they maintain strict control you know, over their units. Speaking of In-N-Out, I wondered this, and I, I haven't been, I haven't ventured to the one on the Strip. Uh, and they just announced they're building, and this is another subject, but they just announced they're building another In-N-Out burger right next to... Uh, Allegiant Stadium, where the Raiders play, which is going to be a killing. But the one that's on the strip that's been open for a while, do you know, are the prices jacked up or are they the same as there would be at a local in and out burger elsewhere in Vegas or, or California or wherever? I went we there. I went there once. Yeah, I went there once. I was staying at Harris and I walked over there. And uh, it was very, very crowded, as you might expect. I was just kind of in the mood for it. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to deal with these crowds. I'm like, ah, fuck it. So I just walked over there. Anyway, um, I think this is in 2019. Uh, if I didn't look super carefully to see if the prices were marked up, but they, if they were, it wasn't much. It's possible it wasn't at all, and if it was, it wasn't much. So like, it's not like it would it wasn't like a noticeable markup if there was one. So they probably kept it either at the same or close to the same as their normal prices. Because you know, for people that don't even know this, like you know, there's mcdonald's their chipotle you know they have all these fast food restaurants now on the strip which i think that's such a bad look too by the way i mean going back 20 years ago none of those you know there's a walgreens which i guess is all right but you know they didn't have these fast food places literally right on las vegas boulevard though i think i think in and out is an exception because there's a lot of people from the east who really want to eat it right and that makes sense that's more of a you know it's more of a, a you know niche type of place where people literally I, I have a lot of friends which i'm sure you do too that come here from the east coast and that's always one of their bucket list things yes like they want to go to they want to go to in and out burger but you know so you go to mcdonald's on the strip and you know what do you think it would cost Ruff, for a you know i don't know i don't eat at mcdonald's a lot but whatever say like a number four you know a quarter pounder with cheese a a, a large soda and a large fry what do you think that's going to cost yeah it's probably like, t- like 12 dollars or something it's crappy. gonna be 12 yeah it's gonna be 12 or 13 dollars like yeah. it's that jacked up it just it's 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 you know the thing is i just wonder at some point you know are they really gonna price out the middle class and the lower middle class like this city to the point where that people just can't afford all these different things I mean, it, it's getting that way. I mean, it really, really, really is. I mean, you're going to be marketing to, to one group of people that have so much, you know, income that they can spend, and everyone else is kind of going to be just left in the dark or, or nickel and diming it. I mean, it's it's really hard. Think, I mean, think about it. If if, if what? Okay, if you're an average, you know, middle class family from wherever, and you want to come and you want everything to be about average, meaning like you're going to stay in an average hotel, not like the Excalibur, but not the win. You're going to eat at average restaurants, so they're not going to be, you know, Michelin. You know, what are, what are, what are Michelin? They go as high as what three? Is it three stars? You it's told actually me? Michelin is a little misleading. It's it's one, two, or three stars, but 
You think a Michelin one star would mean it's a crappy restaurant? It's not. If you get a Michelin star at all, it's a great restaurant. So just for them to list right. you at all is a huge accomplishment. So some people go, oh, it's a Michelin one star. What a piece of crap. We go, no, 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 no. That's really good. That's actually like a, um, that, that's actually like just like a, a one star sure. of, of a very high class you've already achieved. But anyway. so the, the point I'm making is if, you know, you want to come with, with the wife and, and maybe two kids or just even the wife alone and you want to do everything average, not, you know, extravagant, but not like low class either. You're talking several thousand dollars. You know, even I mean, you want to go to at least one, maybe two shows. You want to, you know, have a nice, you know, a couple of nice dinners, you know, with the hotel, the resort fees. And, you know, years ago, that would be like a trip to Hawaii or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know. It really adds something. up fast. I know it, it can get. Yeah, very expensive. right, right. Well, that's my. Yeah. So I, I, I just I think it's short sighted and I just think it's greedy. And it, I, I feel like with the expansion of casinos, eventually this is going to backfire. You know, people are just going to, I mean, if I lived in South Florida still where I was from, you know, I would just go to the hard rock, you know, I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, why, I, I don't know. I just, I don't understand it. I think maybe it also just, discourages a lot of repeat trips. I, maybe people have wanted to come to Vegas for a long time and they come, they see all this and they go, okay, you know, I'm glad I came to Vegas and saw all of it, but now I don't want to come back next year. It's, it's, it's too expensive. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to see all sure. this again. I'll, great, maybe I'll come back in, in five, 10 years, but I'm not doing it uh, next year. So you, yeah. that's what you don't want to, you don't want to drive away. The, the cost of acquiring a customer is, is always high, even just in general for the industry, just to get someone have an interest in coming down there. They're spending X amount per person to kind of get them down there in some way. So when you have succeeded and then you drive them away, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. That's what you've got to be really careful about is because uh, – and, that, and that's where a lot of small businesses make a mistake where they, they have loyal customers – and then the owner has too much of an ego and a customer isn't happy about something and the owner's nasty to them and then the person never comes back. Well, you've, boy, did they screw themselves. This is a regular customer is going to come a whole lot every year. That small business just really hurt themselves unless it's like uh, the soup Nazi where there's such a line out the door, it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah. um, unless they have that situation going on, you can't be the soup Nazi and, and maintain a business. So on, on a larger scale for these these uh, for in Vegas with all this, the nickel and diming and all the surcharges, if they, they're driving people away who otherwise would enjoy coming to Vegas because they're irritated by this stuff or feel they can't afford it anymore, then they're, they're really harming themselves. And uh, sure. even if in the short term, they're making some more money. And, uh, and yeah, there may eventually be a reckoning about this, especially as gambling expands. In fact, to tie it into what we were talking about with the sports books right beforehand the sports betting is driving a big expansion of gambling, the legalized sports betting, because this is a very lucrative area of gambling that was untapped before. It was all existing in the shadows. And now that this can come to uh, whatever state that wants it, uh, this can uh, this is actually driving the expansion of casinos in general. And uh, so this will make it more likely that there will be decent casinos to visit near home and not require a visit to Vegas if you want to visit uh, a decent casino with decent offerings. So this, this really could be a, a big mistake. And, and some of it is unfortunately unavoidable as long as they are farming too much out to independent companies that all they want to think about is their own profit and they don't give a crap about the overall health of, the, of that casino or that casino family, or of Vegas, if all they, like Cafe Americano, all they care about is how much money they make. And that's a, a problem that uh, 
what does not occur if the casino owns everything that's in there. And it's, it's one thing if you want to farm it out to something like a show, like you, you don't want to get in the business of, uh, of running shows. That's fine. You, you want to just have a, a showroom and, and rent it out or have some kind of partnership with a, uh, a production. That's fine. You know, Cirque or whatever you bring in, that's, that's a different story. But uh, I'm talking about basic things like restaurants. I, I don't think that, uh, especially not hotels, I don't think there should be different companies owning it or you're going to have a lot of uh, customer unfriendly things happening. And you're going to lose control over your own property, so that's uh, that's, sure. that's my opinion on all that. And I think it's it, uh, it, it's also funny. Uh, I saw that receipt that was posted with the the surcharge at Cafe Americano, and I laughed that the minimum suggested tip was twenty five percent. Did you notice that? Like it was no, actually, I got confused. Was- actually, it isn't, but it's confusing. If you look below it, just before it cuts off, it says twenty percent. So it says suggested tip, and the top one was twenty five, and then it says twenty eighteen fifteen under. You just can't see it. You, and the reason you can tell is that uh, right under it, there's a partial twenty appearing if you look carefully. So it's go back and yeah. Look. At first, I was like, I thought the same thing. Like, what? The, what, the minimum is twenty five, so it's going to go twenty five, thirty, thirty five, forty. Oh yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it confused me. It was the exact same thought I had until I looked more carefully. So two, so two beverages, a turkey sandwich, and a double cheeseburger, and your bill is almost a hundred dollars. Yeah, it's it. insane. It's amazing. It's insane. And, and it's people, amazing. I remember when a hundred dollar dinner used to mean something. Oh yeah, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that was like, oh, it's a, you know, this is a good, you know, it's a hundred dollars. It's a good. That's it's nothing. It's just some. I mean, you can still find good value for that, but not not like this. That's, it's, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you just got you. You got to. I was just mentioning earlier. You just, just got to watch where you're going. You don't have to like like these these hotel cafes. You you just got to watch. Uh, you got to look at the prices. Say, is this really worth it? Do I want? Do, if I don't, if I want to spend this much, maybe I spend a little bit more and go to go to a nicer restaurant, like something like that. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know. This is our coffee shop, so it's you know this was at one in the morning, so I'm sure the options were somewhat limited. But I, and I mentioned that too. If you don't have much choice, then yeah, you may not want yeah, to. You're hungry. Getting, I mean, how get, many times have you been hungry that you're just gonna have to suck it up? You know what I mean? Something no, I, I've done it before. Do I, I have overpaid before because I, I didn't feel like uh, getting my car and driving around town to sign, tr- trying to find the few things that are open at two a.m. and and I just pay the money at the uh, at the cafe. So I'm gonna move on to, yeah. to another topic here, another Vegas topic. Uh, I want to talk about the win and the encore opening up to full capacity, 100%. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on one one more second. I just saw on Ve- Vital Vegas now. This might have. This was in the afternoon, but he's reporting. Or is it? A, is it a man that runs this site? Or yeah, it's one guy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, anyhow, so he is stating that paid parking is expected to return to to MGM very shortly, looking like June. And Caesars Entertainment will allegedly start charging for all their parking on October 30th. Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because they, they spent all this money installing the systems that were going to be uh, charging for this. And there's no way that they're going to just leave it like this without charging now that they're recovering. They just they, yeah. they wanted to bring people back in and, and they're like, OK, well, if we're going to be busy again. Yeah, might as well go back to before. That was the plan yeah. the whole way. So that doesn't surprise me. It, it's Learn. it's yeah, I feel bad for people. You know, I, I get the free parking because I have the cards at whatever these properties that I'm visiting. But like I, I, I'm in like Harrah's or something and I'm going to my car and I see these people at the machine that they're paying with their credit card to, to validate their parking. I feel so bad for them. I just want to you know what I actually did once. Um, 
along those same lines. My uh, my sister hired a babysitter in Vegas at a hotel, and she you know she had some uh, some woman come there who was like friends of a friend or something. Anyway, so the the woman. I think this is at the Aria or something like that, and she said it was either at the Aria. No, it wasn't. It was it was at the uh, what was then called the Mandarin Oriental, but uh, is not anymore. But they they were also using the Aria's facilities for parking. But anyway, the woman said that she parked at the Aria, and I said, "Oh, what do you do? You have a uh, a pearl card or higher?" She said, "What?" I said. Well, you know it's going to cost you, and somehow this Vegas local didn't know that it costs uh, twenty dollars to park there for the amount of time she was there. And she said, "Oh no, I didn't know that," and I felt so bad for her because this is just a babysitting job, so this is going to eat a lot of the money that she made from uh, babysitting my sister's kids. And I said, I-, "I felt so bad for her." I said, "You know what? I'm going to do something for you. I will get you out of there for free." So I actually walked with her from the Mandarin Oriental down to the Aria lot, got in the car with her. She drove to the exit. I swiped my Pearl card for her, and she got out. (laughs) It bothered me so much she was going to have to pay $20 from this. I didn't know her. It just pissed me off that uh, she wasn't going to make that much money from this job. And It's one thing if she said, okay, it's worth it to me. I'm going to park there. I just don't feel like walking. But she really thought it was free, which was very surprising to me, being a Vegas local. And they hadn't just changed it. It had been that way for a while. But I just it just bothered me so much well, to see. I I walked with her to get it. I know I know a lot of people, believe it or not, that never go down to the strip. I mean that they they could say I've had people tell me you know I haven't been to the strip in two three years. So it's not that surprising. I mean you know, I guess it, you you still could see it in the newspaper on the news. But there are a lot of people I know that just don't. They choose not to go to the strip. And they you know when they gamble if they gamble they prefer local casinos and they don't venture out. Yeah, and Which, she wasn't you know, she wasn't expecting us to pay her extra. She's she like, okay, well, yeah, I didn't realize that. Oh well, yeah. guess I've learned for next time. And she, she really wasn't trying to pressure anyone at all. I just, I, I just when I heard the conversation, I'm like, no, no, come with me. I'll walk with you. We'll we'll do it. And then very uh, kind. So I got her out of there. Anyway, uh, let, let's go talk about the win now. Uh, the as I mentioned on a previous show recently, this has been kicked over to the county to decide what they can do as far as opening and what they can open at these uh, businesses, including the casinos. And now the casinos are in this, basically a dance with the county trying to prove to them that they're being very, very safe, very, very COVID safe and need to be rewarded with uh, higher capacity opening. So I guess the win and Encore has done this dance the best because effective immediately, the county, or actually Nevada Gaming Control Board actually is the one, it's not even the county, it's Nevada Gaming Control, has actually <clears throat> allowed them, as the first properties to be able to do it, to open at 100% capacity on the gaming floors. So the casino of the Win and the casino of the Encore now can have 100% capacity. And uh, they do have to have... Uh, uh, some restrictions still, but uh, capacity-wise, they don't. The way they were able to impress the Gaming Control Board was by making it uh, mandatory for all employees to either get vaccinated or provide a weekly negative COVID test at their own expense. Uh, Wynn said, uh, 
Win Resorts announced today that as of May 1st, 2021, 88% of its Win Las Vegas employees have been vaccinated. As a result, Win Las Vegas has been granted by the Nevada Gaming Control Board to amend its occupancy and physical distancing requirements. Effective today, the gaming areas of both Wynn and Encore will be permitted to run at 100% occupancy, and plexiglass dividers will be removed from all table games and slot machines. Our employees and guests will continue to follow health and safety guidelines, including mask compliance, to ensure a safe and comfortable environment for all. I've got a question here. Uh, This is based upon the employees there, but it says nothing of the customers. So why are they able to remove the plexiglass, which doesn't really bother me because it's not really doing very much, but let's they believe it is so why would it be okay to remove this based upon how many employees are vaccinated the employees are only part of the equation i guess, here. I guess it's just for the protection more of the employees and the customer that's the logic right i mean i guess it's you would think they'd want Nothing to protect else. everybody yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's weird it's a weird metric to use it's not like they're, they're, they're not requiring anything of the customers. The customers don't have to show any kind of negative tests. Customers don't have to show any vaccination uh, records. They just uh, they can be whatever they want. These customers could be people who uh, have COVID and uh, just aren't showing any outward signs of it and never got vaccinated and can just walk right in there and, and they'll be fine. So it's, it's interesting that this was granted. But a, a lot of this, as I've said before, is kind of for show. It's just the, the, the gaming control board, the county, the casinos, they just all kind of want to appear they're taking this seriously, but they, they don't really care. It's, it's just kind of all for show. So it looks like they're being responsible. 88% of the people got, got vaccinated, probably because they didn't want to keep getting a test every week. So most of the probably said, fuck it, and got vaccinated. I mean, a certain percentage were going to anyway, but then right. probably some extra ones did it because they didn't want to do this test every week because it's a pain in the ass. And I, I don't even know if it's, it's the bad test either. Maybe the test that goes way up your nose that hurts. So if that's the test you have to use, then... That makes it even more of a pain, a physical pain in addition to a pain in the ass. So they, they I mean, great, they got 88% of them vaccinated, but uh, I still don't see why that makes it a safer place to be, aside from making it less likely that the employees are going to affect you. But uh, to be honest, at a big casino, if I'm going to be worried about COVID, I'm not going to be worried about the employees because there's way more people who are, there may, may, way more customers than employees at a big casino. So what would concern me at a big casino would be being under the same roof of like a ton of people all together in fairly close quarters. And then I have to really hope that my vaccine is working the way it's supposed to. And I've thought that too. Like I kind of thought after I got vaccinated, I was just going to just go at it, like just totally not care that almost act like it's 2019 again. And I'm definitely way more, uh, brave about these things than before, like way more before I would not set foot into anything. And there's a bunch of things I'm returning to do that I didn't do before. But like when I think about going to a card room or a casino, uh, I start to get a little nervous. Like there's a lot of people in there. Do I? And I'm going to be in there for a while. Do I really want to do it? And I haven't yet. I have not been to those type of things yet. And I've been kind of debating, should I or should I not? And I don't know. Like, how do you feel about that? Or would, would you want to go into a very crowded uh, casino at this point, even fully vaccinated? Uh, probably not. No, I haven't yet. I haven't yet either. Yeah, I'm not saying I won't, but I'm not saying I will either. Like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm kind of not sure. And part of me says, this is the time to do it before any variants show up that bust through the vaccine. 
that this is you know this is right after I got the vaccine. The, the protection should be the strongest, and there's no known variants right now in the U.S. that can bust through it, or really anywhere. There's no variants they know right now that can get through this vaccine and sicken you anyway. And the vaccine's stronger now for me than it's going to be in six months. So, sure. so if I'm going to do it, I, even though it feels strange, it's kind of in, unless COVID really, really, really declines where there's almost no danger. Uh, the best time to do it is now. So I've reasoned that to myself, but I've also reasoned, you know, like if I'm in a place with like a thousand people or more and we're all under the same roof indoors, like that's kind of exactly the place you don't want to be for COVID. And like, and and I know a certain percentage aren't getting vaccinated. And like, so like there may be just like COVID sitting in the air and I'm like, I got to really trust this vaccine that it's going to work. And I'm not going to be one of these unlucky people who gets it. So then I start thinking, like, is that really worth it? So, like, things like going inside the grocery store, going inside of a restaurant or things like that, I'm more willing to do, that I'm not scared of anymore. Like, sure. uh, I'll give you an example. I just went in and out the other day. Ben really wanted in and out for the first time in over a year. So I went to in and out but it was a Friday night. So it was very crowded in the drive through It was like a super long drive through line. And I hate super long drive through lines. It's, I'd rather spend the time in the place than in the drive through because uh, it's just kind of tilting to inch forward in your car in the drive through with 10 million cars ahead of you. So I did what I normally do when that happens. I park and I walk in. So I would have never done this if I were unvaccinated. But since I'm vaccinated, I parked my car and I walked in. Funny enough, there's hardly anyone in there. And I attributed this to the fact that probably – a number of the people who were uh, wanting to go there on Friday night, probably a number of them were young and maybe didn't get the vaccine yet because they just didn't bother with it. And then are kind of thinking, hey, I don't want to really go in there. Because usually when I went in and out on Friday night, it was just packed with people. And here there's almost nobody inside. So that was interesting to see. But I, I wasn't afraid of that. I wasn't afraid of being inside, for in, inside in and out for 10 minutes to pick up food, especially with hardly anyone in there. Right. But... Uh, Whereas before, there's no chance I would have gone in there. So, like things like that, I'm very brave with, and I, I don't worry about. But you put a massive number of people indoors with me. I don't know. Like I had, a, I had a listener ask me. I had a listener say, "Hey, I'm I'm vaccinated, but I'm considering going to play a large poker tournament. Should I?" And I said, "That's a good question. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not going to say no or yes here. It's kind of a weird thing to think about because, on one hand, yes, do it. On the other hand, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should yeah. just." wait a little bit with the riskiest things and hope that COVID just fades out and then you can do them again. But maybe this isn't the time to jump in feet first to that stuff. So I don't know. I, and like the World Series will be a decision for me, even if they take away the mask requirement. Whereas like, like Dodger Stadium, that I'm willing to do if they stop losing. But uh, that I'm willing yeah, to what's do. What's up with that? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's really a tailspin here. But uh, yeah. but I'm willing to do that because it's outdoors. So, uh, you know, that's something that I'm not afraid of doing now that I'm vaccinated. By the way, they almost blew a 13 nothing lead today. Did you see that? They won. But I did. They, yeah. were, up, they were up 13 nothing, and they, they actually had a three-run game in the eighth. It was actually 14. Your, your, your Lakers aren't looking much more promising either. No, but that's been the case for a while. The Lakers have been struggling for a while. And then, well, yeah. they're now they're now in the playing game. Yeah, I know. The season ended today. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, no. They, they be just 
losing LeBron and Davis for all that time. They lost all those games, and now they're rusty, and so the whole thing doesn't. And then just it, re- it really also exposed that beyond those two, the team's kind of shit. So uh, yeah. So they yeah, I, I don't have a lot of hope for them either. But but the Dodgers. Speaking they, of which, uh, the Dodgers. What are they allowing fan wise? Last I looked, um, I'm not sure what percentage they are allowing, but they're they're requ- except in these weird vaccination sections, which I don't even see what the advantage is. It, tell me why, why you think anyone would do this. They have these vaccina- vaccination sections, which aren't even good seats. It's not even like these are the best seats in the park. These are like seats kind of like in the second level way off on the side. But they have these vaccination sections where they you still have to wear a mask. And the only difference is you can sit closer to other people who aren't related, who aren't in your party. Why would you want that? This is actually an advantage right now that you have to space out. So wherever you sit, there's not people right next to you. I like that. That's actually a good thing. So why would I want to give that yeah. up and sit in a vaccination section? So why would anyone yeah, choose those? It's, it's like, oh, you have a greater choice in seating. No, you don't. You have very specific sections and areas that aren't even that good that you can cram in with other people who are vaccinated. I mean, I guess if you really want to just only sit with vaccinated people, but you're outdoors, you're not sitting that close to anybody I'll take my chances. I'm vaccinated myself. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely not going to get those. Uh, I am going to go to a game because they're not being very strict about the masking, which I'm happy about. So they, they I, and I can see this because I watch games on TV and I see some in masks and some not. And no one's hassling people to put on masks. So it looks like it's just a, a requirement that they don't enforce, which I'm happy about. As I said, I don't want this. I think it's uh, mostly useless to be sitting outside with a mask on especially with no one that close to you. So uh, I, I actually will be going. I'll take Benjamin to a game. Ben's not vaccinated, of course, but uh, I am not. Even, I don't want him getting COVID. It's not the same as me getting COVID, obviously, but I, I don't even think there's much danger for him there because we're going to be outdoors and not sitting by anybody. So there's that brief walk through the hallway to get there and back and go to the bathroom. But aside from that, I don't think there's much COVID danger for him. I wouldn't do it unvaccinated, but him getting COVID is much less of a deal than me getting COVID. So it's, it's you know he's really at one of the best ages for COVID. So I'm not uh, so I'll I'll take him there sometime maybe this month. I just it's depressing how poorly they're playing. Let's move on to the next thing here. That is about uh, Colorado, where I'm going to be going this summer. Have you ever been there? You ever been to a Colorado casino? Oh yeah. Oh no, not to. I've been to I've been to Vail and Aspen many times, but. I've never gambled in the state of Colorado, no. Do you know that uh, I had a dog in the 80s and 90s who died in 01 that was from Snowmass and was abandoned? I did not. Yeah. Um, my family was in Snowmass on a trip. Actually, on a, it was like a business and family trip because my dad had some kind of business conference there. And he had he had a business conference every year that uh, they tended to pick, pick nice places people would want to go to over the summer for the conference. And then a lot of families would then use it as kind of like a springboard for a road trip. So that's what my dad did. So this was in, uh, in 87 and I was 15 and, uh, I joined them later cause I was in some summer school classes. So I joined them later, like a few, like about a week into the trip or five days into trips and like that. But they were in snow mass at the beginning. And my dad, who is a runner was running in snow mass and a dog followed him, and a dog, in fact, the dog 
he ran like 10 miles. The dog probably ran 20 because the dog would run way ahead of him and run back and run ahead and run back. So anyway, that dog ran a ton of distance there and seemed like a very nice dog. And then he looked and the dog had no tag. Or sorry, the dog had a tag and he tried to call the number on the tag and it disconnected. And uh, it appeared, that, and it turned out was the case, that for whatever reason, people who had lived in Snowmass, who must have had money because it's an expensive place, it's near Aspen, uh, they just abandoned this dog who turned out we didn't know yet because she was kind of dirty. It was kind of hard to tell what her uh, situation was. But she was a purebred Springer Spaniel who was less than a year old. Was almost full grown, wow. so we couldn't tell at first that she was still a puppy. But uh, she was like probably nine, ten months old and was a purebred Springer Spaniel. And they abandoned her for some reason, which is bizarre. She's a very nice dog. It wasn't because it was a crappy dog or anything. This is a great dog. So uh, after making an attempt to uh, search for the owners, with uh, which we already thought was they were probably gone because the number was disconnected on the tag and the dog was young, but uh, after it was clear the owners were, were gone and we couldn't find them, uh, <laughs> we just took, took the dog home and uh, adopted the dog. And then taking the dog to the vet, they said, yeah, this dog is uh, from the teeth they could tell that the dog was less than a year old. And uh, the dog lived all the way till 01. But uh, my mom was paranoid about this and said that uh, she didn't want us telling people the dog was from Snowmass just in case the people changed their minds and somehow hear about this. It was kind of ridiculous. Like, how would they ever hear? But like, she didn't want people hearing, like the, the, the original owners hearing about this and decided they want to take the dog back. So we had to lie to everybody and say that the dog was from Aspen. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. And then finally, when the dog got old, I refused to do it anymore. I said, you know what? The dog's like 10 years old. They're not going to come retrieve a 10-year-old dog. <laughs> so uh, so your dog had an alias. My dog had a, well, a fake birthplace. Yeah. So the, the oh, dog yeah. lived to, to 14 and a half and uh, died in 01. But uh, that, uh, yeah, that's the last time I was in Snowmass was then. And... Uh, but I'm going back to – that was actually my only Colorado trip except for a brief time in Colorado eight years ago where I went to Pikes Peak and and one other thing in Colorado Springs. That was the only uh, experience I had in Colorado aside from that time in the, in the 80s. So I'm going to Colorado again, but uh, of course I haven't been to any casinos there. But uh, the casinos in Colorado now can finally offer – this is just starting last weekend – no limit hold'em and PLO. They could not beforehand. Do you know why? No idea. Oh well, well the was a state law. Yes, there was a state law yeah. that had a maximum like hundred dollars. Yes, pa- uh, yeah, yeah. hundred dollar maximum bet. So that was a killer. They actually could run limit hold'em because each it was a law about each bet. So limit hold'em was fine. They actually had like a good thirty sixty game apparently there, but they they. It was each bet could not be more than $100. So that really ruined No Limit Hold'em and PLO. So they had some weird version of it, some kind of weird spread limit, but it just it wasn't the same. So it was, it was fail. But they voted in November to completely repeal that law, and they did. So it took some time. I don't know why, but there was some time that took to implement it. So it turned out May 1st, 2021, even though this is passed in November, took till May 1st, 2021 to actually officially eradicate that requirement of the $100 max. 
So on May 1st, the rooms are like, okay, sweet. <laughs> we're we're going to open up uh, Real No Limit Hold'em and Real PLO, which is what everybody wants. Those are the two most popular games. And so that's uh, the big boon to the poker rooms that they get to run Real No Limit Hold'em and Real PLO. This was uh, thanks to Colorado Amendment 77. And they uh, actually, I guess it was not even May 1st. I guess it was May. Oh, no, it was May 1st. It was May 1st last last week. So they have uh, a 1-3 game at uh, both Ameristar and Golden Gates casinos. And then uh, there's also a 5-10 at both casinos. And then uh, Ameristar has a 2-5 with a $700 capped buy-in, and Golden Gates has a 2-5 with a $1,000 capped buy-in. So they do have the 1-3, 2-5, and 5-10 at, at these casinos. Uh, I may stop at Ameristar on my trip, and I heard the 3060 is still going there. That's not the reason for the trip, but I, I may stop and, and play. And uh, currently the games are all six-handed, that's because of COVID restrictions. Nothing to do with that law that passed in November. But uh, at Golden Gates, they're claiming that they plan to start offering nine-handed games on May 16th because the health department said that on May 16th they should be able to offer it. The one thing that could get in the way is that, guess what? One of the worst states for COVID is right now. Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Don't know why, but that's for some reason Colorado is... I think some of this is just random. Like, it really... People try to explain this stuff, and a lot of it just can't be explained. A lot of it just just happens. Just the way that it spreads has to do with whether it previously spread, and there's a lot of factors that are very hard to explain with COVID of why it hits certain places at certain times. So Colorado is experiencing a spike right now that's considered one of the worst places in the country right now to go for COVID. So, in fact... My girlfriend was a little concerned. Oh, we're bringing Ben right into a place with the worst COVID. I said, you know, by the time we go in the summer, it's probably going to be different. That may get in the way of expanding from six-handed to nine-handed. But they claim it's on pace. They claim right now that they have not been told yet that they can't do it. It's a week away. And, yeah, so real poker will be in, in Colorado if you want to play No Limit Hold'em or PLO. So if you're in that area, that's good news. If you're going to visit it, you can finally do that and... Also, if you want to play higher stakes uh, blackjack or other games where you may want to bet more than $100, then you can. But in poker, this is where it was most restrictive because if you think about a $100 bet at blackjack, that's fairly high stakes. It's not super high, but it's fairly high. It's more than most people ever bet on a single bet in blackjack. So uh, that didn't affect that many people, but it it was a killer for poker, especially at uh, games that were not limit games. Okay, I want to move on to uh, a COVID topic, but kind of just an opinion COVID topic. And of course, I'll ask for your opinion. It's a, a, a poker-related COVID topic. And that is, what do you think should be the requirements right now? Not last year, not in the future, right now, May 9th, 2021. What should be the requirements right now for COVID safety in poker rooms. And I thought about this when I called up, uh, I called up the Hustler Casino because I was uh, possibly going to be in that area. 
and I was considering going there. Ended up not happening, but uh, I, I called up the Hustler Casino to find out their policy on things there. And uh, one of the things they told me was something I had never thought about before, which doesn't usually affect me, but it's it's kind of stupid in my opinion. And that is that nobody can sit behind you and watch you play. That only people who are players can be at the table at the moment. So if you have a friend with you who wants to sit with you, watch, talk, whatever, you cannot do that. And I thought, you know what, That I can understand why they're doing it, and they're probably doing it because of some kind of regulation, either local or state, but I don't think it's really doing very much. Uh, if if you're going to have uh, six people at a table, seven people, whatever they're having there at the table, I, I forgot to ask how many-handed it is, but if you're going to have that, and you're going to be in a room with a ton of people indoors, having one or two people with their friend or girlfriend or wife behind them is going to really have zero impact on you. If you're going that far with that risk, this is going to add almost nothing to that risk. So I don't understand that rule. And it got me to think, well, what are sane rules to have right now, the way everything stands, and what is stupid? Like, What's too much? What's too little? What should they do? So, like, should there be these plexiglass dividers at the poker table? Should there be six-handed or, or is nine-handed okay? Should there be some kind of overall number of people that is a maximum allowed in the building? Should people be allowed to sit behind you? So these are all questions that need to be answered. And if I were designing the rules, what would I do? Also, some people are very obsessed with cleaning and sanitizing. I think that's also a mistake and incorrect thinking about COVID that is based upon a belief from last year that has since been disproven. So I'm going to give you my opinion about this and you can give yours of what you think room should or shouldn't be doing. I think right now, poker rooms, which obviously can't check on everybody's vaccination status, so that's not really realistic. So I'm not even going to consider that. Assuming there's going to be a mixture of vaccinated and unvaccinated people, though the unvaccinated will be ones who are voluntarily unvaccinated, which means you shouldn't really worry too much about them because they're they're choosing their own fate, basically. Uh, what should be done? I, I think that uh, there is some... Uh, I, I actually agree somewhat with not making it nine-handed yet because nine-handed, you're pretty close to people. And uh, it, it does start to get to the point where they're close enough to where I think that uh, people can infect each other just from the, being close rather than where there's the general risk for being indoors where the where the COVID kind of sits in the air and you breathe it in and get it. So there's no avoiding that with a lot of people in the room. But if you're sitting very close to someone, then that can happen. There's, so I think really do think there's a big difference between sitting a, in a six-handed table and a nine-handed table. Now, six-handed doesn't... Six-handed plus plexiglass plus max, masking plus cleaning... Uh, that doesn't make it safe. And that's what there's a lot of confusion about. That does not make it safe because you're still indoors but and with a lot of people. But I will say that I think six-handed and nine-handed are, are different. So I, I think maybe seven-handed would be a good maximum to have at the table at the moment. And uh, 
I wouldn't be opposed to a complete free-for-all, just open it up and whoever wants to come and take the risk can do it. I think that we're to that point with so many people who are vaccinated, where everybody who is vaccinated, who wants to be vaccinated is. And if people are unvaccinated, they take the chance and they go. But then there is the concern of, you know, do you really want to put yourself where there really is COVID just in the air, even if you are vaccinated? That's We were just talking about that. So I, I think that, but you know, if it, I could understand the approach to just open everything. But if there are going to be restrictions, if someone's asked me if I'm designing it, if I'm making the restri- restrictions, what would I do? I'd probably at this point make it seven-handed and I would probably put some kind of cap on the number of people that can be in the room. I'm not sure what it would be. And of course, it had to do with the size of the room also. But some kind of cap of overall number of people in there. Uh, what I would not do is I would not, and this is, of course, ignoring any kind of state regulations. This is like if I'm writing my own regulations. I would not put restrictions on who can sit behind someone or anything like that. I think that's dumb. I would not uh, enforce any kind of cleaning or sanitizing protocols. I think that's useless and it's just for show. I would not require masking. I would say uh, masks are optional. And if you want to wear them, wear them. If you don't, you don't. It's optional because I don't think it's really doing very much good in that sort of setting. I've said, if you're going to sit down in a place for hours indoors, you're taking a risk. Now, if you're vaccinated, maybe you're not. But someone unvaccinated indoors, mask or no mask, you're taking a a pretty big risk and the mask isn't going to do a lot of good. So, uh, I, I would not make a mask mandate, especially because of a lot of people being vaccinated. It's, it's basically useless for all the vaccinated people wearing it. So you, th- that's just kind of a major inconvenience you're, you're placing on people when most of them could not transmit it anyway, most likely. So I would not, I would not have a mask mandate. I would have a mask optional. I'd have it seven-handed at the table. I'd have some kind of cap, but a fairly high cap, but not a super high cap. I wouldn't want the crammed in people, tons of people in there. And, and I would just have normal cleaning and sanitation procedures, nothing special for that. And uh, that would be, uh, for the customers, that, that would really be about it. I would have the full uh, restaurant open and everything like that. I also would not have this dumb restriction that some rooms have about no eating or drinking at the table. That's another dumb thing. A lot of these rooms say, I think, again, because of state or local laws at the moment, you can't have... Any food at the table or drink. You can't even have a water bottle next to you. Anytime you want to eat or drink, you've got to walk away. Where is this at? I know that was the rule in L.A. for a while. I don't know if it still is. I oh, haven't okay. called about that. But there was, yeah, it's, you, not like, it's not like that here. No, I know it's not like that there. I'm, I'm, yeah, but yeah, uh, okay. but uh, that's a really dumb thing. So you can't have a water I mean, bottle? I don't, I, unless it's changed, which I don't think it has. You can't eat at a table for you know the rooms that used to have food service, but you definitely can drink. You yeah, know, you can drink alcohol, well, that, and that's and that's a lot better. Coffee. But yeah, but the eating is dumb too. Like, well, why not let people eat? Like that's uh, I don't even understand that. Why why stop eating? Why stopping? The, why stop the eating thing? You're not uh, you're not transmitting COVID as you eat. I mean, it's it's dumb. It's it's it, that's just the type of thing where it just I think it just feels weird in the times of COVID to look and there's a guy eating next to you. But in, in reality, it's not transmitting anything. It's kind of like the cleaning. You feel better to see cleaning being done, but it's not really helping you. Well, and I'm sure that's what a lot of it was. Just the perception that if guests feel... I mean, look, I can tell you this. I know this sounds crazy. I know this sounds crazy knowing what we know now versus a year ago. But two examples. As I 
said on radio before, as soon as the Vegas opened back up, uh, I started getting some significant free play. Uh, that was worth me venturing out real briefly. And this is like literally the, you know, the first, second, third week after Vegas opened up back uh, last June. So one of the places I ended up going to was, and this is again, like within the first matter of days of the city opening up, one of the first places I went to was Caesars. And I know we, you know, we bash Caesars a lot, but you know, I'm just being totally honest here. No bias. Caesars, when I went there, they didn't have machines blocked off like the mandate suggested, or I shouldn't say not machines blocked off, but not all of them. Supposed to be like every other machine. They weren't a lot of hand hand sanitizer stations, and you kind of saw like a chaotic scene. Like they weren't a lot of people cleaning. People were kind of all over the place. People were on top of each other. I mean, it just it, it was kind of chaotic. Whereas when I did my free play at the Venetian Palazzo, you couldn't go more than five seven feet without seeing somebody cleaning. You know, within a matter of minutes. I mean, they were just. They had to have hired or moved people from different departments. I mean, they, they were that proactive and cleaning screens and seats and, and there were hand sanitizers, uh, the, you know, the, the lotions and the wipes everywhere. So, but in my mind, I felt more safe. Oh, and then the other thing was the ventilation. Like you were in the, the Caesars and it was ice cold and you couldn't smell any smoke and it, you know, it smelled fine. It smelled nice and fresh, just like, you know, like your car was just clean. So, but anyhow, the, the point I'm making is, even if it was incorrect at the time, I felt much more comfortable and, and just, I, I don't know if I'm safe is a word, but just definitely comfortable being at the Palazzo versus my experience being at Caesars. Whereas now, like a year later, I kind of come to realize, it, you know, it, it was both properties were basically the same. I mean, in terms of my level of safety, but, 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 you know, the point I'm making is if I felt that way, if I felt that level of, of, you know, calmness and just a little bit of, you know, being more comfortable, safe, even maybe to a certain degree. I'm sure others felt that way as well. Other, you know, other guests, other people there noticed it, what I noticed as well. And, you know, there were a number of places that were, that were like that. I remember when uh, the South Point opened up their, their poker room, every single time somebody would either get knocked out of a tournament or they would get up from a cash game. Immediately, somebody would come over and wipe the seat that they were in with, you know, a spray bottle and, you know, and a clean rag, they'd wipe, wipe down the top, you know, the, the felt, um, you know, in, in that general area, even the plexiglass around them, like immediately, like they would have like an order where someone gets up and somebody would even announce it. Like, you know, I don't know what they'd say, but you know, somebody gets up table five seat and you know, somebody would be over there within minutes. So, but, but the point I'm making is it, 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 it probably, you know, if it gave me that level of security, I'm sure it did for others too. So maybe at, by that point, it was worth it just because, you know, maybe there were people that chose to go to the, those casinos that were more orderly and felt more clean than the, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, I know. I, I can see the that. perception. I, I can you see know? that. And, and listen, but I, at that point, who knew? Like, I, you know, I mean, I was wiping my hands every 10, 20 minutes. And, I, you know, I was, you know, very, very careful to make sure, you know, that I was as safe as I could be. But at that point, we kind of thought that mattered. You know what I mean? Like we thought it mattered. No, I know, like and, thought- but I'm saying, I'm saying right now. See, I don't care about stuff for show. I know, I know, it can make people feel better, and I know some people are less informed about this, and some people have last year's information on their mind. But to me, I just want what really is safe, and not what feels safe. And I want the minimum. I, I don't want 
overdoing it where the cleaning fine if they want to waste their money doing it then i I don't care it's not like i want it dirty like i there are some benefits to the cleaning for example the cleaning does prevent the flu and colds from transmitting so it actually does help you not catch a cold or catch the flu that that it actually helps so i i'm not anti-cleaning if they want to clean extra fine i mean that's that actually has some other benefits unrelated to covid uh, I'm just saying for, for COVID reasons, but but I really want what's going to make a difference and whatever's not going to make much of a difference, just don't do. And, or or don't do it if it's going to be an inconvenience. As I said, the cleaning, fine. If they want to spend the money on it, great. It's a cleaner place, uh, better for the customer. Not going to complain about that. But sure. Uh, I, but I am going to complain like anything that's required, like uh, the, the food thing. If I want to eat the food at the table, I want to eat the food at the table. If I want to drink water at the table, I know in Vegas that's okay, but the fact that I have to stand up and walk off to drink water is insane. So that like things like that are just dumb rules that may be mandated by the government, so I'm not necessarily blaming the L.A. casinos, but it's dumb and it's useless. It's not helping. It's an inconvenience. It's making me not even want to go to these places. It's probably making others not want to go or they go and they don't want to come back until this changes. So that's why I want to just make it. I wanted well, to make I this think topic. All that is kind of a, I think all that's kind of irrelevant to you anyhow, because the number one thing that that's going to be a deal breaker for you anyhow is the mask. Well, so not completely. You can drink See, or you can eat, you're not going to want to sit there and play with a mask. No, that's not even true, though. I will play with a mask in a cash game if I know I can take breaks, I can leave when it becomes too bothersome. The cash game bothers me less because I'm in control. And, and uh, not only am I in control, I know the whole time I'm in control. So I not only... Can I take breaks? Can I quit at any time? But the whole time, I also know that at any point I can leave, and that actually makes it less bothersome because I, you, you know, when the end is, you know you, that you fully can be can handle this. It's kind of like uh, think about if uh, would you rather just if you just spend three days in your house without ever setting foot outside, you're probably not going to think much about it. You're probably just going to have just have been in your house for three days. If you're under house arrest, where you're not allowed to actually set foot of your ho- out of your house, it's probably going to really bother you for those same three days, just knowing you can't leave. I mean, not three days, but I get your point. Three days, I mean, that's not. But yeah, I, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a mental thing. Now, sure. even even for three, the three days, if you know you can't leave, it's not that you won't be able to do it. It's just if you absolutely know you can't leave, it's going to be much more bothersome than you just happen I mean, to not leave. It would be leave. more bothersome for me that I did something to be on house arrest for three days more than the actual punishment well i know sure. putting that aside i'm just saying that it's it's different knowing you can't do something rather than just you not doing it so like like at a tournament i know i can't just get up and leave and go home until i'm out of the tournament so that yes i get the, the breaks every two hours for 15 minutes but that's not going to do very yeah. much so, so that, that's what i'm saying is a cash game i'm actually willing to try maybe i'll hate it and won't go back but i'm willing to try and even if i leave after an hour all i've cost myself is the drive there and back but the uh, so the, the really the, it's the crappy rules that are more keeping me away because I, I want to I want to have the water next to me at the table. I want to be able to order food. I, I like especially the water. The food I can maybe do without or just take a break to go eat somewhere. But the, to not have the water next to me at the table is a joke. So I don't know if they still have that. I forgot to ask that question. But uh, it just looks like a lot of silly rules. So that's that's why I okay. wanted to discuss what the rule should be. Can I interrupt you for a minute? Yeah. And you can definitely tell me this is inappropriate. It's fine. This has nothing to do with COVID. Is it okay if I tell you? You might. You're going to get a kick out of it. But yeah. it's kind of a time. Okay. 
So I don't know how this started, uh, but somewhere during the lockdown, I got on somebody's master list in Nigeria. And I've been having all these Nigerian scammers contact me on Instagram. And anyhow, long story short, I have right now at three in the morning as we speak, this someone calling me from a U.S. number, but they're in Nigeria trying to get <laughs> some money for me for it, it was it was one of those gimmicks where they send you a letter telling me that I have this much money coming to me, but I, they have to I have to put up some money. You know, the, the, the oldest scam in the book. I have to put up money up front. So let me ask you this: this could be this could be comedy gold now. This person's literally calling me now. I've never talked with them on the phone, just via text. And I'm stringing them along because it's funny to me. Like, because I know just how in their mind they think they're so close to getting some money from me when it, it couldn't be further from the truth. So let me ask you this. This may be really entertaining for the audience here. Let me, I tried to just merge when they were calling me. But since you're on Skype, I can't do that. So let me hang up with you. And I'm going to call you on the radio line. And I'm going to merge you on. And I want you to be my attorney. But okay. I have one other idea. Do you want to try to uh, say call my other phone number and give just the radio number to them? Well, I could do that. I mean, but then they're going to know your number. They may harass you forever. I mean, it could start a trend. I don't know if if you are going to care about that. I mean, you may have to block a million numbers. But if you want me to do that, I can do that. But but what I don't want you to do, they're calling me now. What I don't want you to do though is tell them I'm not sending them money because I want to continue to string them along. Okay. okay. Do you, want, you know what I mean? I don't. I just want them to s just think money is that close. So do you want me to give them the radio number? Is that better? Or do you want me to... Yeah, uh, it's, just, yeah, yeah you can give them the radio number, whatever. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait it's 775-FRAUD55, right? Yeah, 775-372-8355. Okay, so let me... Tell them, call my other one, then I'll, then I'll add it on here, then you can say hello, and, and then you can introduce me, whatever you want me to be. Okay, so real, real fast. The premise again was this person's name is uh, something Sharif, and he's asking me to send five thousand dollars for remittance of. It's some, always remittance. Yeah, of a <laughs> trust that's in somewhere in in Spain that's going to be sent to me. Okay, so I'm going to have him call you, but the key is we got to keep him on the hook. No, that's fine. Okay. I, I won't. I won't okay, blow it or, or or reject it. Okay, hold on. What what is what does it come out to be? Seven seven five. I mean, what are the, yeah, three, I know, what are the number? Three seven two. Three seven two. Eight three five five. Okay, I'm telling him right now. I know we we were both talking to the same like romance scammer on Facebook. Yeah, that's how I think it started. But this guy's been going on now for three weeks, and he's telling me he's still in Spain and he can't get home because he's waiting for my money and he misses his family. And but the funny thing is, and then I go like on on Coinbase and I find like, or I go on Google and I found like a couple of Coinbase screenshots of people with like hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in there, and I send them screenshots. So I'm like, money isn't the issue. You know, but, so the point I'm making is they think I'm this rich baller with tons of crypto. And they can taste it. Okay, I, I just sent the text. They can just taste. And I, I want to just prolong this as long as I can because I think it's hilarious. Like he's wasted so much time on me that like now he just has to see this through. So let me know if they call. Okay, okay I'm calling you right now. They said he okay. calls me Mr. Brandon. You're going to be my attorney. Okay, and it might, it might only be like a minute call because I don't know. I've never talked to to these people. No, that's a first here. We get to speak to a Nigerian. Yeah, but it could, it could be funny. I'm going to introduce you as my attorney. And say that you handle all this kind of stuff. We're ready to pay. 
but my attorney had some questions. And uh, so I gave him, you said it was 775-372-8355? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, just look at the little gauge or whatever. It should be calling soon. Um, but yeah, I don't know how I got on their, their master list, but uh, I've been getting a lot of these and it's, you know, it doesn't bother me. It's more funny than anything. I'm kind of like you now. Like I like to play along with them and my, uh, my joy of it is making them think they're getting something and stringing them along as long as I can. That's where I get my, you know, my pleasure. I know it sounds kind of sick and crazy, but it's kind of like my own little game. So. <laughs> well, we were talking to the same scammer. This someone like stole some military girl's picture from and claimed they were from Colorado Springs and uh, um, like this hot Asian girl who was in the military and they were pretending to be her. So they were they were trying to ask for Bitcoin. So they were talking to both me and Brandon somehow. I don't know how they got they they added both of us and um, I had a feeling it was a scam. No, 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 no. Yeah, what it, and what it was was I told them you were my brother, and then, so then she started going after you. But then she started going after me. But then you told her at some point I was gay, and I had to get out of that. I like I wanted to keep. Oh, they're calling here. The the, the, the okay. we'll put them on. Right. Here, here we okay. go. Hello, hello. Can you hear hello. me? He hear you. Yeah. Hi, hi uh, Sharif. I what I ended brother. up doing because I really want to take care of this. I want to take care of this okay. payment. Uh, I have okay. my attorney Alvin Finkelstein on the phone. Sure. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. I'm. I'm. Just, yeah. I'm, Hello. My. Hello. Yes. Can you hear? Hello. What a fail! He hung up. Yeah. Okay. We had a bad connection. Well, I mean, they're calling from Nigeria. Yeah, I think yeah. I think he's probably using some kind of voiceover. It was on his end, but he was using some kind of voiceover IP. Okay. Well, if he calls back, answer it because it could be funny. If not, don't worry about it. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I know you get—I know you get a kick out of it. No, no, it's funny. I—I I, I wanted to talk to him, but he just, uh, unfortunately, the. So basically, like he claimed there was some probate. You know, of course, oh, he, 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 find he, me. He's calling back here. Let's, okay, go ahead. Let's connect him. Sharif. Hello. Sharif, if Hello? you want the money, yeah. you have to get a phone that works. I want to send you this money. Okay, I'm trying to send this to you, but yeah, you got, listen. Okay, but I need you to explain. This is Alvin. He helps me with my money. I have the five thousand right now in cryptocurrency. He just okay. wants you to. Can you explain to him again what I'm doing this for? Because he handles my crypto for me. I have. I just deposited earlier tonight five thousand eight hundred. Hello, can you hear me? The thing is, we talked about this. We talked about this. Um, right, but I need um, to explain you. it. To, can you explain it to Alvin? Explain it to, to to Alvin Finkelstein for me. He's on the phone. So what is the five thousand for now? So where's Brandon? Where's Brandon right now? Where is he? This is Brandon. Yes, I'm the one that that's been talking to you. I'm right here. But he handles so, um, the, these kind of yeah. Go ahead, sir. But you said um, it's the Antony. I'm sorry. It's what? You say it's the Antony speaking to me right now. So I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. No, no, no. no. There, there's there, right there, there's two people on the phone here. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm his attorney. I'm I'm his attorney, uh, Alvin Finkelstein, but Brandon is the one speaking to you, too. We're both on the phone here. We're both together. Hi, Hi buddy. This is Brandon, and this is Alvin. There's two of us on the phone. I woke him up in the middle of the night in Los Angeles because I have the right. money, and I want right, to take care of this. Do you, do you want the money, or you okay. don't want the money? Do you want the money? Listen, I just want to go back to my family, okay? So I need the money right now so I could just make the ring paint. He's uh, Alvin, I mentioned this. Yeah, we can hear you. He's in uh, Spain, I think, or somewhere, and he's away from his family because he was there on business for me to get this money released. 
So he can't get back home until I send him my partial payment. And then when, when will I be getting my 1.3 million? Like uh, tomorrow in a week? I mean, that's the other issue. I want to know how long until we get paid. I have to give Alvin now part of this for helping me. Sharif? I just need to change the name on the document, okay? Okay, but and when, when will I receive my money? How long? Um, as long as it's done. But like I'll send everything. Hello? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, I'll I, send you everything you need to know. I'll send it when it's done. I'll send you every document and everything. Okay, You're gonna get it. A okay, Alvin. Yeah. Alvin, what do you think? Should I send the money right now? Are you comfortable with this? Or well, what should we do? We need to know a timetable. What we need to know is when, after he sends the five thousand dollars, how how long after that will Brandon receive the one point three million? Okay, it's a process in a week. So you're saying okay. in a week's time on on I will uh, send them. I will listen up. I will send them every details you need to know. Okay, so um, the money will process in a week. No, I understand yeah, that, but what we right we now. need to know now, though, so okay. what we want we want to send you the money, but what we need to know is okay. how soon after we send you the money that we will receive the one point three million. You will receive it in a week. So uh, one week from today, you were saying that once you receive the 5000 from us, one week from today, we will have $1.3 in our bank account. In seven days, yes. In yeah, that account. seems reasonable. All you need to do is just give me your bank details. Okay, that well. That sounds like a reasonable no. Yes, yeah. uh, well, it, it, yeah. it does sound like a good return on investment. And uh, yeah. so, so uh, Brandon, um, this sounds good to me here. That now, um Right, so you're going to send this gentleman the five thousand. Now, how does he, does he want to receive this in cryptocurrency? Yeah, he. You want yeah. Bitcoin? B Bitcoin, uh, Sharif? Yeah, in, yeah, you're going to send him crypto. Okay. All right. What, what do you What do you say, Alvin? Just go ahead, and take care of so, it. So, so you you want this in in Bitcoin? Is that the way you'd want to receive it? What do you say? You want Bitcoin, right? Hello. Yeah, cryptocurrency. Okay, and are you going to send the 1.3 million in cryptocurrency in a week? Will that happen, in, or that'll be a, a wire? Um, it's going to be a wire. Okay, so we'll receive a. So just to be clear here, I want to make sure that we have this in, in, an agreement. Thank, thank you, Alvin. Okay. Okay. Okay, so that's that's good. Okay, I, so, I, you, you two can finish up the conversation. I'm satisfied that this uh, that this transaction okay, is legitimate. Right. Goodbye. Okay, good. Right. Good. Okay. Well, thank. Okay. Sharif. Yeah, Sharif. Thanks for talking to him because he handles. You know, I, I I have a lot of money. I, I've showed you my my crypto accounts, but he likes to. You know, he manages my money for me, and I explained the scenario, and he said it was a great idea, but he wanted to just yeah. you know ask you a couple questions. Um. So yeah, I think when you make good. the payment right now, when you make the payment, when you make the payment, so um in yeah, ten I, days I just need, you're gonna get you're gonna get a wire transfer. Okay. Well, I just so need then, about five yeah, minutes good. and. I just need about five minutes, and I'll I'll send it to you. And uh, now, do you want? Let me tell you. I don't know. Did you watch Saturday Night Live tonight? Huh? Did you happen to you watch? Say? No. Did you happen to watch Saturday Night Live on TV tonight? Because that that doggy coin is really blowing up. So I can send it to you in doggy coin, uh, crypto instead. If you really want to gamble, that that Elon Musk, you know, he was on the Saturday Night Live tonight, and it's going through the moon now. So, would you want some doggy coin for the crypto? No, no you, crypto. Well, no, 
you, crypto oh, do you not do. know crypto would do. You, are you not a fan of doggy coin? That's huh? that is crypto. No. Doggy coin is crypto. Uh, Alvin, can you explain to them what doggy coin is, please? It's I know it doesn't have really intrinsic value, but can you explain it? Yes, um, uh, the, the doggy coin is a new cryptocurrency, which is, is a lot better than Bitcoin because it's based around a dog. And uh, it's better than a, a regular uh, type of cryptocurrency because uh, a dog is backing it. And uh, Elon Musk mm-hmm. is a big fan of it and has been pumping it up. So that is the future. Eventually, um, we're all going to be paying everything in doggy coin, and it has uh, it's gone up in value by by a few hundred times since uh, about okay. uh, a year and a half ago. So I really suggest that you take that over Bitcoin. Bitcoin is kind of very 2017 doggy mm-hmm. coin is the wave of the 2020s you should re- you should really get the doggy right. coin it's that's that's what all the cool kids are using these days yeah. so if you send me okay. why don't you send why don't you send me your doggy coin uh wallet address and i'll send it to you right now as soon as we hang up and we could just and that will help you out too you'll make more money okay okay all right what no what, 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 doggy right coin, yeah, what doggy coin wallet do you use uh sharif hello hey there yeah yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? What, can you hear yeah, me? I can hear you. I can hear you great. I'm asking you what wallet, okay. what crypto wallet for doggy coin do you use? What, what's your favorite? Do you um, use Coinbase? Use, um, yeah, which one? I use blockchain. I use blockchain. Okay, blockchain. Well, now, Alvin, will that work if yeah. I send them right now on blockchain, the, the doggy coin? Um, the, the I, I, th- I think they may have just added that as an option, so I do believe you can okay. send the doggy. He just needs to send his address to you, and then you can okay, send good. him the, do- the the 5000 in doggy coin. And I know Elon Musk will be very happy. I'm gonna yeah. for- I, I will send him a letter informing him that this transaction is being done in doggy coin and that uh, this is going to uh, increase its utilization. So I think that uh, okay. I, I believe that this is going to be something that benefits everyone. Now, Sharif, okay. is your is Sharif? Tell me, is your family still mad at you because you told me your wife? Yeah, your they are very mad at me right now. Well, so what I did you tell them? them you done, so I yeah. can get back to them. If you don't mind me asking, what did you tell them so far? Because I, I hate to think that they're mad at you. I'm, I'm very sorry for this. But they're, this ma- Chinese they're mad at me right now because I told them I'm going on a business vacation. So, um. So they say um, it's been it's been a while now. So um, yeah, I just need to go back to them. No, okay. um, I've been spending a lot here. I've been spending a lot here. So um, I just need to go back to them to take care of okay. one or two things. Okay. So okay. Well, we have a couple more topics that we need to finish up on the radio. But as soon as that's done, I'm going to send the doggy coin. Just send me your doggy coin wallet. Uh, you, you know, you have my phone number. You can text it to me. And I feel like uh, Alvin, if there's nothing else you have, uh, we, uh, let's let's complete this transaction. Yeah, I, I think your, I think this sounds good your, to me. I'm I'm glad that you ran this by me, and I, I I'm very much uh, uh, in approval of of this entire matter. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's going to get rich here. Okay, well, Sharif, yeah, thank yeah, you. Did a great, did a great thing, yeah, yeah, I did a good job, didn't I, Sharif, with this deal, huh? Yeah, yeah, through the moon, very good, very good, yeah, very good okay. Guy, yeah. Okay, well, well, we're gonna get back to the coronavirus topics, but send me send me the the doggy coin, uh, what have you. And I'll send it uh, okay. within minutes. I'll send it right away. Okay. All right, no problem. Okay. Well, yeah. tell me, Thank where you. are you at again? You're in. You're in. Are you in Spain, Sharif? Is yeah, it I'm Spain right you're now. In? Yeah. What What city yeah. in Spain? Hello. What city in Spain are you in? What city? Hello. Can you hear? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you Hello? great. What city in Spain are you in? What part of Spain? 
Hello? Hello, can what, you hear me? Jesus. What part of Spain are you in? What city? City. What city in Spain? You in Madrid? Are you in Barcelona? Where in Spain are you? Here, here's a question. Are there any bulls that are running outside at the moment? That's, that's a good question. Yeah, are there bulls nearby, Sharif? Now you hung up. Hello? Okay, all right. <laughs> so funny. So anyhow, all right. Uh, I wonder what he's going to do next. You think he's going to figure out what doggy coin is, or what? What like? How do he leave? No this? idea. No chance. He's going to text me and just. I'll, I'm going to make up another excuse, or I'll. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to give him some random numbers or something and say this is the doggy coin, or I'll, I'll figure it out. But I, I just <laughs> I, I I like I like prolonging this because it's just you can see he's sitting there, and I'm sure they're like in a room full of other scammers, and they think they're getting their score tonight. Yeah, and they're so excited. You know what I mean? That they're, they're <laughs> he's probably going to ask the others, like, what's this doggy coin? How do I get an address? You know, what are you going to do? It's unbelievable. It's really, you know, and the sad thing is if you, you know, Google this stuff, people fall for this stuff every day. Oh, I know. It's just remarkable to me. It's absolutely remarkable. So anyhow, sorry to interrupt the coronavirus. No, no, no. It was funny. I was, there was, there was... Yes, it is. It is. Did, I mean, and by the way, I just, I'm just assuming, you know, I'm not being racist or prejudicial or whatever i don't know if he's actually in nigeria i think so because the original set of scammers that started contacting me were from nigeria and, and there's no other chance or i guess there is but that's likely how uh, you know they got my information that someone said hey well we have a live one here but we just couldn't finish the deal why don't you guys try and you know that's that's basically well and there's a lot of actual nigerian scammers on facebook at the moment that they've been infesting facebook recently and uh, that's I, I know for a fact that's happening. So it's not even just that's where it began because it did spread to other places, not just in Nigeria anymore. But Nigeria really is all over Facebook. Oh, he's calling back here. Let's throw him back on one more time. Okay, okay, sure. Sharif, are you there? Hello. Sure. Yeah, Sharif, what is wrong with your phone? Hello. I'm very. I'm getting very upset. What kind of businessman are you uh, that we can't even talk and have him close this deal? I'm not very happy. What, well, why don't you have a working phone? Well, actually, Brad, Brad is to blame for this, okay? Because I told him my phone is not really working well. So um, uh-huh. I'll, 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 I've, been there, I've been there since a lot of time, so um, I've been telling him to make the payment. So um, I told him, but I get a phone fixed right now. Okay. So uh, what I was asking you is where in Spain are you? What, what city in Spain are you located in? You never told me. Oh, you mean me in spain yeah, okay right, yeah. valencia valencia, right. spain. Oh, valencia. Okay, valencia yeah okay what yeah valencia, spain. okay and how much how much is airfare for you you're based out of texas correct is that where your office is in texas that's correct how much is airfare to get you back home to texas so i'm thinking maybe i'll throw in a little bit extra just to get you home safely and and since you've done all this for me what what is a, a first class? Uh, I don't know. We'll say Delta. Does Delta fly from uh, Valencia to Texas, or what, what airline do you use normally? Which airline? Hello, hello. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm, you know, this is very frustrating because I am a businessman, and it's 2021, and we can't have a clear signal. It feels like a uh, Nextel commercial. From you remember those Nextel commercials, Alvin? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, can you yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can you what? hear me? Yeah, I can hear you great. Can you hear me what now, man? Good. Is, is, yeah. is Brandon. Is yeah, this is Brandon. This is Brandon. What okay. airline right. what airline will fly you? Because I want to send you some extra money. 
I want to send you extra on top of the 5,000 since you said your wife and your kids aren't talking to you uh, to get you home first class, maybe maybe have a, a Jack and, and Coke on the plane, buy a drink on me. What airline do you do you prefer? What's the airline you like? Because I'm going to look up and see how much a first class ticket is. So I just need to know what airline. Because I'm going to send you like a tip. You know, I'm going to give you a little little extra money, a little extra doggy. Are you, trying, are you trying to tell me you want to send me extra doves? Alvin, can you explain to him what I'm saying? I, you know, I get very frustrated with Sharif because it's 2021 and we're doing business. He should have a phone that he can hear me, Alvin. Can, can you explain to him what I'm trying to say, please? Yes. Um, my, my client here, Brandon, he's very upset that uh, we're having such a hard time talking to you that your phone isn't good enough. We're making such a, a high money deal here. And unfortunately, we can hardly mm -hmm. understand because the phone you're calling Brandon, from is not Brandon, very good I quality. You, I told you my phone is not working well, but I got it fixed well you need to get it fixed you need to buy a new phone here that, uh, yeah. that's a higher quality it, sharif what did you say it's an iphone no i know i know you have an iphone 6 is that what you're using you said iphone 6 yeah that's correct yeah see it's, it's hard it's hard to take you, you know, alvin, it's hard to take you seriously as a businessman without a quality phone that's the problem alvin, here alvin what do you think if i send them a little bit more money so we can get a phone you yeah, know, I think that I, I think he needs that. How, you know, how about we send you some extra money so you can afford a better phone, and then we can communicate better? Because this is very frustrating for us to have these uh, difficult conversations. Yeah, would you like a, a an iPhone 12, Sharif? Would that make you happy? Okay, I'll be glad. What color do you want? They have like the gray, the white, the black. I even hear there's a purple out there. Now. I, I actually like recommend purple? the I recommend the rose gold. That's a good that's a good color. Oh yeah, that's a nice. Do you like uh, okay. sorry, rose? It's a nice one. Rose? It's a nice one. Rose gold is a nice one. Okay. How, how, so Alvin, what do you think? Maybe I'll send him sixty five hundred instead of five. That will give him a ticket and 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 the, a rose gold iPhone. Yeah, okay. I think uh, sixty five hundred in doggy coin. Uh, that should allow him to both okay. uh, return to Texas, where he's from, and and also to uh, to acquire an iPhone 12 to make uh, better phone calls with us. Okay. Yeah. So, Sharif, right. do you think so that's I'll fair be to glad. make? Up? I'll be glad. I'm a family is going to be glad too as well. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's sure. I appreciate so the it. only the only no problem. So the only last question I have is, what airline do you choose to go home? What's your favorite airline? What's your favorite airplane company? You know, Delta, Southwest. Uh, Pan Am. Do you like Pan Am? I'm sure that's actually a worldwide airline. Yeah, you like I guess I guess I guess that's I guess that's a first class or, or first grader, right? So um, oh, I'm absolutely. Good. Yeah. Would would Pan would have you ever flown on Pan Am before? No, no, no. Okay, okay. So what what airline did you fly to uh, Valencia? What on? what what does what does it look like? What does it look like? Is it good? What does it look like? Uh, it looks like. Uh, United, maybe? I'm going to guess United. Maybe JetBlue? Israeli Israeli Airlines? Okay. No. Singapore? Am I close? Singapore Air? Mm, well, that's good. That's good. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. I will appreciate okay. it. Uh, okay, yeah. no problem. All right. Well, yeah. let me do that now. All right. Thank then. you very much. No problem. Six, so 6500 and, and we can close this deal for sure, Sharif. 100% 65 that's right. fair. Thank you. Gonna, Thank you very much. Sharif, so I will send you. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna send me the doggy coin uh, uh, wallet information, and I can send it to you. Right. Doggy coin. Should I send, okay. Should I send here? Should I send here? I'll send it to Braden. 
No, you send it to me. This is Brandon. I'm I, I'm the one that's been talking to you. Oh, oh I, uh, you're just on a oh, conference right, right, with my right, with my good. business manager. Now, do me a favor before we go. Will you just say doggy coin? Say, repeat just after me because I love hearing this. We repeat after me and just say doggy coin to the moon. Say that. It'll make me so happy. Doggy coin to the moon. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, very good. So, <laughs> okay, All right. so, send me send me All the right. information, and we'll we're gonna consider this a closed deal. And promise me one thing. Please, one thing. Go get that rose uh, gold phone for yourself with some of this money. Please, you promise me, Sharif. I'm gonna send you extra. Get the rose gold. Maybe get one of those charging. Okay. Mats. Just do something nice for yourself. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. All right. You're, you're very welcome. Nice okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Nice to right. with you too. All right. Talk to you later. Bye bye now. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. To the moon. By, by the way, we have. A, I, I like the doggy going to the moon. But uh, thank you. The, the uh, we have a, we have confirmation he is in Nigeria because before he called back here, he accidentally called using his regular phone number. So I have his real phone number now, and it is. Oh, that's great. It is a Nigeria phone number. Like he called and like quickly hung up and called back under this American number. So I have his real number from the two three four country code, which is Nigeria. So if, if you would have answered, I assume would that would have billed him long distance, international long distance, I imagine, for even like a minute. That's what I'm wondering Probably. here, because I assume he's calling like with a Google voice number or something. But then I wonder if he's doing that, how he made the mistake and called it from his phone. But maybe huh. maybe he just accidentally dialed on the wrong keypad or something. Yeah. Well, do me a favor. Uh, off air or whatever, text me. Save that number and just text it to me so I have it for my resources. Yeah. Because okay. I'm going to. I'm going to, I think the play I'll make is that uh, I was just about to make the transaction and something highly irregular happened. A Nigerian number showed up on my attorney's <laughs> cell and he has concerns now that we're being, we're being tracked by the Nigerian government and you know, I'll, I'll come up with something. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm, I, I, so yeah, so, send me the number. I, I can use this to, you know, create another stall tactic, but uh, it's really, really funny because these guys, like they don't even... I don't want to say they don't try, but, you know, their English isn't good. Their writing isn't good. Like, you would think they would put more effort and, and learn more about their trade. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah, I've always just... wondered this, too. I, I said, you know, if they got some shady Americans to work with them, they would do so much better. If they could get, like, an American yeah, to call absolutely. up and speak for them. Even these romance scammers, if they could just get some American women to – or even the ones that target women get American men – to call up and okay, speak so with this, these people, they could really do a lot better than here, where they they have the language barrier and the accent and all that. Like it, it makes people suspicious. Okay, so this is funny, and I'm just going to put this out there on the air because I don't care. When he originally approached me, he said that he was the owner of a company called Fidelity LLP, and he also said his name was Kaleb Sharif. That's K A or Kaleb. K-A-L-E-B, and the last name is Sharif, S-H-E-R-I-F. And the funny thing is, if you put that in Google, the first and only result you're going to get is there's a LinkedIn page that he created, okay? And it has, like, a picture of, like, put it in there. I'll repeat it to you. And there's a picture of, like, this middle-aged white guy that's, like, in his 60s, maybe 50s. And it's just so funny that, you know, he obviously stole someone's picture, but it's so blatantly not him. That it's 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 so how is hilarious. it spelled? Okay, hold on. Let me. Okay, which part? <laughs> the the name that I've looked for on LinkedIn. Okay, try. 
under his name. I, I can't remember. I did it either under the name of the company, but try the name first. It's K-A-L-E-B. That's K-A-L-E-B. And the last name is S-H-E-R-I-F. Khalib Sharif. I just call him Sheriff. And I'm looking right now. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I found it. Yes. Yeah, so it's from, he's Caleb. Yeah, and look where it says probate and estate solicitor. Do you see that? Yeah. So it's a Caleb Sharif from Big Spring, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right, he's, right, right. he's got 51 connections. He went to Bales University of Law, Fidelity LLP, Assets and Securities. And it says about experienced generalist. What's a generalist? Experienced generalists grounded in legal contract arbitration and litigation, probate and asset, uh, international legal counseling, safety law, human rights and civil rights, civil rights solicitor, probate estate, securities and corporate law practitioners. This is like a lot of nonsense. Uh, and he went to Bales University of Law. <laughs> I think he's from Big Spring, Texas. Right. That's I know. That's Where is Bales? Is that in England? Yeah, I, I don't even know what that is. And then it, I'm looking at his job history, and he also doesn't understand that attorneys in the U.S. don't call themselves solicitor. That's a, not a term used here. So That's he was attorney slash solicitor uh, for uh, Fidelity Legal Practitioners, Fidelity LLP for Arab Gulf Offshore Exploration and Drilling Commission, uh, legal advisor for Sterling Legal Practitioners for six years from August 1998 to September 04. Legal assistant for Aldous Balfour Solicitors from March 86 to May 97. That makes him pre- pretty old. In fact, oh, I see. From Bales University of Law, for some reason it took him 10 years. I guess he was uh, a slow student. But he got uh, f- he went there from 1974 to 84 to get his uh, Doctor of Philosophy PhD in uh, international law and legal studies. He was a 10-year student, but he did it. You know, he got his PhD in international law and legal studies in 84. And he, he was, uh, he started in 74. So this is a pretty old guy. He's, he was, uh, I mean, look, I, I'm close to 50 and it's 1974. I was only two. So this guy, 47 years ago, uh, was, was started at Bale's University of Law. So this is an experienced dude. Unbelievable. Yeah. I wonder well, where he got I this picture. That... Like, I wonder where that picture's from. Do you see? Do you see the picture of it? Yes, guy? it's a guy. It's like this guy with a beard. He looks like in his fifties or something. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It, it's some kind of lawyer <laughs> that's standing in front of a bunch of uh, uh, law books, and uh, he probably stole it from some lawyer's site. Let me see if I can reverse image search this. It's a very small picture, so it may not show up. But let me let me try. What I think would be funny is when you go back and edit the show, see if you can remember to grab that little soundbite of him saying, doggy going to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> save it. Because that's a pretty, that's pretty funny. It's a pretty funny clip there. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that's what they're doing now. They're trying to research what this doggy coin even is. Yeah. He actually just texted me. So I always think of two things I can do here. and I've, uh, So option one would be to delay this and prolong it you know and eventually i've done this before eventually they just give up or i can i've done this before too and this really tilts them send them like one dollar and i've done that before and i'm like did you get it (laughs) you know i'm writing like all in caps like i'm excited and they're like mr brandon i don't understand there's only one (laughs) dollar so i I, I've, i've done that before so he texts me a uh wallet and I'm going to ask him if that's his doggy coin wallet. 
So anyhow, I thought that was funny. Yeah, it was. I'll see where yeah. this goes. That's that's entertaining. So okay, yeah. let's let's uh, yeah go back get back on track. Let's finish the last topic we have here. This is something that's not going to affect you personally, but it will affect me shortly, and almost is already. The COVID vaccine has been almost approved for 12 to 15-year-olds. So right now it is still 16 plus in the U.S., but 12 to 15-year-olds are about to be approved. So this raises the question, and Benjamin isn't 12 yet, and he won't be 12 for another year and a half. So if it stays that, then I won't have a decision. But I assume it's going to get lower than 12 soon enough. And it's it's not quite there yet, but we're going to yeah. be at 12 pretty soon. So I can't believe he's almost 12. Is he going to get bar mitzvah in a year? No, no, he's, he's 10 right now. Oh, I thought you said he was 12. No, he'll, Sorry, in a year and a half, he'll be 12. Okay. All yeah. right. So, gotcha. All right. so, so um, what the question is here. Number one, there's two questions about this thing with the 12 to 15-year-olds. Number one, should we be shipping these vaccines to other countries that need this more for people who are actually dying from COVID rather than giving this to kids who really are not getting very sick from COVID and almost none of them are dying? So should, this, should the U.S. say, tough luck, these are our vaccines, we'll use them how we want, or should we say we have some responsibility to the rest of the world, the countries that are not first world countries that really need these vaccines should we ship those over there and say we'll get to the kids later so that's one question second question is is it wise to vaccinate 12 year olds at all so these are not easy questions either one with vaccinating the kids at all ignoring whether someone could use it more in another country there's a trade-off between the risk from the vaccine, which there is some risk, and it hasn't been tested very much because it's new and it didn't go through a long testing process. So there's a risk between the vaccine and COVID that parents will have to figure out, are they going to, which one is more dangerous? COVID itself has killed very few people under 18. There have been 277 deaths of people under 18 in the U.S. And there's like 60 million people under 18 in the U.S. I think more than 60 million. I think it was 60 million under 15. But there's a lot, at least 60 million people under 18. I think actually more. I think more like, probably more like uh, 70-something million under 18. And 277 died. And almost all of those 277 were kids who had pre-existing conditions. So if you have a kid that does not have major pre-existing conditions, just a normal kid, the chance of that kid dying from COVID is just about zero. In fact, the chance of that kid having any kind of serious illness or permanent damage from COVID is just about zero. The chance of dying from the flu is actually higher for kids under 18 than it is for kids for dying of COVID under 18. The reason COVID is so scary is because it's killing adults at a high rate. 
the number of deaths of people, for example, from 65 to 74 is 123,309. Compare that to 0 to 17, which is 277. There are way more people 0 to 17 than 65 to 74 in the U.S. Partially because it's a wider range. It's a 18-year range rather than a 10-year range. And second, because uh, some people die in that age range from 65 to 74. Some people don't even make it to 65. Whereas almost all the kids from 0 to 17 stay alive. So way more people in that first age group, yet there's 277 that died there versus 123,065 to 74. Even if you want to go down to 40 to 49, there were 16,507 deaths in that group, again, compared to 277. It's a tremendous difference. So the danger to kids for COVID is just so much less than adults. And the truth is, if the death rate and even the serious uh, illness or permanent damage rate from COVID was the same for everybody as it is for kids, we wouldn't be having any of these protocols or lockdowns. Nothing. Because it would be considered something unusual, a rare thing that kills people. And it would not be considered something to really fear. But because there's been uh, well over 500,000 Americans dying of COVID, over 550,000 have died of COVID, that is what has alarmed people. But 277 under 18 is almost nothing. And if you take out the kids who had the pre-existing conditions, it really is almost zero. On the other hand, there's a lot we don't know about COVID. And what if kids get COVID and have a relatively mild case of it and then find out in 30 years that it damaged them, damaged their heart, damaged their lungs, and they have problems down the line? So there's a lot we don't know about any possible permanent damage COVID might bring. So might it be safer to get the vaccine and prevent that? But then you also might ask, what if the vaccine causes damage down the line? And what if the vaccine causes damage immediately? What if the vaccine starts killing kids or interfering with their development or interfering with their fertility when they get a little bit older? And what if this happens to your kid? What if you give your kid the vaccine and then they start having problems either immediately or years down the line and you feel like a fool for vaccinating your kid from something that's very likely to only get them a little bit sick or not sick at all and then just go away. So it's a tough one. It's also tough because, and I'm dealing with this myself, with everybody being vaccinated except Ben, it's kind of a weird thing because I can go somewhere that I say, oh, I don't worry about being in this place because I'm vaccinated. And I go, oh, wait a minute, but Benjamin isn't. So it also starts to become tougher on families where they have to worry about COVID danger, even if everybody's vaccinated because you have the kid who isn't. So making the decision whether to give it to 12-year-olds, even 15-year-olds, it, it can be tough. Uh, Brandon, if you had a kid who was uh, 12 to 15, would you give them the vaccine at this point? Um, probably not, no. Yeah, I, I'm kind of leaning against this too with Benjamin. Like for me, there was no question. For me, uh, and for you, obviously, there's no question. You did it too. Uh, I, I had my background concerns of what if something happens to me from the vaccine, but I, I thought that uh, the chance is so small compared to COVID doing something to me where the chance isn't that small. I would probably wait six months to a year 
until there's more information out there and then reevaluate. That's what I would do. I probably wouldn't do anything yet if I was in your situation. And by the way, in the clinical trials for the vaccine for the 12 to 15 year olds, they actually found that the number who showed symptoms of COVID on the vaccine was zero point zero. It was actually 100% effective in kids. But remember, they're not testing a ton of people with that. It's only a small group. And most kids don't really catch COVID or show COVID symptoms easily anyway. A lot of kids had COVID and don't even know it because they were asymptomatic. So it's possible some did get it and just didn't feel it. But they could not find a single kid in the ones that volunteered for the study. And how do you do that? How do you volunteer your kid for a study on the vaccine? Like what kind of parents would do that? But somehow some did. And uh, I mean, I guess you can justify saying you don't want your kid getting COVID, but that seems really reckless. But anyway, some parents did, and none of the kids had an adverse reaction. So that was good news. None of the kids got sick from the vaccine. But uh, zero kids got, the, got COVID. And in that same group that got the placebo, the same number of people, 18 got COVID. So that's still not a ton of kids. I think it was like at a 2,200 kids or something. So there really wasn't very much uh, COVID in any group, but they did see 18 in the, the placebo group get COVID and zero with the vaccine. But again, that might be because of uh, kids just being asymptomatic from COVID. I kind of think like you're thinking that I don't think I would want to give this to Benjamin right now, even if it was allowed. I think I'd want to wait at the very least and see if there are adverse reactions, if there is anything discovered. What is a little scary, stuff could be discovered down the line. They could discover that it's affecting fertility. They could affect it's, it's discover it's affecting growth or development. Sure. And, that's a, and that's another thing to be concerned with, is that when I took the vaccine, I didn't have to worry about growth or development. That was done 30 years ago. But with Benjamin, it's not. So do I want to inject something that could affect that? And that's... Uh, like there's always there's a lot there's different concerns for kids and adults. Kids have the uh, developmental concerns that adults do not have. So that's something to keep in mind. There's some things that are less concerning for kids. Like for example, kids falling down while doing something is much less of a big deal than adults falling down. Kids, it's very hard for them to break bones. It's very hard for them to sprain things. Kids fall all the time and take nasty spills all the time, and they're totally fine. And adults, they, they hurt themselves easily. So there's some things that are way safer for kids, including catching COVID. And then there's some things that you don't worry about with uh, adults that you have to worry about for kids, such as uh, things that could change development. So I, I worry about that too, especially because Ben has a number of years left to still develop, being 10 years old right now. So I... I would feel stupid either way. If COVID, he got COVID and it damaged him when I could have gotten him the vaccine, I'd feel stupid, especially with no adverse event, events being reported yet. I would also feel stupid if the vaccine damaged him and I'll go, well, why did I do this? What was I protecting against? What was I worried about? He doesn't have pre-existing conditions. So the chance really is like 0.0 that he would die from COVID. So why, why did I inject him with a vaccine, which has only a few months of testing behind it? So it's, a, it's a tough decision for parents. It's not quite up to me yet because they, they, it's still not uh, 
for his age group yet, but the 12 to 15 is coming very soon, and some parents will have to make a decision. With older teenagers, you can leave it more up to them. Like this, the 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, uh, even if they're still minors, there it's reasonable to present the facts to the kid and have the kid make the decision for themselves because they're almost adults and they can say, well, I'd like to have the vaccine or I wouldn't like to have the vaccine. You can respect that. But with 10-year-olds, you can't really do that. Or even 12-year-olds, it's kind of hard to just have them make the decision on it. Kind of too young sure. to make that type of decision. So uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. And uh, as far as tough. as far as giving away the uh, vaccine to other countries, that's also tough because I can see both sides of that. I can see where, uh, you know, if people want to vaccinate their kids, why should we have to give this away? But also it is needed a lot more by adults in other countries, like developing countries, than the kids needed here just because of the risk factor of the ages. So it is I, – I do see the argument to – ship the extra vaccine instead of starting to vaccinate kids to, to ship the vaccines to places which will save adults lives in other countries because they're still human lives they're, they're not american lives they're they're still human lives and we know this is very dangerous to old people and moderately dangerous to middle-aged people so if people can't get this you're going to have people dying as much as i'm a believer that uh the u.s has to take care of itself and doesn't necessarily uh owe the world anything at the expense of themselves if the benefit that the kids are getting from this is low so low that you even wonder if you want to even do it and the benefit that people in other countries who are older is very high then i i think it does make sense to send this to the other countries just in a humanitarian effort to save lives across the world and not just say well these people aren't first world residents so f them they just let them die i mean it's, it's still human beings you know you can't uh, you can't think that way and uh it is sad when anybody dies from this i think if a lot of lives can be saved by moving the vaccine elsewhere i, I would not want to take it away from if it was developed here i wouldn't want to take it away from adult americans that really need it even middle-aged americans like, I wouldn't want to hear that I can't get the vaccine because uh, we're shipping it off to Nigeria so uh, Sharif here can get vaccinated. Huh. But uh, you know, once once everybody who is really in danger of COVID is vaccinated, even people in moderate danger, then uh, if you want to ship it elsewhere, as long as it's not going to Nigerian scammers, then that's fine. So, yeah, I'll send you that number, by the way. I, okay. see, I, I see it right in front of me. That's funny. <laughs> but they, we, at least we have the... the confirmation that he's in nigeria what a rookie mistake that is huh yeah i can see he's like dials he's like fuck wrong one ah, hang up hang on hang <laughs> i could totally picture like he panics because it really like rang for a split second and then hung up <laughs> wrong number wrong number shit 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 hopefully he doesn't notice hopefully he doesn't notice hopefully he doesn't see the two three four country code yeah, he's blowing up my phone now wanting to know if it's sad it's just it's hilarious i really bet there's a ton of them just in a apartment or i don't know whatever wherever they are just all just getting all excited thinking this is going to be sent you know what i mean a lot of times these are actually uh big centers like uh they'll have air like a big room full of a uh, hundred of them all doing this at the same time and they also like a, even, like a call center yeah it's like a call center yeah they, they actually have this like big uh centers which do this and it's not even just guys at home 
sometimes they'll do it from home too, so they can stay in constant communication. And then sometimes they have to stay up uh, funny hours to communicate with Americans. And sometimes they don't like, you know, somehow he's not questioning why you're communicating with him at four in the morning, but uh, he just, uh, he's happy to have you responding to him. And it's funny because they, they have such little. Oh, under- no, it, what, what ends up happening is I don't even think that they account correctly for the hours or where they don't care because sometimes they'll text me and, you know, of course, I only respond if I'm up anyhow. And then I'll start screaming, like in all capitals with 100 exclamation points. It's three in the morning. What are you doing? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> you know, and then and then the funny thing is he'll get he'll like get real, real apologetic. He'll be like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Brennan, to disturb your rest. Rest is so important. And then like he just ignores it. And then like, so did you send the money? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he'll offer like a real long apology and then just right back to business. Like it, no, no concern in the world. But again, my thing that amuses me the most is these guys aren't even good at their craft. Like you're right. It, it would be a lot better if they got an American on their side, but even just researching and, and getting better at it, it's really just terrible. Like I don't understand how anyone could just fall and, and it's just, come up with a better number like i would be more inclined to believe someone if they said i mean i'm not gonna believe anyone anyhow but they tell me you know you sent 500 we'll, we'll send you 7500 but 500 for one point or 5000 for 1.3 million like it's just so preposterous that you know what i mean it's just like it's not even it's it's nuts it's yeah it's, it's amazing nuts. that people fall for this and then you should see the romance scams uh some of these romance scammers it is so tough for anyone to believe this first they'll use like totally unrealistic pictures with like some super weak backstory of why the person's in this African country. And then also they'll jump from like emailing you for the first time to saying they're in love with you in like two emails without any kind of explanation. And then of course they can't talk on the phone to you a lot of times, especially if it's a, if it's a girl, uh, they, they don't have a girl to even make the call or they're afraid to even do it because of the accent. So somehow just by email, Without ever kind of without ever FaceTiming or or talking on webcam or t- even talking on the phone, they convince people that they're in love with them. And in some cases, you have like these guys who are you know these American guys who are sixty five years old who are who are being sent pictures of American porn stars that are really you know these scammers that Googled them and they're believing these you know, super hot girls in their twenties fell in love with them after two emails. And sending them all kinds of money. These guys don't even stop to think, wait a minute. Like, So it's a girl who's currently working in Nigeria for some reason. A white American girl who looks like a porn star. And actually is a porn star. Working in Nigeria and fell in love with me. I'm 40 years older than her. After two emails and now wants me to send her money. Yeah, nothing suspicious about that. Like, You don't have to be a genius scam catcher to figure out that this is BS. I really wonder what some of these people think. And it's also, women fall for it too. They also like to target uh, lonely, middle-aged and older women with guys. And at least the backstory is a little more believable. They claim that these guys, they send pictures of like handsome guys in the military and claim that they're stationed there. But it, they're stationed in places right. that don't make any sense, like like in Ghana or Nigeria. And again, they they fall in love after two emails and they never talk on the phone and somehow these women believe that these, you know, the good-looking thirty-something-year-old uh, military guys want some uh, frumpy-looking sixty-year-old uh, woman. 
It's amazing. And they, they it's bought. Sad. It's also very sad. Oh, he's trying to call. Should I take it? Yeah, I told him to call because yeah. Go ahead, Sharif. Hello. Listen, Hello? I'm very upset. Yeah. It got returned. It's four in the morning here. It says that the, the wallet you gave me is incorrect. I mean, I'm trying to help you. You have to understand, my friend. It's four in the morning here. I'm exhausted, and you're not helping me any here. You have to send me the right information. You want the money or not? I don't. I don't understand. I'm. I'm very. Uh, Alvin, please help him. I. I don't. I just. This is. Really, really frustrating. Well, yes, um, Sharif, if you don't mind here, um, and, and I, by the way, I looked at your LinkedIn page. I, 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 you look like a very uh, respectable professional, so I'm hoping that uh, as one, and I see that you're in the legal field, so I'm hoping as one attorney to the other, uh, he hung up on me, <laughs> or he got disconnected in some way. I don't know what happened, but uh, oh, he's calling back. It must, it must have been a disconnect. Let's put him back on here. Sharif, uh, are you there? Hello? Hello. Sharif, right I, I'm, I'm trying to send you $6,500. I'm very upset. Okay. It's 4 in the morning. My day is going to be ruined tomorrow. It's telling me that that is not your correct doggy coin wallet to the moon. I, I, Alvin, can it you is. help him get this so yeah. we can take yeah, care so of this? Yeah, so this is a problem here. See, if we're trying to – we're doing everything right on our end. We, we have – a proper uh, means to send you the doggy coin. We've made sure you've entered everything correctly, and then we're getting error messages back that uh, this is not a, a proper doggy coin wallet. And it said uh, it, it said it even said that uh, Elon Musk has not personally approved this address, and that Jesus uh, Sharif. So, so we we can't operate this way. We're we're running a professional operation here. If we're going to send you this money, yeah. and we we need something that works because. Uh, um, this is okay. wasting a lot of so our time. What are you, what, 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 what are you trying? What are you trying to say now? So um, I don't know. I don't know what's moving on right now. But, well, um, oh, okay. Alvin, okay, can okay, you, okay, I did something. Well, you need I to send something. Brandon. Can you? Can, can you, you need can, to send Brandon a that? proper doggy coin address that has been verified oh. to work and that also has been personally approved by Elon Musk. Otherwise, yeah. be every. This is Alvin. a new rule. This is a new rule of doggy coin that if the if the wallet has not been personally approved by Elon Musk, then it will not be valid. So I think you have now, one that has not been. Alvin, I, have an, I have an idea. Can you give him one of the sites? Because he said he was using blockchain. Can you tell him? Yeah, a, a good, use a blockchain. Can, just send your blockchain wallet. Yeah, but that doesn't. Give him a, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that doesn't work. Okay, okay, okay. I think I got it. I think I got it. Um, the wallet I sent you, right, uh, the wallet I sent you, it was um, a blockchain mm -hmm. wallet. Yeah. Okay, but Alvin, can you no, recommend another site? Okay, I, what I suggest is that you use a site called Robinhood. Robinhood is used for doggy coin. Uh, Elon Musk himself has praised it. It is a is a very reputable company. Um, they also were involved with with trading uh, GameStop and other uh, respectable stocks in in the United States. So I suggest you get something called Robinhood and and get a doggy coin uh, address. And then, uh, when, but, when, but, Brandon, Brandon, wait, well, hold on, hold on. That would yeah, be a little precious. So, I've been, I can't, I've been thinking maybe, um, we can send Bitcoin direct, directly to, uh, um, well, my block, block, my block well, chain. Yeah, but you told me that you would take Doggy Coin, and that's what we converted it to. Doggy Coin is, I have six, I have 6,800. It's gone up $300 since we've been on the phone here. I have 6,800 in Doggy Coin right now. I'm looking at 6,850 now. It's gone up fifty dollars since we just said my last sentence. So, can you create a, okay. the correct okay. doggy Redden, coin wallet? Redden, Redden, Redden. But, uh, Sharif, I'm getting very upset. Uh, so, it's four in the morning. My, my listen, my my kid tomorrow. He has a very big uh, 
a Hello, cricket you match. Calm down. Well, I'm very upset. Calm down, okay? okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get a little you emotional. Calm down. But but my son has a cricket been, match been, in the morning. I've been, I've been, his... I've been, I've been yeah. up here right now, so um, I'm having headaches. So um, let's just get it done, well, okay? Yeah, but at Valencia, it's so the please. afternoon. What are you going to do right middle, now? We're going to do it right now. It's the middle Hello? of the night. And yeah, it's it's much more convenient for you. It's it's 1 p.m. where you are in Spain. It's 1 p.m. for us. It's at 4 a.m. I even wanted to get him a Rose iPhone. I'm trying my best here, Alvin. I'm trying Brilliant. to just come down yes. and listen to okay. me. Will I'm you? Sorry, I'm emotional. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. You're right. Okay. You're right. Okay. You're right. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Uh huh. Here's what we're gonna do. Okay. Okay. Talk to me. You're gonna get. You get a doggy. You're gonna get a doggy kind, and you're gonna come back to the big kind. Oh. So when you do that, so you send me the Bitcoin, and that'll be all. That's just it. Get okay, so you want me to convert it back from doggy coin to Bitcoin then? The Bitcoin, yeah. So you'll be able to send it right at least here. But it. I thought you wanted the doggy coin. I mean, I told you it's going through the moon. And I don't understand why well, I know. Okay, well, whatever. It's because I don't easier. have a doggy coin, so I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying my best to make this possible. Okay. So okay. Just what about so you? Have to convert. You have, you have to convert the doggy coin to Bitcoin, so you'll be able to send okay. it to me directly. Yeah. What about an oh my god sushi thing. coin? Do you are you familiar? Do you only deal in Bitcoin, Sharif? I thought you would do all the cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think you, I think you need to expand yeah, your yeah, your yeah. Uh, cryptocurrency the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, portfolio. Bitcoin is more easier. Well, that's the thing. Uh, sometimes easy is not okay. the best, though. So, Sharif, sometimes easy is not always the best thing to have. Sometimes yeah. you need to branch okay. out and do other things. I understand. I understand. I understand. But you you have to understand me too. Okay. Yeah. What, okay. what we need right here is just is just to convert the um, doggy coin to Bitcoin, mm -hmm. so you'll be able to send it directly to me. Okay, can you tell me so how to that do that? that. I, Sharif, I, okay, so I'm on. Hold on one second, Sharif. I'm on my. Uh, I'm on my 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 what have you right now? How do I convert this? Look, it's up to seven thousand now. It's gone up. I made five hundred dollars in doggy coin, just sitting here on the okay. phone with you. So I have okay. I have seven thousand and twelve dollars. And, and doggy coin. Okay. How do I convert? How do I okay. convert this now and send it to you? How do I do it? Okay. I don't know. Now, go to wait. Are you on the doggy coin right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm on doggy coin right now. Okay, okay. Go to um. You you you're gonna see something like Bitcoin. Okay. So mm -hmm. just go Bitcoin. Then then you convert. There's a convert there. So you convert on uh the doggy coin to Bitcoin. It's very easy. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Wait. Bitcoin. Or wait 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 up wait up. You can go uh -huh. online. You can go online and check online how to how to um, how to come back. How to come back from uh oh, Okay, yeah, now, so it says it. BCH BCH Bitcoin Cash. So that will give you the cash? Is no, that what it no, is? No, that's not it. That's not it. It's BDC. BDC. Well but hold on. It says Bitcoin, hold on. It says Bitcoin Cash. And what what does that mean? Nope. Yeah, no, that would no, sound. That, that sounds better to me. That, that it's actually Bitcoin and that, cash. Yeah. That sounds like yeah, it's even that's better. Probably the best because then you'll just get the cash. So hold on, let me see Bitcoin. No, 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 no. You know, you what? know, it is BTC, BTC, BTC. That's how it is. Oh no, this. Oh, this is. This says BCH Bitcoin Cash. No, no. Well, that no, would work, Sharif. That's not good. But I, we don't understand. Why don't you want Bitcoin Cash? Because it's like Bitcoin, but it also has cash. It's a better version of Bitcoin. In yeah, fact, uh, I don't understand. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, well let's Sharif, let's try this again because I I got the five. I sent you five hundred in Doggy Coin. It came back 
to me because it said it wasn't the correct wallet. So let me try this now. Why don't you send me your send me another address and I'll send you the Bitcoin cash and then and then you can just have it right away. Is that is that what you want me no, to do? No. No. Alvin, I'm getting very frustrated here. What is going Hello. on? Hello, you just need to calm down. You don't understand me right now. Well, you just need to calm okay. down, okay? Well, listen, Sharif, it's four down. in the morning. Bro. It's 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 four. I don't think I care for your tone, sir. Seriously? It's four in the wait, wait up, wait up. Seriously, mm -hmm. seriously, we're fucking we're doing business here, okay? I'm up here, too, okay? So I don't, oh, I, okay. I, I, we we've we've been we've we've been going through a lot, so um, but I didn't know about these. We've been going through well, a lot. I know, Sharif, I've been here all day, been, so um, Sharif, I need to get. How long, Sharif, how long have we been in, uh, trying to do this for? How long have we been in discussion now? You know, I was in. Did you well, even. Guess, did, I, okay, do you. But okay, listen, okay. just hear me out. Hear me out. You, I, all right, you know, all right, all right. I know, I know you're a very smart man. I've read your credentials. Uh, I know what kind of solicitor you are. But, you know, where I come from, you know, professional talk is one thing but there also needs to be just a little bit of tenderness in, in business now do you remember i was in the hospital for about 13 days did, did, i told you that you never even yeah, asked you told me that. I, was, I remember i never even well do you remember why i was in the hospital yeah yeah yes i do really Braden, Braden, i'm very, I'm very oh. sorry okay sharif hold on hold on, hold on. no 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 sharif why okay. was i in the hospital okay. sharif yeah. why why uh, sharif why was i in the hospital let me well, see if you um, even care i, I told you why I'm sorry I about even... you don't remember why that, I was in the... you don't remember but what caused me to be sick that remember what i told you caused me to be sick and be in the hospital come on sharif you don't even remember this. This sounds really like to me he may not care. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Can you hear Hi. me? If you understand. Okay. If you understand. My, my, my child, uh -huh. um, yes, his birthday. I told you about that, right? Yeah, you told me it was your child's birthday, yes. And, yeah, I've, uh, not been home. I've not been home for his birthday. How do you expect him to feel? Mm -hmm. Well, I was too bad because he needs that. He needs that around. So I wasn't there for him. I was, and I wasn't there for him. Good enough. So we've been trying. We've been trying. We've been trying all those things together, possible. Okay. So um, mm -hmm. right now we're very. But do you, very, do you know how happy your child would be if you if you came home to your child and you told your child that you have doggy coin? Your child would be so proud of you, and yeah. uh, they'd be. So I understand. I understand. After this, after this, I'm gonna get doggy coin. Okay. So let's just do it this way. It's going to the so moon. we can get it done. Okay. All right. Fair, fair. Okay. So Sharif, I know. I know. <laughs> I know, Braden, Braden, I know it's going to the moon. Yeah, I understand. I understand that. But after these, I'm going to get those <laughs> coins, guys, so we're going to get this, okay? Okay. <laughs> no, I, okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, right. okay. I'm listening. So I'm, I'm listening. Okay, so I'm going to sell the doggy coin and buy the Bitcoin cash then and then send it to you. Is that what we're doing? You no. want to sell this? Bitcoin. What do you mean no? Listen. Oh, my listen God. Up, I listen don't up. understand. Listen up, Braden. Listen up. Listen up. Okay. Yeah, it's going to going to do, okay? Just go online. Just go online. Check on how to convert doggy coin to BTC. Oh, I, okay. I think I see not it here. I, I'm taking a look. I see not, it's. Not, a, not I see Bitcoin SV. So it will convert it to Bitcoin SV. That's what he's looking for. Okay. Oh, the SV. Yeah, Bitcoin okay. SV. Yes, no, it's like no. it's like a Bitcoin that saves. Saying, it's a, it's saved no. Bitcoin. Alvin, you're not listening. You're not listening. You're not listening. We're trying to. We're trying to. Maybe the you know, listen, broken. Listen okay. up. Listen up. 
Just mm-hmm. try and stand here, okay? There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of pra- there's a lot of platform on um, cryptocurrency, okay? So um, here's what we're gonna do. Just check on BTC, all right? BTC is the best way for now, okay? Okay. Not BTH, not BTH, not BTV, okay? Because uh, okay. there's been a lot of platform, okay? So um, what you need to do is just come back from Dogecoin to BTC. So once now, you're able to come back, you'll be able to send directly to me. Okay. So, so do you get I have it now? To, yeah, I think I... So you're telling me okay. I have to convert check. the... I, okay, so I have check, to go to... Check, I have to, check your doggy point. You will see, you will see a BTC. So I have, right? to go to the, I have to go to the ATM now and get BTC. Or I have to go to a, a, one of those machines downtown? Okay. Okay, 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 okay. That's that's good. That's good. That's good. Okay, that's all good. right. So I'm gonna leave now. Then Alvin, uh, I'm gonna leave now and go go to the machine. There's one, maybe all eight right. miles. You know, I'll be the one by the one by oh. the IHOP. Uh, Alvin, that you like the poached eggs. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. So, so by the IHOP, I get the uh, moons over my hammy. Yes. Oh yeah, that's I, you love that. Okay, uh, so so I'll have to go then to the Bitcoin ATM then to do this and and. Maybe Alvin, I think I'm gonna stop and get uh, moons over Miami too because that or Miami, excuse me, uh, no pun intended there. Um, okay, well, right, is that fine then with you? So I'll, I'll get moving now because I want to get home and get my son to his cricket. My uh, Sharif, my son is playing uh, his first cricket match today. Uh, are you familiar with wow, cricket? Wow, wow, yeah. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah, yeah that's do, lovely. Do, yeah. Does your okay, boy? No does, how how old is your boy, Sharif? How old Two is your son? Old. Oh, he's two, two years old. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to drive then and do this. Uh, I can't. I, I have no choice. I'm going to have to go to the machine and do this for you. But okay. Right. Well, I'll, 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 I'll take care of it now, Sharif. Uh, now that we understand. All right. Thank so you. I'm going to go. I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell the doggy coin and forget the BCH. And then we're going to buy. We're going to buy the Bitcoin. BTC. Oh, the BTC. Yeah. Okay. The okay, correct. Not the Not the Bitcoin <laughs> Cash. No, not the Bitcoin Cash. BTC. Okay. That's Bitcoin. BTC, yeah. Okay. All right. And then I'm going to give you, like, the receipt number? Is that what we do with the... Because I've only used these machines a couple times. Yeah, that's co- Yeah, that's very correct. When you get okay. there, hit me up. So I'll be there with you, okay? Okay, so perfect. Let's do it that way. To tell you what to do. All okay. right. All right. Drive I'll talk to you in a bit drive then. Safe, okay, I'll drive safe. Thank you, my friend. Sorry about the sorry about oh, yeah. the confusion. It's just you know. It's, right, it's, right, right. Yeah, it's a lot going when, on. Yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand. It's okay. By by tomorrow, by tomorrow, he ask, will have a rose gold phone, and everything will be good. Yeah. Let me ask you real fast. All right, all right. In Sharif, in Valencia, where you are right now, how are things with this uh, China virus? Or, or is it is it still bad there? Or how are things in? It's kind of tight here. It's kind of tight here. So that's why I've been I've been here. So I didn't go anywhere. So no, no. You know, you know, you know, you know, it's a stranger. You know, it's a stranger. So I'll, I'll be on the, um, the face mask all the time and stuff like that. Yeah. Shit, you know. Well, let me ask you. So, let me ask yeah. you something, uh, Sharif. I've never, I've never, you know, I'll wrap this up because I got to get to the ATM. I've never been to Spain before, but I was watching and I watched the the, the Discovery Channel a lot. And they said on the Discovery right. Channel, they listen. They said on the Discovery Channel in Spain right now that they resumed the the running of the bulls, but the bulls have to socially distance. Uh, do you know about this? That the bulls have to socially distance during the the matador, or what have you? Have you seen this? It's a, it's crazy to me. Have you seen any of this well, while you've been well, in Spain? 
Well, actually, actually, I haven't, I haven't, because I've been, I've been just here and peace, you know. You know, I've been here since a lot of time, so I gotta go back to my family. So that's yeah. what's up. So I, okay. never, I had no time to, you know, watch TV and uh, stuff. Yeah, you don't have no time for no socially distanced bowls, is what yeah, he's saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Okay, well, we want to get you home to your family, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of bed right now, uh, Sharif. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm very, very hungry. And I wasn't able to make it to uh, the market today. <laughs> I know. So I am going to stop on the way home and probably get some pancakes, maybe some poached eggs and some bacon. So Wait, it might take can, you... get, can you get some for me? Hello. Can you get some for me? Look at this funny guy. Look how good his phone is now all of a sudden, Alvin. Like a brand new. Uh, yeah, it's so, almost like he has so, a rose gold iPhone already. Yeah. So it might take me some time because I mean I I'm gonna get some grits and some what Hello. Sharif Hello? do you eat it? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, maybe oh, there goes the phone. Sharif, Sharif, are you there? Yeah, Sharif, have you ever yeah, had yeah, the moons over is, Miami? My phone is acting up. My phone is acting up right now. So I just, okay. I just gotta you know, okay. Yeah, right, fair yeah. enough. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. call you after breakfast. Then I'll call you. Doggy coin to the moon, right, my friend? Say it. Say it for me. Doggy coin to the moon. Doggy coin. To... <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. All right. No problem. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. All right. Yeah. Bye. Right. Let's get get on with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got him to say it again. Yeah, but I think that one was better. It was. Take, yes. Take, get a little clip of that. I will. I, I noted it down. What is it? Yeah. All right. Doggy coin to the moon. You know. The funny thing is I probably can prolong this another week, yeah. maybe even two. Like, I mean, because this is going on like a month now. This isn't like this is just two days, you know. Well, yeah, he, he, th- he thinks it's coming, so he doesn't want to blow it at this point. He's putting a lot of work. Yep. So, so yeah, so the backstory was that he was in Texas, and then he went to Valencia, Spain, just for me to take care of this and to meet with the attorneys, the judge, and get this probate that was randomly chosen to be mine into my name. So he's claiming he hasn't been able to leave Valencia, Spain uh, until this is wrapped up and that his wife and kids are mad at him because he hasn't been home and he can't go home until we take care of this. So how's this kid mad at him? If he's only two, I I know that's a good question. He said, but yeah, I know pretty advanced kid. Yeah. So anyhow, when I'm on next, next week or whenever it may be, hopefully I'll, I'll have an update and, uh, for those that are interested, again, uh, what was what, it, what was it you Googled? It was, uh, let me see here. Was it, yeah, it was under Kaleb? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's like Kaleb. K-A-L-E-B is the first name, and Sharif, S-H-E-R-I-F. It's like Sheriff just with one R, one F. S-H-E-R-I-F is the last name. It's literally the... It's literally the first thing that comes up. And on it's, it's on LinkedIn, yeah. And it's in, you'll see a picture of an older guy standing in front of a bunch of books. Looks like, looks like an older attorney. And uh, you'll see a lot of nonsense in the LinkedIn. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I assume you talked about the uh, genocide or genocide, the Brandon Cantu. Subject, yeah, I, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Do, did you happen to mention uh, if Brandon still maybe rubbing genocide's feet or no i said he was on the show but i didn't mention what well, he had said but yes if you go back and find the episode with uh, brandon Cantu, you can hear him talk about how uh, genocide used to rub his feet <laughs> in the bathtub yeah in the bathtub the like, he wasn't rubbing her feet she was rubbing his feet jesus yeah 
That's a, <laughs> according to Cantu. But uh, I, I'm having a hard time determining, and I said this earlier in the show, I'm having a hard time determining whether he's just like delusional or if he's just trying to troll Negranu in this uh, exchange. Unbelievable. I didn't even know he was around anymore. I mean, you don't really hear much of him. Like, I don't, I, he's probably, I guess, that busted, huh? I mean, you don't see his name in tournaments. Yeah. You don't. Uh, oh, by the yeah. way, uh, guy, I, I, yeah. I saw him. Uh, no, I saw, he, last time I played with him was, I don't know, like four years ago. Um, and remember that Australian listener? I think he may still be listening. I yeah. met him. I oh, you met the Australian guy. I, I got him. Yeah. I got the Australian guy and Cantu at a table at a No Limit Hold'em event and then proceeded to get bad beat by both of them. Jesus. Didn't his name, I'm not going to say it, but he, his first name starts with a G, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he, but he's a big player. Yeah, he is. I mean, I'm not going to, but I, so the funny thing is, I'll tell the story real fast. Like, I, you know, you've mentioned him and, you know, I met him twice. He came up to me, I think once I was with you. And then like, I happened to look at his results and they're like 25K this, 100K that like, he plays in some big fucking yes. tournaments. Yeah. Like it's, I was like, shit, that's, I mean, I think that's all he plays in. Like, well, you know, you know what else? Stuff. You know what? I met him and I met his wife and his daughter and he, he actually told me and his wife told me also that this show was the only show his wife listened to of, of poker yeah, shows nice. because, because what happened is I think, I think they were on a cruise and he had it loaded up on his, to, to listen to and it was playing in the background and she said, oh, what show is this? I like this guy. This guy explains everything. He's, I don't really know that much about poker. This guy makes it simple for me to understand. So she liked the fact that I explained everything for people who aren't uh, as into the whole industry. So then she, uh, she went back and listened to all these old episodes and so she she listened to a ton of stuff. Yeah, so. I didn't even realize he has a bracelet too, just like you. One yeah. bracelet. Yeah, nice. Huh. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So, it, um, of all people, though, to knock me out of that event, it was him and Cantu who both they each put bad beats on me to knock me out. Geez. Do you know what he does? Does he have a, a profession? Yeah, I, I know. I don't want to put it all out here. Oh, no, no, yeah. obviously, but he's not a he's he's not just a, a poker player. He no, has a day no, job. He, he or does a other things or yeah. something. I assume. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, I hope he still listens. Yeah, I hope so too. If, you know, yeah, I know. He I know. Wasn't he... the guy that went with you when you had a flat tire. No, that was him. Yeah, that was him. That was him. Wow. And by the way, cool. I, I saw him in uh, in 2019 at the World Series, and he said to me that uh, he was happy to hear I was back on. That he thought it was going to be over for good after what happened to me in 2018. He said, "Oh, I thought it was done. I thought after hearing all that, you're never coming back." Yeah. So he said he was oh, happy to hear on... that I returned. Huh. Very, very <laughs> cool. By the way, uh, as another note, I did try earlier this evening to log into the No Fraud poker room, and it would not let me. So I guess I'll have to... Well, what happened, I... we've had this issue. So were you able to connect it all, or you just accounted It just says work? unknown. It says name unknown or unknown Okay, we've been having that like problem. That. Yeah, Gordman can't get on, and he's very upset. So... I guess it's happening to you too. He's very upset. Like he seems fairly upset. He's like, uh, "Why even hold a tournament if you can't uh, log in?" I'm like, "Look, we just put this new version up. We're we're trying to work through this." Yeah. See, now I'm on it right now, and it, it's not even connecting. It's like won't even show me the poker room. Well, it's you may be going to the wrong address. Go go, th- go through the link on the site. I am. I'm on the site. Click here to start playing some poker. Let me see. And this. N- nothing. It just says connecting, connecting. I want to take a look here. It's possible he's taking the, it down. To, yeah, the, the the link is nofraud.pokerfraud.alert.com. Nothing. 
Yeah, it's HTTPS. Yeah, I see it's not working right now. Yeah, okay, maybe he's fixing it. Doesn't matter. I mean, he does it for free. You know, who, how could anyone complain? Yeah, it's it's HTTPS colon slash slash no fraud dot poker fraud alert dot com. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work right now. Yeah. All right. So when would you guess we're in uh, the beginning of May now, or almost half, or almost yeah halfway through in a couple days? When would you guess the WSOP is going to have some sort of announcement? Oh, about the events. Um, Yeah, I I, I think probably in like. My, my guess would be towards the end of May. So you think within this month? Yeah, yeah I think towards the end of this month, and then people still have uh, four full months to prepare for it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I know uh, I don't want to make the show too long, but I know something you probably didn't talk about. Um, there's a new casino that's in the works with already a s- scheduled opening date. Uh, do you know... Can you take a guess? Do you know anything about this? No, I don't know what it would be. So, a number of years ago, I think as far back as when the uh, real estate bubble occurred, Station Casinos bought a big, big plot of land in southwest Las Vegas, which area of town where there really isn't a local casino. You have your Dotties and you have your little video poker bars but it's probably a good seven eight maybe ten miles away from the closest you know casino so they bought this land that long ago and they they were in works to build another locals casino and never happened because of the crash and just the market so anyhow i don't know why now maybe because of the influx of cash from selling the palms you know, they still have a number of properties that are shut down. That aren't. I think they have three other casinos that aren't even open. But anyhow, it's been all over the paper that the stations made an announcement uh, two or three days ago. And the working title of the casino is going to be called Durango Station because it's on Durango Road. Um, I don't know. I doubt that's going to be the final name, but maybe it is. But uh, so anyhow, that's that's interesting. Um, and then, you know, from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because that area of town, which I know very well, I mean, there's nothing you have to either drive to Summerlin, uh, to gamble, which is about 10 miles away, or you have to drive, uh, South towards like blue diamond where the Silverton is, or maybe even, you know, go as far as, uh, uh, go as far as the South point. Let me look. And no, see. you're right. Now that I think about it, you're right. There's nothing over there. No, there isn't. I'm trying to see. If, uh, yeah, so the working title is called Durango Station, and I want to I want to see if there's, oh, here we go, hold on, let me read the Review Journal article, because I know they have a, uh, they already have an opening date, or, you know, a rough estimate, let me tell everyone when that is. Um, okay, so actually, I'm sorry, so they bought this land almost 20 years ago, uh, so I guess it, it, was before even the bubble but it's it's a 71 acre parcel that's along if you're familiar with vegas it's a it's a it's right by durango and the 215 um there's an ikea which is nearby there the only ikea in in las vegas um so anyhow they are talking about breaking ground on it in early 2022 they're doing all this land surveying and all that stuff now and it's possible that they're saying a tentative uh, 2024 opening date. So we're talking two and a half years from now or so. Um, but yeah, 
Durango Station. It would be their first new uh, casino since Red Rock was built, like in 2000. Wow. I think Red Rock was 2006 or seven. So something along those lines. So kind of interesting. Um, but it, from a from a marketing you know strategic standpoint, it, it's smart because there really there's nothing. There's nothing, you know, I mean, nothing close, nothing, you know, within miles of, of, you know, where they're going to build it. So, uh, also there's been a lot of talk that Caesars is going to sell one of their properties, uh, pretty soon. Um, one of their strip properties in Vegas, my guess would probably be Bally's. I think that's going to be the one to go. Um, have you heard about this? No, uh, but uh, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that Bally's is connected to Paris, so that would be uh, that would be a downside of selling it. They'd have to either cut the connection or uh, or just would have that weirdness where there's a different company's property connected to Paris. So I, I was wondering if Planet Hollywood might be it. Uh, that would be a, a candidate, I would think. Uh, so that's. But here's. By the way, we have a, a new participant on this show. Yo, buddy. For the last final minutes here. Yo, buddy, what's happening? Uh, that sounds tired here. Ah, uh, just gotta clear, clear my uh, my airways. Did you just wake up? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, a few minutes ago. Yeah. So anyhow, it's it says here that Caesars. This was an article in the Las Vegas Sun uh, two days ago that Caesars wants to wait for the market to rebound further. Uh, before they sell one of their eight properties, which yeah, you're right, it could be Planet Hollywood. I think it's going to be Bally's, but we'll 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 wait and see. Uh, anyhow, Trader Ruski, how you doing today? You missed a, kind of an eventful show tonight. We had a Nigerian scammer on. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, he'll catch it in the archives, he, but yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Trader Ruski, give us an update with you. How are you? What's going on? We're all is good. Yeah, no, everything's good here. Just um, you know, enjoying the weekend. The weeks are getting long. Uh, in a sign of what's, uh, I guess, <laughs> the way the world is is moving towards for the first time that at least I know, Resort Worlds, which is the new uh, property that's going to open next month. Can't believe I'm saying that's going to open next month. Jeez, I remember six years ago when it just was this big plot of land. But anyhow, Resort World made a big announcement this week. They signed up and became official partners with a crypto company. Did you read about this? No. Resort Worlds announced uh, yesterday that they have come to an agreement with a company. I'm not even going to tell you the name of the company. Let's see if you can guess it. They have come to an agreement on a partnership with a company that was founded by the Winklevoss twins. Do you know what company that might be? Yes, Gemini. Very good. Yep. So this is on Casino.org. And uh, in a joint statement, the two companies said they were pursuing and signing a compact to uh, create creation and implementation of cryptocurrency-friendly services at the resort. What does that mean? What oh, it means people there? can uh, oh, 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 exchange oh, oh, oh. Bitcoin for cash, probably, to gamble with. Before you go on, the deal is the first ever for a Las Vegas Strip property. And Resorts World's Gentling and Gemini promise their crypto-based services will be finalized and announced in the coming weeks before the property opens. Uh, but for now, they're keeping things vague, leaving media outlets such as this one 
to speculate wildly. Uh, so what do you, do you think that that's just going to mean they're going to have a couple of ATMs? Do you think you'll actually be able to purchase things yeah, I think in the both. casino? I, I think in the casino, you'll be able to use uh, Bitcoin through your Gemini account and, uh, or maybe even just not through your Gemini. I, I'm, there has to be some way you can actually uh, spend Bitcoin rather than uh, receiving it. But uh, um, right. yeah, something like th- through Gemini that you can spend Bitcoin at there or maybe even buy chips with it. And, no, uh, won't be able to do that because it says here, uh, by Nevada state law, casinos are not allowed to accept U.S. currency on the game. Or only allowed to accept U.S. currency on the gaming okay, floor. Okay, so, so it could be could, like an ATM, though. Like you can get but the, they could use Bitcoin for other goods and services such as retail, ho- hotel purchases, and, and you know gift shops, restaurants, things like that. Yeah, so it'll probably be yeah, both things. You can spend it at the resort and also probably ATMs you can get cash and then buy chips with the cash. Yeah. Huh. And probably a really crappy exchange rate is my guess. Probably. It's amazing to think that uh, that's what the world's become, that they're in partnership with them. So, um, all right. Trader Ruski, do you got anything else for us? Because we're kind of hitting the wall here. I'm good. I woke you up have anything funny? I was going to yes. try to get on, but I went back to sleep. What's that? No. Do you have any good, funny stories, something maybe that happened to you during the week? Anything to, to, to share with us? You know, I just woke up a few minutes ago. The brain is not really moving yet, so nothing nothing yet. How, what time did you get on, Brandon? Uh, I don't know, maybe one thirty, maybe. No, about 2, 2 a.m., I think. A little after 2. So I've been on for about two and a half hours. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go to sleep. Other than that... Uh, I've got to go to sleep because I uh, see my mom later in the day, but not too much later. So I've got to get some sleep beforehand. Yeah, I've, uh, I didn't want to go too late. In fact, I was even considering maybe I shouldn't do the show tonight because of Mother's Day. But then I said, you know what? I actually got a complaint about doing oh, the yeah. show. I, I got this compl- a complaint from Benjamin's mom about doing the show on Sunday because... Uh, then I can't put Benjamin to sleep, and then if he has trouble sleeping, she's got to deal with it, and she's got to work the next day. So she wasn't sure. thrilled about the Sunday night shows. So I said, okay. She'd much rather the Friday or Saturday. So I said, okay, I'll do it Saturday. Sure. Well, the city's getting busy, Druff. It, the things are really starting to look like they're getting back to where we were. Um, I know there was a press release from Caesars the other day saying that they are, I don't know how true this is, but they're claiming that they are sold out on weekends for this foreseeable future. Um, it's kind of a vague comment. They didn't say, you know, if they're talking about Caesars itself or all their hotels, but they're claiming that they're sold out mm. uh, and for the foreseeable future on the weekends. Um, so we'll see. But anyhow, happy Mother's Day. Do we have any mothers that, that listen to the to the fraud show? Yeah, there's a few. Some are older, but they're still mothers. Yeah. All right. Is that uh, that Karen Nathan? Is, is she a mother? I don't. I don't know. Her? I I know uh, she she's a real female from Florida. I think she's a little. She's younger than me. Not way younger, but she's a little younger than me. And uh, I don't know if she has any kids. Hmm. Um. Next month, by the way, the first major convention is returning to Vegas. Uh, I will give either one of you 
twenty dollars if you can tell me what that convention is without cheating and looking. No, Trader Ruski, I, I, I have no actually, idea. Druff, you, okay, Druff, you go first. You take a guess. Sixty thousand people plus are expected to attend it at the Las Vegas Convention Center. It's going to bring in sixty thousand plus people. Any idea? Uh, I don't think it's going to be CES. I think they're probably going to come later. No, that's in. Uh, that's next year. That's they what I thought. They're going to be here. Okay. That's yeah. what I, Do I, I take a guess? Um. Probably I mean, it's something you know, but it's like you would never think that. I have a, I have a guess. I have a guess. Well, you're going to go rodeo. Um, okay, it's a, a construction industry type convention. I was about to say I be, I, I wasn't going to guess that, but I was going to say I was going to guess it's some kind of industry convention. But it's the the world. I'm not making this up. It's the world of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> the world of concrete trade show is expected to draw upwards of 60,000 construction industry attendees and watchdog groups. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> would a watchdog group come for the world of construction or a world of concrete trade show? I guess they're they're watching well, that. Didn't, uh, didn't the, didn't the huh? Sopranos use the bogus, didn't the Sopranos <laughs> use the bogus uh, concrete in one of their scams? I thought those ones were safe. Maybe, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I Tony Soprano is dead, so they don't have to worry about that Jesus. anymore. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, listen, that's all I got, boys and girls. Uh, Druff, happy uh, Mother's Day to uh, your baby mama and to your mother. Traderuski, happy Mother's Day to your mom. And uh, Thank you. You, Druff, are you guys going out for for lunch or a brunch or no? We're actually we're going to go out for we're going to go out for dinner actually. Nice. All right. How many uh, how many meals have you dined out since you've been? Vaccinated? I have not eaten in any restaurants, but I have done takeout a bunch of times. Oh, good. What was what was the first takeout you got? Food the wise? first takeout what? I got was actually a burger place. Hmm. How did it feel? I mean, just to be eating. No, you know, it felt it felt good. Home. It felt good to do it. I was like, oh wow. Benjamin was very excited too. He said it tasted so much better because he hasn't had it in so long. He's had burgers at home. We just have like from a yeah. burger place with their fries and all that. Like it's it's different. So uh, he was he liked that, and I started that slightly before. I mentioned this last week. I started this two days before I went out into everything else. I just figured it was safe enough at that point for takeout food. So yeah, I I'm back to doing that. I I am gonna go to a restaurant though for the first time in over a year. Tomorrow. What kind of food? Or later today, actually. And Steak, seafood. It, it'll be what, an Italian what? place. Oh, and, nice. Uh, and then we're going, and then I'll, I'm, at some point, uh, sometime in the future, not that long from now, I'm going to go out with uh, Benjamin's mom, just me and her. We hardly do that. Like, we've hardly did that before the pandemic, but. Uh, like, like, a, like a date night. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And Trader Ruski, are you taking mom anywhere today? She hasn't had her second shot yet, so we're probably we're probably, we're gonna go out somewhere, drive around. Wow, she hasn't had a second oh, shot no yet. Problem. Oh my! Just, I didn't know she got her first. Well, Trader Ruski's mom kind of lagged. No, no, not no offense. She's a lovely woman. I, 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 I have nothing but great things to say about her. But she didn't get her uh, her shot early on. Trader Ruski, did she? She kind of waited a while, huh? No, she's she was slacking, but she she got it. She's she's got her next appointment on Wednesday. All right. Well, make sure you uh, spoil her, Trader Ruski. Give her, give her a good day. Well, at least she got the shot. You know, at least she's already yeah, she's and she's somewhat protected already. So that's that's good. But it's good she finally got it. 
Now, Druff, do you think you're going to gain weight because now you're able to kind of go and, and do all these things food-wise that you weren't able to do for so long? Um, you consciously pro- like probably, and and I've I already gained some weight uh, before this. I, I lost weight right at the beginning of the pandemic because of just such a rapid change in uh, what I could pick up, and also there was this big shortage of stuff in the stores, like in the grocery store. Remember that big shortage? So sure. I, it was very limited what I could eat at all. So that actually uh, made me eat less and eat things that were less calories too. Not intentionally, but that was forced on me. I, I hated it, but that was the way it was. And uh, one good thing was I, I noticed uh, 10 pounds dropped off over that uh, month or so. And I said, okay, that's good because I had gained uh, some weight back. Then then it kind of was flat for a while, especially after I was able to get some uh, better stuff at the grocery store. But then towards the end here, before I even got vaccinated, I was just I was getting a lot of candy from the store and things like that. And I just, I just started gaining weight again. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still a good deal well, less than I was from my high before I lost all that weight three years ago. But, uh, I'm also a good deal away from my low after that weight loss occurred. So it would be nice if, uh, I dropped that back, but yeah, I, I have been a little worried. Like what if I just rapidly gain weight here? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I, I, well, let me ask you this. When you see me over the years, I've, I've had a consistent weight for the last 20 years or so. What would you guess that I weigh? Because whatever you whatever I've weighed when you've seen me is what I've basically weighed the entire time you've known me. So what would you, if you had to just take a guess, what would you say I weighed? Um, 170. Okay. So I've weighed about 165 pounds. Wow. I was close. That's good. Yeah, you were. So I weighed about 165, give or take. Like, and you know, it's not, it's not that sporadic. Like, I don't get up to, you know, I don't deviate more than maybe a couple pounds either way. So, literally, since I've been here, that's my ball. Probably since college, that's been my my weight. I weigh now more than I've ever weighed in my life. Um, I weigh 183 pounds, and so I've gained about 15 to 18 pounds since all this started. But the funny thing is, and I don't know if people are being nice to me. Every time I've seen someone that hasn't seen me, I say, can you tell I've gained some weight? Do I, you know, do I look fat to you? And everyone says the same. It's not even noticeable. So I've always kind of been like slim. Like I've never been, you know, but, uh, I put on 18 pounds. So I'm I'm at the highest I've ever been and I've stayed here. So I don't even know what my age now without really putting a lot of work into it, if I'm ever going to get back down to what I was before, because I've been like this now for about six, eight months. So, Well, you know what? I, I hate to say this to you, but uh, I had that situation going on through about uh, 2008. I was, and I was 36 at that point, where I had stopped gaining weight, and I was just a consistent weight, and it is actually circling right around exactly 200 for uh, for quite some time, for about 10 years I was not gaining or losing. And so I'd, I'd go up a little, down a little, but it would always keep landing at 200, right at 200. And I was very consistently 200. And then starting in 08, or I guess it was 09, beginning of 09, I just, it started to go up. And then all of a sudden I'm, a, I'm 210. And that's how this happened. Then then it kept going up more. It, it went up to 220. And then it, it just, it kept, it was slow. It wasn't a, a rapid rise. And some years it would kind of hang there. So then I, I, I so I got to like the, uh, the, to the two thirties and I decided actually from a picture I saw of myself that I didn't like, that I thought I looked too fat. 
I uh, I actually committed to lose weight, and I forced it down from uh, yeah, it was two thirty two. This is back in two thousand thirteen, all the way down to two oh eight. And I was going to keep trying to get to two hundred, but it, I got stuck at two oh eight. I could not get it lower than two oh eight. It was just stuck there. And I, then I kind of got frustrated and gave up on the whole thing. And then I started slowly creeping back up. And I got all the way to 241 in 2018. That was my all-time high. And I said, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm going to make an effort to lose weight. Well, I did, but not the way I wanted to. That's when all my problems started. Just coincidence that when I said I'm going to lose weight, that's when all my problems started. Not related to any weight loss attempt. I didn't even get to try yet. I developed all those issues, and then 32 pounds fell off within about five weeks. And uh, that brought me all the way back down to 209. And then you could tell easily I was a lot skinnier at that point from the 241. In fact, my parents hadn't seen me. They were on a trip. They come right. back. They couldn't believe it. They When I walked into – I met them at a restaurant – and I, I walk up, they couldn't believe it, how, how different I looked from before when they left to, to when they came back. So I lost over 30 pounds in such a short time. And uh, uh, so, and, and you could see my face got way skinnier and just every, everything changed. And uh, then, uh, but then it started creeping back up. Then it got back over 230 right when the pandemic started. And then it uh, quickly 10 fell off and, and more than 10 fell off. It got down to like 217, 218. And, uh, but now I'm back like 226, 227. So it's uh, it's gone back up so yeah i i, I got to be careful i don't want to go back to 240 or whatever and uh so i had to just watch out, especially because my, my face starts getting fatter at that point that was a big noticeable difference when i lost the weight back that you just saw it fall off my face and sure. uh so i, I started getting like a fatter face look and like I, I was happy to see that reverse even though i wasn't happy the way it happened and I wouldn't want to go through that again, but uh, that was the one benefit from it. And so now I'm going to have to just put some effort in to prevent this. But uh, yeah, if, so what I'm saying yeah. to you though is now that your body has snapped out of its pattern, because the reason you were staying at the same weight is, in general, your body likes to try to maintain the same weight. So if you eat a little bit more, your body will will compensate for it and burn it off. If you eat a little bit less, your body will compensate for it and uh, and, and, and you won't lose weight that easily. Or if you do, it'll come right back. So your body tries to maintain the same weight. And then you kind of have to force it off of that either way. So you you, you probably forced it off of that. And now it's going to be uh, – now it's getting used to gaining weight. Like it's no longer trying to keep itself at that weight anymore. So that, that could be the problem is that uh, it's – it broke out of – basically maintaining the same weight for you so that yeah. uh, that could so you, you do have to watch out because if you don't watch out you'll just look one day and you're 200 and you'll go shit so yeah well i mean obviously a lot of it was just uh being home so much and you know you're home and you just eat and you know you eat when you normally wouldn't because you're busy and you're running around so but yeah it, it hasn't come down but it hasn't gone up so it's been consistently right around 180 283 but uh yeah, I definitely need to, to watch that because it's, you know, that's a big gain. I mean, that's, you know, for uh, the high, highest that I've ever been. So uh, I did have one more thing to say here just because people like to hear this stuff. Um, while we were talking, I was scrolling before through some Vegas news. 
And the numbers for March for the state of Nevada for gaming were released uh, yesterday as well, or released on Friday. So I just kind of thought they were interesting. Uh, all right, Druff, if you had to take a guess, and it was it was a it was a really good month. It was more so than I would have even thought. If you had to take a guess on the amount of money Vegas casinos won for the month of March, what would you say the amount was? $100 billion. Oh. I would say uh, about 1% of that. I'd say a billion dollars. God, amazing. $1.1 billion. Oh, close. Out of that amount, how much was slots? I'd say uh, $700 million. Very good. Again, 772 Oh. Mm. And lastly, out of all the different... Uh, yeah, okay. So out of all the different areas that they break down wins into, you know, like Clark County, Strip, Off-Strip, Reno, Mesquite, Laughlin, what do you think in the entire state, out of the major meccas, I'm not talking about like, you know, some small city, what do you think out of the major cities the lowest gaming was? Revenue. Or win, I should say, not revenue. Well, I'd have to know what would be defined as a, as a major city. Okay, okay, so I'll tell you. So you have you have downtown. You have the Strip, you have Boulder Highway, you have the local resorts in, in Las Vegas, you have Laughlin, you have Mesquite, you have Reno, and you have Lake Tahoe. Those are those are what it's probably I have to think Mesquite there. probably made the least, and I think... And you would be wrong. It was actually Lake Tahoe. Hmm. What do you think the revenue was, or the win, excuse me, was for Lake Tahoe for the month of March? It's actually really disturbingly low. But what do you think it would be if you had to guess? Out of that billion dollars of of wins that the state took in, what do you think Lake Tahoe's share was? Um, fifteen million. Fourteen million. Oh boy, I'm good, good at this. Here, how are you getting so? I good don't know. I'm numbers? just guessing at this. Jesus. Yeah. So, and to be fair, I don't know what this means. It actually breaks it down. It calls it North Tahoe. So I don't know if that's different. If there's a South Tahoe, I didn't see it. Well, there, there, well, I can tell you maybe what it means. Uh, one of two things. There's what what is current currently called a state line is not what people think it is. They usually think that's like where Prim is driving from L.A. to Vegas. That was once referred to as state line, but the real state line is actually Lake Tahoe. The once you cross into Nevada in Lake Tahoe, which is uh, Right on the border, it's a part of Lake Tahoe's in California, parts in uh, Nevada. The Nevada portion is actually not Lake Tahoe; it's actually state line. So they could mean that because at one point that was referred to as North Lake Tahoe and South oh, Lake okay. Tahoe is California, but that hasn't been referred to as North Lake Tahoe for a long time. So what they could also mean is they could mean any uh, properties that are in the northern area of Lake Tahoe and not uh, right on the California border, like in Incline Village and all that. But there isn't really any kind of major property. That I, I don't even – so I don't know what the – is there anything else about Tahoe there or is it only just say North Tahoe? It's just that's it. No, there's no other breakdown. Okay, so I think no. they're just trying to say anything in Tahoe that's in Nevada, which yeah. is stupid because California doesn't have any casinos there in Tahoe. So there's no point yeah. to separate that. Yeah. I'll ask you one more since you've been on fire, and then I'll ask Tretoruski. So out of that $1.1 billion in gaming wins, how much did Baccarat make up for it in the entire state? Well, uh, 
I have to think first. Uh, okay, hold on. Before you give an answer, because it's such a hard question. It's a, it's a, it's a. I, at least in my opinion, it's a low number. I well, thought it would be. Well, I was going to say higher, it, but... it depends how much Christopher Mitchell's been playing. <laughs> but you know, uh, speaking of which, I saw one of his videos, and he was in Lake Tahoe himself, and he was very disappointed. He could not find any bakra for his family vacation there. That may have been a re- he's been rerunning something. So there was I know I think he ran a video from August and pretending like it was current. That may have been. Well, it was a, it was his anniversary video. So yeah, I, I think that was August. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. He, he he played it recently, like he, like he just went there, but it was uh, yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, uh, out of the 1.1 billion, maybe 20 million. Kretaruski, you're on deck. Get ready. 20 million. Uh, very, you're very, very close. But let me see what Trederuski says. Probably shouldn't have said you're very close. Well, I was going to say, I, well, I was going to say 50, but now <laughs> I'll say uh, 25. It was exactly 25, but Druff still gets the victory because I gave it away. Trederuski, even more impressively, Druff, how are you? You're nailing these numbers. I don't know. I guess I'm like a, a Vegas, uh, Nevada gambling uh, expert here. I mean, hold on. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me. Let me give you one more here. I mean, this is just... Hold on. Let me find another number here. For In fact, you, you can even see my screen. You'll see it's not up. I, I'm sharing screens oh. with you. You can see I mean, it's I, not no, up. I, no, I know you're not cheating, but you've gotten just... Okay, hold on. So let's see here. Um, okay, so we break that down. Okay. Uh, how much did, out of that $1.1 billion... Uh, win for the state for March again. How much of the share was downtown? How much did downtown win for the month of March? Yeah, it's gonna Ruff, you're going to go first, Traderuski. You're, you're, you're on deck. That's a tough one. Yeah, it is. You've been nailing these. Do I just go on a high note and not even guess anymore? <laughs> have like an unblemished <laughs> record? Uh, I'm say downtown did uh, $65 million. Traderuski, you're up. I'm going to say uh, 160. Oh, because you're out of your mind, Trader I don't think they've ever done 160. Druff, again, you're you're just you're blowing my mind. What did you say, 65? Yeah, they did 71. Whoa, yeah, that's still that's still that's yeah. That's, I wish there was a prize for this. I would be making all kinds of money. Um. Okay, hold on. How much did sports books win for the entire state of Nevada? For the month of March, let's mix this up a bit here. Traderuski, you go first. You're on the clock here. Month of March, total wins, profit, sports books, counting apps, counting walking up to the counter, counting kiosks, every possible way you could bet on sports in the state of Nevada for March. How much did the casinos clear? Well, with March Madness, I gotta say it's gotta be a hundred million. Okay, Druff. Okay, hold on. So. Since I did give Druff kind of, or I gave you a hint before Trader Ruski that helped you, so I'm going to just give Druff the same hint. And you said, uh, what'd you say, 100 million? Yes. Okay, not even close. You're out of your mind. Okay, Druff, you're you're up. Casinos or, or sports books, month of March, the entire state, counting all methods of betting. Um, say uh, 48 million. All right, you're close. Closer. 37.9. Trader Ruski, can you beat him in one of these, please? He's killing <laughs> Trader Ruski. He's, he's killing you. 
He's absolutely well, killing. Dude, nine nine percent. I mean, of the gambling, I thought could have been you know sports, okay. with college basketball. So is that wrong? I don't. This is a this is a, a weird stat, but I mean, I've seen this before. So for whatever reason, I guess it makes sense. They calculate the exact amount of coin in that players make in slot machines for the entire state. And I don't know if this counts like the sports bars and, you know, off. No, it it, it would. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, like talking about Dotties and and places that just have the video poker gas stations. But so for the entire state, then month of March, what was the exact amount of coin in? And that means like the amount that people literally cycled through machines. Trader Ruski will try you again. You got to win one of these. How much coin in? Slot machines, month of March, the entire state. When you say coin in, you're talking about money that was actually put in? No, just just credit cycling, even if you're just cycling the same credits oh, over credit and over. So, right, so if you so put in a $100 bill and, and you make $400 worth of bets before you lose that 100 or before you're done gambling, counts as 400 even though you only put in 100 So that's what coin in is, yeah. All right, then I'll say uh, $3.5 billion. Three point five billion. Okay, I'm not going to give any hints here. Druff, you're up. Say eight billion. Druff wins again. Ten point six billion. I mean, jeez. Yep. Ten point six billion. I think I'm running you out. Know, of you gave here. me the example at four times. You know, so I'd say you, you threw me off with that example. Okay. Um. But I went to five times. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see if I can find one more. Oh, okay. Here's an interesting stat. So, out of the 37.9 million, okay, that casinos won. And this is a real interesting stat. So, the casinos won 37.9. We'll call it 38 million in March in sports betting. That's you know March Madness. Out of that 38, how much of it was won from bets placed on apps versus people betting in an actual physical casino? So, you guys understand the question? Out of the thirty-eight million, how much was won by people on their phones betting versus walking up or going to a kiosk or standing in line, whatever you want to call it? So, casino wins versus sportsbook apps. This is going to be the last one. Trader Ruski, I'd like to see you win this one. How much of the casinos win through sports betting apps? Month of March, uh, the entire state. Six million. I'm going to say million. I, okay. I will say ten. I'll say ten. Druff's going to win. It's 21.5. Oh, wow. That's a lot more. That's the first one I've gotten off there. More people bet through apps than they bet live. Mm. Yep. Yep. Mm. Um, Let me just – Trader Ruski, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm not trying to pick sides here, but you just – Well, I've got to end the show here, so I think I've got to go out on a a sweep. All right. Um. Yeah, there's no more stats. I'd be making stuff up. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. And it's always good to chit-chat with you boys. And uh, I guess until next time we all meet. Yes. Okay. Well, good night, everybody. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Trev. Okay. So I decided I'm just going to finish this off myself because this way they're not going to complain about how they can't hear me. Because whenever I, whenever I play this, they can't hear me. And then they say, what? I can't hear you. What's going on there? Some idiosyncrasy with Skype when I've got this going in the background. Look at this.
I'm not even going to take it. We're done here. Ah, fine. Brandon. I mean, you just cut me off. I don't even get to be on for the what have you. We said That's goodbye. Little... I didn't want you complaining you can't hear me over this. Well, I can still hear it. I can kind of... Okay, well, that was kind of abrupt, I thought. I said goodbye. All right. Anyway, we'll probably be on next Saturday. Fair enough. Have a great night. Happy Mother's Day to your mom. See you next week. All right. Good night. (laughs) Okay. So next Saturday is probably when it's going to be. Either Friday or Saturday, most likely. Probably one of those two dates going forward. We've got some resistance from the Sunday show. And uh, thank you to Brandon and Trader Ruski for being with us at the end of the show. If you're listening live and you want this to be in the archive soon, it probably won't be. There'll probably be some delay today because I've got to uh, get some sleep and then i got to spend some time with my mom. So I don't know when I'll have time to archive this, but I'll get it done. ended up being a fairly long show. So, for those of you that have been frustrated with shorter shows lately, we're back to a very long one. Thanks partially to our Nigerian scamming friend. Okay. So, that's all. I have nothing more to say. I'm just going to let the music finish. <laughs>